kind of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. When I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. And we're live on Skywatchers Radio with myself, Angel Espino, my co-host Rick Osmond. And tonight we're being joined by Dennis Crenshaw, who's joining us tonight. Dennis, Rick, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing okay. So what we got on the agenda tonight, guys? Well, actually, I got some stuff to talk about. I don't know if you guys have heard, but I am officially now a ufologist. Huh? Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, you guys didn't hear about this, huh? There's a cool website that actually uh, does uh, caricatures of uh, ufologists. It's called ufologist.com. And they do, uh, I guess, drawings of some of the biggest and known names in ufology, uh, like the Michio Kakus (laughs) of the world, uh, George Norrie, Art Bell, you know, Jamie Havikan has uh, a drawing of himself on there. Now they added me to the the mix. That's pretty cool. I'm going to link here in the chat so you guys can take a look at it. Check Alrighty. Sounds like fun. So so you've yeah. never been a cartoon character before, huh? Never been a cartoon character. Now I'm not only a cartoon character, but I guess I'm officially a ufologist, guys. Huh? What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, Let's congratulations, see. I guess. I, I like I, it. I'm not, I like it. I've been called <laughs> a lot of things, but the, I've never been called a ufologist. Most of the things I've been called are a little more denigrating than that, but that's okay. Well, I'm used to it. Well, you can this call me cool. anything I mean, but late for dinner. <laughs> yeah. yeah we, Dennis, we never call you late for dinner. But check out that picture. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man, that you have the little alien peeking up over uh, the jackal, the head of, uh, yeah. you know, my head on, the, on a jackal's body. That's pretty cool. I like it. I think it's cool. They got me, they got my good side, too, I think. so shout outs to uh d reno or drano uh who's the artist who put this together on uh, his website thanks for doing that man that's really cool and uh the uh, the website again is www.theufologist.com but welcome everybody to sky watchers radio uh now that that's out of the way i wanted to tell everybody that uh this is our second show on friday nights here on the paranormal soup network and I'm excited about that. I'm yeah. excited because there's a lot of developments uh, with the network. In fact, we want to welcome a person to the audience who's listening in who's going to be part of our network pretty soon. His name, of course, is Odo Shango. Yeah, right. Well, he right. was in the network. Well, he was. Well, yeah. he'll, be, he'll be back, I'm sure. 
Yeah. Um, uh, he's still there. He's still there. Or no, he's still okay. There. Yeah, he no. dropped out, and, but that's okay. Yeah, that happens. But anyway, guys, a lot of stuff is happening, uh, just not in ufology. It's been kind of a slow, uh, you know, month really there only a couple things here and there yeah. but uh, yeah. there's been a couple yeah. different reports that's kind of trickled down uh, but of course everybody's talking about one thing and only one thing today you guys know what that is China? no um, no come on the UFO that was shot over China, China I saw no, no. Yeah, the only thing people are talking about right China. now is LeBron James I know it has nothing to do with UFOs oh, but LeBron James is coming to Miami. That's awesome. Well, you know what, Sinai, that's great news, but Sinai might disagree with you on what's more important right now. Yeah, it might. Sports. Well, he's not here. The, so. world, the World Cup. The World Cup. Well, he's in the chat room, so I want him to feel at home. Ah, well. Hi, Sai. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Welcome yeah. to the show, Sai. Skywatchers Radio. <laughs> and look, we got Odo Chango back in the house. We gave him a shout-out. I don't know if you heard it. So now we'll give him another shout-out. Odo Chango, who's going to be joining our network, the Paranormal Soup Network. And a lot of stuff has been developing on that network. We're also going to be bringing in uh, the very lovely Miss Crystal Storm. Miss DCS yeah, oh, or something great, on the network. Great. She's going to be joining us with uh, Melchizedek, who's going to be her co-host on their new show, which should be debuting in the next uh, week or so. And, uh, of course, we also have Starship Smelly Prize joining the network with Captain DJ Smells So Good. And okay. Cyanide! Okay. <laughs> cyanide the sidekick. Cyanide? Cyanide kick. Yes. Jamie, don't be advertising that World Cup final show. That's on the same time as, uh, as one of our shows. Yeah, <laughs> we get we get no love. We get no love. Even our own shows are plugging something else. You know that? Yeah. That's just wrong. Even our buddies, man. Even our buddies are against us. <laughs> but see, we uh, we coerced uh, Mr. Cyanide, you know, enough that uh, we finally got him to join the network as a host, even if it's a limited, you know, co-hosting. But we got him yeah. on here. He, he's going to be a host on the Paranormal Soup Network. That's cool. Ain't that great? Yeah, that's yeah, real cool. I think cool. the Netherlands very, are going to kick everybody's and, ass. And very, and uh, <laughs> very intelligent and uh, and knowledgeable guy, and he's going to be a great host. And I know it's going to be a great show. Yes, indeed. So, now, um, guys, uh, 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 well, go ahead, Rick. So um, after we get past the sports. And we get past the shout-outs to friends and, and new colleagues here on PSN and get past the cartoon characters who are part of this show. Where are we going with ufology tonight? Well, I've got some things. Well, uh, I figured I'd do it later in the show, let uh, the boss man get his done first. But I've got a few things. Boss man. I like that. The boss man. I knew, you, I knew you would. The check's in the mail. Or are you supposed to send me a check? <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. You guys brought up China. There is some uh, some news from China. UFO was actually seen hovering over East China. 
And this is just yeah, right, right off the presses. Uh, right on Wednesday evening, it caused a massive flight delay at the airport. And uh, it says here, after air traffic controllers shut down the airport for more than an hour, the China News Service reported Thursday that control tower officers detected an unidentified flying object in long-range visual instruments. Now, they immediately ordered the several incoming flights to land at the airport in the neighbor, uh, neighboring Ningbu and Wuxi, delaying passengers for nearly four hours, uh, the report said. That's pretty uh, amazing. I mean, this is something that delayed flights for nearly four hours. Uh, how much more, yeah. you know, credible do you need to get that there's something going on up there? And I just read an update just before we started on the show. Uh, a, a specialist in identifying aircraft says preliminary uh, his preliminary finding is that it is no known aircraft but it was definitely something and he's going to release mm -hmm. more uh, in the next couple of days yeah and what what what's salient about this is they said it's hovering and yet yes. if it's if it's stationary and hovering then uh, why couldn't they just route the traffic around it or just make the traffic aware of it? I mean, unless it was point, right but, in the but flight they, path. But they, were, but they were probably figuring that it, it could take off at any minute. They had no control or, or, or didn't know where it was yeah. going. You know, it, it could dart into the flight path at any time. Right. Just now, the email, I, the email I got about it had a photograph. Um, yeah, of course, I don't. I, I don't know for a fact that that's a photograph of that object. It could be just a photograph to go with the email. But uh, that photograph was done digitally, and it had um, motion streaks, like the camera was moving, trying to follow something. Mm. Although both the background and the object, both the background and the object had the same motion streak, so it could have been just shaky hand on the camera. And it was fairly low light, so that's that's when that uh, type of artifact occurs in a digital image. Right. Well, you know, it's it's, it's really interesting, but uh, I don't want to get my hopes up too much. Usually, I end up being disappointed. So. <laughs> well, here's one thing that caught me about the article that I read. It says the UFO could not be seen with the naked eye. It had to be spotted right. by, uh, with observation uh, devices. With, as, that's kind of to me. That's a little bit weird because I mean, if you can spot it with the naked eye, and people start looking through uh, different programs, sometimes you know a cloud shape is going to you know look like a UFO and you know in a certain spectrum on well, Photoshop. You know, my question, you start changing my, the reality my, of what's there. My question is, what were they looking for? <coughs> who, who brought it to their attention to go look through these special equipment? That's that's an excellent question. I mean. I mean, I mean who would look at a video there where there's there nothing there and start saying, start saying, wait a second, let's look at this in a different spectrum of light to see if there's a UFO. <laughs> right, there. right, right. There might be a UFO there. I mean, who, who comes up with however, that? However, however, I have over my years seen several pictures that were taken and the UFO wasn't in the picture that they knew of when they took it and when they got it uh, developed, it, it showed up in it. I have seen several like that are... That, 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 at least one I know of that seemed pretty reliable. So, well, yeah, no, the, I mean, I've heard you cases know, where people... Know. No, I've heard cases where people well, didn't just, see the I'm, object at first, but then they see the picture and they're like, oh, damn, look at that, we didn't see that. Uh, that's a different yeah, story. Right, you know? right. That's a different right. story. Yeah. Like, these like, folks, are, these like folks the are, are completely manipulating the image to see if something's there. Yeah, right. Like well, the one I saw, hey, you know, the one I saw 
uh, just appeared, and then, you know, it, I've always said it shot out of sight, but it might have just disappeared. You know what I'm saying? It's so all a matter of perspective. Um, uh, exactly. The other the other thing about airports looking for objects, they will look through image enhancer or image intensifiers, basically, to look for flights of flights of birds which don't have any beacons, don't have any strobe lights on, but they can really be a hazard aviation. So that's one of the tools they use. Uh, they don't use thermal imagers much because they're too expensive and a little, just a little bit of rain will keep them from seeing anything that might be out there. But the uh, image intensifiers, they'll pick up birds pretty well if there's any yeah. ambient light. So, but the image I saw, the image I got in the email was actually a color image and to the best of my knowledge, there's no true color image intensifier. It's all monochrome. But, to address your question of why would they even have that type of equipment, that's one reason they would have that type of equipment. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. Makes okay. Sense. <laughs> <laughs> Don't nobody go see something, you know, quickly now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't everybody try I'm to still, talk at once. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, I'm still li listening to what he said. <laughs> 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 no, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, uh, they would have that kind of equipment. But here, again, you know, like Dennis said, you know, why would they? Yeah, why? Why would they all of a sudden stuff, you know? look at? Yeah, in, in that one spot in the sky at that one time, and you know, it, it all adds up to. So, a large yeah, well, they, yeah. Okay. Well, they scan the sky China pretty of all places. And it has to be China, yeah. Well, yeah. you know. Yeah, let's call them up and call them up and do a live interview. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, now, know, hey, hey, are, hey, that, that guy Rosie O'Donnell in a lot of heat. Be careful with that. <laughs> you, you, you know, you know, there have been a lot of excellent reports and uh, several books on uh, UFOs in China that, especially, oh, were I'm released sure have, right yeah. after the war. Yeah. So, so why not China? You know, I mean. Well, I'm not saying not China. I'm just saying that I wouldn't know how to talk to him. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Well, exactly. you could go if you could go. You could go over there. I bet you and order a McDonald's just as easy as you can over here. Number two. Yeah, that's that's what you want to do uh, <laughs> when you want to go to McDonald's. You go to China. That's a good. Uh, that's where you want to get your McDonald's from. Hey, they got now, it. Now, my question would be: Is the is the beef really red meat? kind of meat is that <laughs> we are gonna get did, it into that. did it come with a long scaly tail <laughs> yeah, perhaps <laughs> oh man yeah what i need to china it's like don't drink the water out of mexico you know it's just not a good idea anyway that's right. enough bashing yeah. other countries for the night on sky watches radio we try <laughs> oh, not to bash other countries more, <laughs> <laughs> oh i can think of several here's countries a, a cool, bash, but yeah, well, yeah, yeah. well, everybody, if you got to uh, send some hate mail, please send it to rickosman at gmail.com. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. You know, I came over here with you guys to do a UFO show and well prepared to do one, and, and now you are going to end me back over there raving about something that, you know, nobody cares about but me. <laughs> <laughs> so, save it on Rick. There you go. <laughs> Might as well. Everything else yeah, gets, we always blame it on, gets on my plate. So. 
Yeah, Jesse ain't here, so I'll take it. How's that? <laughs> Rick's got so Rick's got so much on his plate he can't even use ketchup, man. That's right. <laughs> and I love ketchup. <laughs> oh man, that's anyway. disturbing. I can go so many pla- I can go so many places with that. But let's skip to the next story here, guys. I don't know if you heard about this <laughs> corn. The band Corn are going to play a big gig at the middle of a crop circle. Did you guys hear about this? No, I have not heard no. about. This. No, I hadn't heard that. One. Well, this is this is going to be the best. Th- this is going to be the best thing since crop circle beer. I'm sure. Probably. They're going to corn. Uh, it says here, corn are set corn. to stream. They're going to corn or the market. Yeah, they're great. That's a good one. Ah, oh, Dennis, Dennis, Dennis. That was a good one, though. i got to give him props. Corn uh, are set to stream a gig that they recently played into a crop, in a crop circle. The band uh, commissioned crop circle creator CircleMakers.org to create and make a crop circle near their hometown at Bakersfield in the U.S., and they will stream a performance that they recorded on their MySpace page on July 12th coming up, so it's only a few days away from now. Uh, so let, let, me, let, let, let me interrupt here. Let me, let me, let me interrupt here. Are you telling me oh, that me. there is a group that makes crop circles for you if you get in touch with them? For, yes. yes, for mining. For, for money? For, for some money. I'm in the wrong for, business. Man. Go ahead. Yes, you are. Court. I'm in the wrong <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you are, Dennis. And I'm going to quote here. It says, uh, the setting and the mood took us to, into a totally new direction musically. Frontman Jonathan Davis said, we took the opportunity to stretch out and experiment with the performance, and I don't think we'll ever be the same. Now, he added, we spent a lot of time <laughs> fooling around in the wheat field. This is, the, this is the funny part. It says, we spent a lot of time fooling around in the wheat fields and cornfields surrounding Baku uh, when we were kids, and it gets pretty spooky out there at night. That's where we got the inspiration for the whole thing, so we decided to have some fun with the viral videos. Uh, guitarist James Monkey Schaffer, and that's his name, I kid you guys not, James Monkey Schaffer, added... I yeah, felt like we were on some that. new frontier musically for corn. This is definitely going to add a new dimension to our live shows. The band had recently been releasing viral crop circle videos online, and you can watch them on this website, which I'm about to uh, post in the chat room here. That's a pretty interesting uh, marketing idea. I mean, they're obviously into ufology a little bit. They're into the UFO phenomenon. Uh, they're into the whole crop circle phenomenon. That's kind of cool, actually. I kind of dig that. And, I don't know. It's different. <laughs> yeah, it's different. Yeah, it's different. I'll say that much. But I, I still can't uh, get over the fact so, that there's a group that, that thought up the fact that they would make crop circles for people for money and are actually doing it. I just cannot. No, and check out the website, yeah. circlemakers.org. <laughs> <laughs> and the name, circlemakers.org. I mean, circlemakers.org. I wonder how they... Wonder, wonder I, how I could go so many places com. with that one. Wonder, wonder how <laughs> come they couldn't get to the .com. They, they, they must have a competitor at .com. It's got to be. I mean, come on. No, I think they're trying to show themselves, trying to <laughs> show themselves as a non-profit. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so I yeah, want to know where, where, do you, where do you... Where do you go to uh, get training for this endeavor, and uh, does it involve a certificate of completion, or do you have to take any math classes or any of that? 
<laughs> well, I don't know, man. I, I all I know is that I just became a certified ufologist with that uh, you know image of me, <laughs> that caricature. Uh, so whenever I get my yeah. ufology papers in the mail, I'm gonna go ahead. and I'm gonna start asking yeah. where the papers for the crop circles uh, handbook. No, that, that's like that's that. that 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 serologist. Serologist. Right. <laughs> okay. Serology. Spell it right. Spell that right or there'll be a blood doctor. Oh man, I'll be a blood doctor anyway. Welcome. Come check out Future Theater Radio, hosted by the wonderful Bill and Nancy Burns. If the name sounds familiar, that's because Bill Burns was the host of UFO Hunters on the History Channel, and Nancy Burns runs UFO Magazine at ufomag.com. They started up a new show produced by Land Land Fear called Future Theater. It started about a month and a half ago, and I gotta say, they are doing some amazing shows there. Fantastic interviews and just great information that they are getting out to the people. Their shows air live every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can tune in by going to futuretheater.com. All their past shows are there in the archives, so you got some catching up to do. Future Theater Radio is going to be the next big thing in paranormal and UFO radio. Don't miss out on this great opportunity to be with them from the start. I'm Jamie Havikin for Future Theater Radio. Take care and keep your eyes on the sky. This is Dr. David Lewis Anderson and you are listening to Sky Watchers Radio TV. To an end in 2012. Have aliens visited the Earth? Do ghosts haunt the living? Is time travel possible? Is there a government conspiracy to keep the dark truth hidden? Former Yahoo executive and lifelong student of the secret and suppressed Jesse Randolph asks the tough questions to bridge the gap between corporate America and new science. There are astronauts, and then there are euphonauts. Join Jesse Randolph in the truth journey, Saturday night, 9 to 10 on KPAM 860. <laughs>
check out the Reckoning Game Radio Show, aka Starship Smelling Prize, with your host, Captain Smell, so good, and international co-host, Cyanide, only on the Paranormal Suits Network. You should uh, not refresh, Dennis, because we're live on air back on Skywatchers Radio here on the Paranormal Soup Network. Guys, we had a little technical glitch with our server, and the show went down for a few minutes there. Sorry about that. I think the folks over in China got a little upset at Skywatchers nice. Radio for uh, oh, mocking their country. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what yeah. I mocked them not. I told you, that, that got uh, Rosie O'Donnell in all kinds of trouble there, and... Uh, you know, now it got us in a little bit yeah. deep, I think. Leaf, but we're back, guys, and we're joined, by, uh, we're joined by our guest here, Mr. Oro Shango. How you doing, bud? Yeah, hello, buddy. Hey, greetings to everybody. Glad to be on tonight. Now, you are the newest member of the Paranormal Soup Network, and I want to welcome you to, to the Paranormal Soup Network with all our friends here that are, are joining us here on the show. Welcome. Mr. Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> Thank you very much. I feel very welcome. I have, I have actually uh, known you a little while for, for a, a little bit longer, Jackal, and uh, always had uh, a lot of respect for everything you had to say. So it, this is exciting for me to, uh, it's kind of a step up for me, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's awesome. And we look forward to having you on the network here. And uh, you're going to be starting your show here probably in a week, right? Uh, yeah, we're we're putting it together right now, and uh, I'd like to get started uh, just quick as we can here. We have uh, a lot of big plans here. Nothing like enthusiasm. Yes, sir. Now tell us a little bit about what your show's going to be about, there, Odo. Okay, on uh, the name of our show is uh, we we call it Egun and then some at the present time. Uh, the word Egun uh, translates from the ancient language of Jeruba to ancestor and uh that's that's all part of uh our, we'll be on the spiritual side of things about half of the time and on the other half we do a, a modern uh mishmash of news uh local stuff going on here in our area because we do have a few people tuned in and we're hoping for a lot more tuned in here locally and then uh we also do uh world events you know like i said things in the news uh, and we, then we open up the phone lines uh, pretty much to anything anybody wants to talk about. Whatever the, we, we let the uh, audience pick the subject on a lot of a lot of nights. Part of the show. Wow, that sounds yeah, really awesome. good. Sounds like a that's, fun show. Yeah. Yep. And here, give us the, the name uh, of the show again one more time, so uh, guys could uh, learn it here and uh, know what the show's name is and to look for for it. Yeah, I was, it's Egun, it's spelled E-G-U-N. I'll put it in the chat room, too, in a minute. Yep. Uh, and then yep. some. Uh, I'm very proud of and the part of and then some, right, because that just opens the door for where we can do uh, pretty much anything that we please, and that's something that the wife and I, we planned this show actually from last November 2009 until March when we first did our first show, uh, the third weekend of March. So we we did it. Took a, a lot of time to plan it, and you know it wasn't just something we threw together overnight or anything. And so the the title was very important to us because, like I said, the first word egun has to do with our spirituality, and then the the rest of it, and then some, 
we decided to put that there and we always like to put the dot 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 also because yes. that means it's open to everything and uh right. we, we like to talk about a lot of different subjects and uh, do, you, do you excuse me for interrupting jacko but do, don't you have a website also yeah orochongo.com is the best place to find us www okay. Okay. yeah and all of our simulcasts are there for uh where, where we do our show now um Every every show is right there on the front page. Paula set that page up um, since we after we got our domain. She went ahead and put our archive page right there on the front, so people can scroll down. They can see what all of our shows are about. We just broke the sixty show mark, so I'm very proud of that I, that part too. Nice. Wow. Wow. Great man. Hey man, so I, I remember like my. I remember my first 50, 60 shows, man. That's awesome. When you get to that mark, you feel definitely like you accomplished something. Yeah. Oh, yes. We're looking forward to number 100. We've got a, a little contest oh, that's the best one we have oh. running right now for show number 100. The first person that calls in on the, on, on the 100th show, uh, we're going we're gonna to see to it that they uh, get $100 in their PayPal account. Oh, cool. Wow. Nice. Right. That's a good that's good. What number is that, and what time is it? And, what, and, and how do I get in there first? Let's see. You call, now, you, now you caught me. Now you caught me with my shirt off because I ain't got the, the calling number right directly in front of me. But I can have it up before we get the show over with here. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I got to be number one in that line. <laughs> well, the, the if, I get, if I if I, hey, if I can if I can get ahead of Jackal and Rick. Yeah. Well, the, no, the, the, the trick is I'll give you guys. I'll give you guys the trick and your listeners here uh, because the trick is to be sure and listen to the archives because we stopped announcing what the show number was quite a few shows ago. Ah, oh, cool, cool, cool. So people have to go back and check all the archives to figure out which show was the last one we said what the number was. Yeah, and I bet you couldn't talk you out of it with a burning stick in the eye. <laughs> well, that's probably what I'd get from the wife if I gave it to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, I want to welcome a, a listener to the show who's joining us. Her name is Jessica. She's a good friend of mine, and she's joining hey, the Jessica. show for the first time here. Hi, Jessica. Hey, Hi. Jessica. Well, welcome Jessica. to Sky Watchers Radio. Yes, welcome to Sky Watchers Radio. So that's cool, man. I'm I'm glad you're you're joining the uh, the team here on on you know Paranormal Soup Network. We have uh, we're building a pretty good roster. We got DCS, like I mentioned earlier, Miss Crystal Storm joining us as well, and Mr. Malkizadek is joining also, and that's a pretty good lineup we're putting together. It's going to be impressive. Now your yeah. show is going to be audio only at first, right? Yeah, we're going to start off with audio, but uh, Paul and I were just talking. By the way, let me introduce my co-host and producer. Uh, even though she's uh, she does, she still has that J O B thing, so she has to sleep at night. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, living uh, with the vampires. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, she, I wouldn't even know for sure if she let me in there after dark or not. So, <laughs> but her name is Paula, and uh, she's my lovely wife of 24 and a half years. We're getting ready to celebrate 25 years together here on the. Uh, 11th of January, so another little Wait, cool. little Wait, big cool. event. Congratulations. Hello, boss. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> Thank <Paula>. you. <laughs> well, she's in bed, but uh, she'll be, she said oh. she'd be sure to join us uh, as soon as, she's looking forward to getting together with everybody on uh, on this Ubu 
the new program we got here, she had everybody set up for friend invites on it. So <laughs> tomorrow that will take place. It's pretty handy for that. So, oh, um, yes. so you you started this in March. You said started actually right. broadcasting, and yep, you're, in you're doing four four nights a week right now. Right, it's uh, four nights a week. We're on at uh, 9 p.m. Um, I haven't heard anybody else mention the network we're on, so I'm not going to be the first. <laughs> uh, it's blah. It's blah, 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 blah radio. radio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, that radio. Well, he'll be that radio, free, it's, that, it's like a four, that, that radio name is like a four-letter word on our show. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I figured. So I figured we'll just let people surf. We'll just let people surf over and find us. We're really yeah, yeah, find on the internet. There you yeah. go. And you gave out your you gave out your website so they can find it from there. And hey, I really appreciate the opportunity for that because we are brand new in this, but we're looking forward. My wife and I run a tractor trailer team for ten years, and I've got a total of twenty seven years retired over the road. So. Um, we're looking forward to making this our new career. I bet you've seen some stuff. Yeah, I can tell you a story or two. <laughs> <laughs> you know the trick well, to actually, a truck driver story, though, right? Well, so what's that? If it starts off with, you're not going to believe this, S-H space T, then uh, that might be one that's just a trucker story, not one that really happened. Right. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I got I got one for you real quick. I hate to grab a couple of minutes, but I'm going to anyway. And it's really about a cowboy. And and there was this uh, this this ranch, and there was a sign on the fence of the ranch, and it said "Top Hand Needed." And this guy shows up, and he goes back and talks to the rancher, and he says, "Hey, I'm a top hand." And the the, the rancher looks him over and. He's a little suspicious. He says, well, uh, let's find out about that. So to make a long story short, he goes out. He's the best rider. He's the best roper. He's the best everything the guy's ever seen. When he gets done with all the testing, the guy goes, man, you know, I almost didn't hire you. And he goes, why is that? He said, well, when I looked down and saw those tennis shoes, where are your cowboy boots? He said, man, you want anybody to think I'm a trucker? <laughs> That's a good, that was well, good. If you got cowboy boots, if you got cowboy boots and you're in truck, you need the chain drive wallet to go with it. Yes. <laughs> but I will say this: driving or something like that is about the only comfortable way to wear cowboy boots, where you don't have to walk on them. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. And, and and I will say this too: that uh, I've been on the highway, broke down a couple of times, and truckers are definitely your friends. Oh yeah. Yep. I broke down uh, somewhere near Austin, Texas, but way up in the, in the place up there years ago. And a trucker stopped and took me into Austin, and I filled up my gas can, and he called ahead. Another trucker picked me up and took me right back to my car. Yeah, I've had people out like that before. That's the best way to get somebody. We do that for people simply because we don't like people out walking along the interstate. It's actually a really dangerous thing to do. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, it is, yeah. Right. Now, Otto, hey, guys, y'all going to let me here. do some of my U.S.? 
yeah, well, one quick question for uh, Mr. Shango before we, we get onto your UFO stuff there, Dennis. Uh, I want to ask him, you know, since he's been doing the show now for a few months, what's been the like the favorite subject that you've covered so far? Our favorite subject that we've covered so far, other than the spirituality, which that's always my favorite. I'm, I don't have any objectivity on that. But as far as everything else, I would have to say my favorite thing that I'm in, very interested in learning a lot more about is EVPs. Okay. Well, that actually, that's, that's interesting. That leads me to uh, my show tomorrow, which is going to be on Tenacity Radio. I'm, I'm having author Randall Keller who wrote the book, The Voices from Forever, about wow. EVPs. You couldn't keep me from that show. And, and yes. I'd, I'll be there in the front row on that show. <laughs> yeah, it ought to be great. But, spooky uh, book. Uh, I was looking at some of the stuff on there. It was kind of a, a spooky uh, book that he wrote on there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be uh, interested in seeing what he has uh up his arsenal. He's actually sent me a couple different uh, EVPs that I might play on the show tomorrow, so that's always cool. But Dennis, go ahead. I know you had a couple UFO-related stuff you wanted to get to tonight. All right. You, you mean I'm up? Oh, boy. You're next. Well, just, just for, turn, a, just come on, come on, ending, boy. You can do it. This is a little ending note here. <laughs> little ending, little well, ending first note. Off, first, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, this is an ending... This is this is an ending note. I, it's really uh, very synchronistic uh, that I'm on this show first because uh, I, there's quite a few members of my family, including myself, that have had multiple UFO sighting experiences. So ah, uh, cool. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward wait, to the content uh, of this show also. Well, you're hanging around, uh, right? Cool. Don't lie to me. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'll right. be here. Okay. Yep. Well, I'll be here. This, is, this is the uh, the second show we've done on Paranormal Soup Network. We've been doing a lot of shows in the past, and one thing that's great about this show is we like to have a lot of our guests uh, come out and you know tell their stories and let the audience decide whether is real or not real, whether they're lying or, or they're honest. And uh, that's you know the great thing about shows like ours is we you know give the audience that opportunity. And we've had some really great guests. Last week we had Jeff Woldwine on the show, and he's of, of course a very controversial figure in ufology and stuff. And you know we've we've had a bunch of good guests. In fact, we're gonna have Steve Bassett back on the show pretty soon, and he's of course legendary, Mr. Steve Bassett. Now you t- you said you yes. guys had some experiences yourself. Uh, what kind of uh, experiences have you heard of from your family? Oh, well, um, my, I have an uncle of mine and myself that share an experience. We lived, when I was a child, probably pre-teen, uh, probably 11 years old, I believe it was. And uh, my friend and I, we always liked to play outside. We, we had a game we called Carlite. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that, but Carlite was played by young kids in small rural towns where you stood outside around hanging out in the yard, in somebody's yard, and when a car would come by, the lights would shine, you know, once the headlights got to a certain place where they were shining on you, if, if the lights shined on you, you were out. And it was kind of like tag with car lights, with headlights. And so we were playing this one night, and there was a total of five of us standing in the yard that all saw this, me and four of my friends. And we live in a very mountainous area here in western Maryland, and the mountains are pretty close together in the small town that I grew up in. And this, an object passed over and stopped halfway between the two mountain peaks. And it seemed like it was really far away. 
when when we first noticed it. One kid noticed it, and he pointed out to the rest of us. And we were all standing there looking. It, it just seemed like a purple and white dot at first. And then, without even, a, within the blink of an eye, it was like it came from hovering way up above and came straight down. And it was, it was so detailed that we could see uh, it was a... I don't want to say saucer shape because that's just, you know, it's, it, it was close to saucer shape but more like a football. And the bottom of it looked kind of, it looked kind of like a blimp. And only the, the, the uh, material that it was made of, I could tell by looking at it. I remember this vividly from 11 years old. The material it was made of was, it didn't seem to me at that age to be anything that anybody on this planet could make. And it could, because of the way it, it glimmered and in the bottom part of it it was like there were it was these portals or windows and in the portals we could see the shapes of heads and two days later the, the five of us all got together and agreed that that's exactly what we saw and we were going to stick to that story and about a week and a half later my uncle who was the uh, um, superintendent of the United Methodist Church in town was at our house visiting my grandmother and he told a story about a similar sighting that happened on the exact same night and he lives about 30 miles away well so that that was my first first time ever seeing something in the sky that I couldn't identify wow uh, sounds similar to what I saw <laughs> okay well, it sounds like nothing uh, like what I saw, but it's a pretty amazing story. Well, the only what was the shape of the one the one that you saw? Like I said, it was, it was so similar to a football, but that's not really yep, a good exactly. representation. Was it's more like end, a flyer when, when you a say flyer a football, pot. when you but when you say a football, do you mean that the ends be, were more pointed than a football? That the ends no, came to more of a point. They weren't so much of a point as they went out in almost to a fine line and then kept going for a little while. Kind of like a piece of candy twisted up in a foil paper. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that didn't, that didn't exactly. Well, mine, mine looked like a football, only uh, real tapered ends with the, the lights you described going around it and no, no sound whatsoever. No, there was no sound, and, it, and once it came close, the light went from just the purple and white. It went to a green and a purple tint and that's what caught my attention about my uncle's story because at the age of 11 and he was kind of elderly at the time he wasn't really you know close in age to me like an uncle should be it was more more distant uh, age but being the superintendent of the Methodist Church and standing at my grandmother's house telling a story you know that made it seem just well if he saw it there's no way he could lie because he's Methodist. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's understood being from the South myself. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. That's amazing. I think we've all had pretty uh, clear experiences that kind of leave us understanding that there is definitely something going on beyond the norm. You know, I mean, whether there are government projects that we just don't know about or whether they're aliens from other planets, there are definitely stuff in the skies flying around that is not conventional aircraft. That much is well, you, you know, you, certain. You, you know what I always say? For those who don't believe in UFOs, I'll wave to you as we take off. There you go. <laughs> 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 
That's a good one. Now, guys, you know what really would suck, though, is uh, if a UFO finally does come down for the day of disclosure and it lands in the White House lawn and it's a huge mothership and out the gate of the mothership out comes this 25-foot Native American-looking alien. Yeah. And, he's, and he comes back to take his land. That would be just the worst that could happen, I think. You know, I, I don't think he'd want it. No, I think we pretty well destroyed it. You know? <laughs> okay, Jackal, now you now you really got got me thinking now. Uh, <laughs> hey, we can't hold it now. We can't have any thinking on this show. I had a dream. <laughs> Listen, check this out. Check out this dream. I had a dream about a year and a half ago. And I don't have very many really vivid dreams that I remember. But I had a dream about a year and a half ago of a spaceship just about like does it is anyone old enough to remember the old show ufo that was on tv yes yes remember how remember how really cool looking their ufos looked and sounded yes yeah well that, it was very, that hollywood. Kind of very, very hollywood yeah very much hollywood but very for the for special effects for that time it was very time, that was right 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 and I, it was that kind of UFO, and it came down. I don't remember what the area was, but I was standing on the ground watching it come down. And when it came down, the beam of light came out. And when the beam of light disappeared, the crying Indian from the old litter commercials was standing there crying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember. I, I, I almost remember his name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a weird. Um, <laughs> Um, shoot, now you got me thinking. Uh, again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, since since we got on to crying Indians, I almost had to cry today. I almost had to cry today at the news that uh, Roy Rogers' collection from the Roy Rogers Dale Evans Museum in Branson, Missouri, is going up for auction at Christie's, and they expect the stuffed trigger to to bring a hundred thousand dollars. Now, what's it got to do with UFOs? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Not a damn thing at all. But, but old shows well, and you know, you Indians, know, you know, yeah. you know, you know. I, I like Roy Rogers. I mean, Benji brought the subject up, but uh, but Gene Autry's horse champion was smarter because he could shoot a pistol. Yeah, That's right. Yep, he did. Anyway, are y'all going to let me give out this UFO stuff, or are y'all just going to let me go to sleep with it? Well, we're, we're here waiting. You hear the uncomfortable think, silence then, there for okay, two seconds? Okay, okay. First, 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 look, first, first thing out of the Get it out, Dennis. Come on. You the can do time. It. I can try anyway. If, I don't, if nobody likes it, that don't matter. Uh, this is out from Time, uh, from Time, which is in partnership with CNN, by the way. And the top out of the top ten quirky local festivals was number two, the one that happened the Fourth of July weekend this past weekend, the Roswell UFO Festival. And they say each year over the Fourth of July, aliens descend upon Roswell, New Mexico. There are aliens with cone heads and ones with four legs. Aliens that would frighten small children and even extraterrestrial beauty queens. The Roswell USO Festival celebrates one of the most debated incidents in history, an alleged flying saucer crash landing 30 miles outside the town 
in July 1947. It's been more than 60 years and questions still remain. Either way, the festival doesn't discriminate. Organizers welcome alien enthusiasts and skeptics alike to partake in a continued contest and a host of activities, including talks with alien experts and authors, live entertainment, and a parade. So you guys in Rodwell, you're messing up. You're only number two. We want to see you number one yet here of the top ten festivals. Okay, that's, uh, that's, that's that one. Here's a good one. This is out of the Telegraph out of UK. All right. Uh, EK call for X-Files archive of UFO sightings. A European Union lawmaker has called on members, member governments to open their secret files on UFOs saying people need to know about close encounters of the third kind. This was posted 6 July 2010, yesterday. And uh, I'm not even going to try his name, but his first name is Mario. An Italian member of the European Parliament said that the EU needed its own X-Files archive where anyone could see information on UFOs including data gathered by the military. Mr. I'm going to try it this time, Bargizoio <laughs> said all European governments should go public and stop what he called a systematic cover-up. Opening the files is not precedented. Last year, Britain published 4,000 papers online on 800 alleged encounters with aliens during the 1980s and 1990s. And over the past three years, the Ministry of Defense has been gradually releasing previously secret UFO papers after facing freedom of information demands. Uh, the gentleman also said it was essential to have a scientific center to research unidentified flying objects. Its investigation could have, quote, major scientific and te technology spinoffs, end quote, he said. I think that using the principle of transparency, the EU member states have a duty to make public and available to all scientific aid data on UFOs, which today are partially or wholly withheld, he said. He is speaking the support of other lawmakers from the 736th Member Assembly for a statement calling on government act. 736 members. Here's the bottom line. So far, though, he's collected only 18 signatures. <laughs> okay. Sorry, we really uh, what stands out of that story is uh, an Italian named Mario. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, mean, I thought about that too, and I thought about the fact that it was the Italians, you know. But still, it's, that, it's the EU. <laughs> I think of the game, you know, the Mario. Why do we end up making fun of people? Let's not do that. <laughs> this is. <from> <laughs> This is from the Fowler's Files, number 28, 2010, and this comes from the, the great UFOlogist, George A. Fowler. He's the MUFON Eastern Region Director. I know you guys know what I think about MUFON, but George is a very good man, been supplying me with information for years, and he's just above the crop. If you want to get on his list, and I highly recommend it, he puts out the Fowler's Files about every two weeks, and he has a listing of almost every UFO that's seen uh, that's been reported to MUFON uh, for that two weeks. So you, you can get his, his uh, filers file from, from writing him at Major Star, M-A-J-O-R-S-T-A-R, at Verizon.net. 
and I'll give that out again after I get through playing with his report. This is his report from July 7, 2010. And uh, by the way, uh, Mr. Filer was a was became interested in uh, UFOs after uh, he was. Uh, he, he said I personally became interested in UFO when London Control ordered me to intercept one over England while flying for the U.S. Air Force. So this uh, this this man is a real the real real thing. Anyway, the real this is his uh, first. He is yeah. yeah he's 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 a real uh, what do they call him? Top pirates. Anyway, he's yeah. he's up there. And a good friend. Anyway, this is his special report. Uh, I can't read the whole thing because it would take up more than the two hours we got. You guys want to get it? I gave you the address. Why did UFOs? Why? I mean, this is a special report from him. Why are UFOs a ridicule? At a certain level of government, it seems the report of UFOs, rather than the UFOs themselves, re were regarded as a threat to national security. After World War II, operators who literally plugged you in when making a phone call handled telephone calls. The government became concerned that our phone system was being overrun by UFO reports. On September 24, 1952, H. Marshall Chadro Chadwell wrote a memo to CIA Director Walter Smith stating, quote, I'm concerned that large numbers of phone calls, a huge volume of letters and press releases, ATIC, Air Technical Intelligence Center, had received 1,500 official UFO reports since 1947 and 250 reports in July alone. That the public concerns with the phenomena which is reflected in both the U.S. press and the pressure of inquiry upon the Air Force indicates that a fair proportion of our population is mentally conditioned to, to, the, to the acceptance of the incredible. In this fact lies the potential for creating mass hysteria and panic. The USSR is credited with the present capacity of delivering an air attack against the United States. Yet at any given moment now, there may be current a dozen official unidentified sightings plus many unofficial ones. At any moment of attack, we are now in a position where we cannot, on an instant basis, distinguish hardware from phantom. And as the tension mounts, we will run the increasing risk of false alerts and the ever greater danger of falsely identifying the real as phantom. What can be done to stop people from reporting UFOs? The Robinson panel was convened by the CIA to discuss the problem during uh, January 14th to 17th, 1953. The panel concluded UFOs were not a threat, but that the continued emphasis on the reporting of this phenomenon does, in these perilous times, result in a threat to the orderly functioning of the protective organs of the body politic. This threat involved the clogging of communication channels with UFO reports, the, the cultivation of a morbid national philosophy, uh, psychology in which skillful hospital propaganda could induce hysterical behavior and harmful dis distrust of duty constituted authority. Consequently, the panel recommended that, quote, the national security agencies take immediate steps to strip the UFOs of the special status they have been given and the uh, era of mystery they have unfortunately required. The method predicted was debunking UFOs. Here's the panel's debunking strategy for some, for some of the top scientific minds in the government 
such as Nobel Prize winner in physics, Dr. Luis Alvarez, Dr. Lloyd Burton, the director of the Brookhaven National Laboratories, and Chairman Dr. H.P. Robinson, director of weapon systems evaluation at the Secretary of Defense. The debunking aim would result in redu reduction in public interest in flying saucers, which today evokes a strong psychological reaction. This education could be accompanied by mass media such as television, motion pictures, and popular articles. Basis of such education would be actual case histories, which had been puzzled at first but later explained. As in the case of conjuring tricks, there is much stimulation if the secret is known. Such a program would tend to reduce the per gullibility of the public and consequently the susceptibility of evil hostile propaganda. Dr. Edward Condor's scientific study of unidentified flying objects, page 915-916. Editor's note, essentially belittling and propaganda techniques were used to debunk the reality of UFOs in order to help protect the United States and other countries. <coughs> propaganda that could induce hysterical behavior and clog communication channels. Robinson panel was still putting a negative spin on UF news at least 13 years after the panel met. So I thought that was a little piece of history that ought to be brought up. And I oh, want yeah. to thank I want to thank George A. Fowler, uh, the MUFON Eastern Regional Director and a friend been corresponding with for years. If you guys want to get his files every couple of weeks, uh, you can go to get in touch with him at Major Star, M A J O R Star at Verizon.network. Anyway, uh, George A. Fi I, I can't read, like I said, I can't read his old, old report. It would take a long time. You guys need to get it yourselves. But for instance, he starts off his report, every, every report, with where. UFOs have been uh, seen that in, in the past two weeks, and it's surprising. Of course, remember these are uninvestigated reports, raw reports. Uh, but anyway, he, he says unidentified aerial phenomena sightings in the last two weeks were over Arizona, Arkansas, California, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, Mississippi, New Jersey, New York. Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Texas, Virginia, and Wisconsin. Sightings of UFOs also occurred in Canada, China, Dominican Republic, Hungary, Poland, Spain, and the United Kingdom. <laughs> United Kingdom. So there you go. Uh, wow. That's from George. Now, if you want to go a little so, bit you know, historical they're, they're, here, Dennis, uh, I, got, I got a story for you. Did you ever uh, read up on Bobby Kennedy and uh, the UFO report uh, that he was involved in? Yeah, you know, I, I remember reading that years ago, but you'll have to refresh our, my memory whenever, as you tell everybody else because I do remember a report about him, but I don't remember any details. Well, in, in recent uh, rediscovered videotaped interviews with uh, Colonel Philip J. Corso done by uh, Muritsu Bayata, I believe is the name, in, in uh, Rome, back in July of 1997, the colonel reveals that he had personally briefed Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy in the early 60s about the result of his uh, top-secret work of bringing pieces of the Roswell UFO crash to be selected uh, to selected companies in the military-industrial complex for developing and adapting the alien technology. 
Uh, you can watch actual video clips at, uh, on a website here I'm going to post in a couple minutes as President Kennedy's younger brother, Bobby, Bobby Kennedy, was not only the Attorney General, but also JFK's most trusted advisor at the time. A, uh, now this, mind you, this is a year after JFK's assassination. Uh, he was uh, selected Senator for the state of New York in November 1964, where he soon became a prominent political figure uh, because of his charisma, as everybody knows the Kennedy name as well helped. You know, being a Kennedy in politics helps you guys. Uh, he probably would have actually had become president if, if not for the fact that he was assassinated like his brother in a very tragic way uh, in Los Angeles, uh, California. Actually, it was, I believe, in the Ambassador Hotel uh, where he was murdered yep. in Los Angeles, California back in 1968. Yes, it was. Um, it says right. here, we only have Corso's testimony for this briefing, so we made a thorough search of the public records to see if uh, there were any clues about Bobby Kennedy and the UFO subject. Ironically, the best-known document uh, where he expressed a strong belief in UFOs, a letter uh, to ufologist Gary Barker, dated back May 9th, 1968. Uh, maybe it might be a forgery. They say here that you know they're not sure if it's a legitimate copy, but they have a photo of the uh, supposed letter. Uh, it says here we'll discuss our research with this uh, letter later on, but let's let's uh, first look at the letter written by Senator Kennedy in 1965 and 1966. Here, let me post the link so you guys can see what I'm talking about. Now this is yeah. Really well, if it's if it came from Gray Barker, it, it has a little bit of a taint to it. <laughs> You've got to watch yeah. out for anything from Gray Barker. In fact, for Where instance, I was, for instance, I was just rereading uh, his best friend's book, who's also a very good friend of mine, as you guys know, James Mosley, and I was reading yes. his UFO book, UFO Crash uh, Secrets. And, uh, well, let's just say he's got some claims about the men in black and uh, their visitor to, to uh, uh, Bender, Albert K. Bender, uh, that we need to get him on the show, one of these shows, and talk about it, if I can get him on the show again. But uh, Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, it, 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 it's pretty much known that, that a lot of the stuff that Gray Barker was involved in were, were hoaxes. Well, that's one thing that the, the article here brings up. It could be a forgery, uh, the document here. And it's pretty interesting, though. I mean, if it's not a forgery, uh, it would make sense why uh, the Kennedy brothers were assassinated back in, in their day when they were killed. Uh, remember, that's when the top secret stuff started happening with, with UFOs. If these guys were trying to get to the, you know, to the secret and try to uncover what was going on, uh, might be a reason why they were killed. I could add to it, but it, yeah, most likely it is for Yeah, but that's a stretch. That's a stretch. So that's a stretch. Yeah, well, it is a stretch. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's not more of a stretch than one bullet killing the president and shooting him like what five times. Well, now that is that yeah. is that is an impossibility. <laughs> and every time I see that idiot Alan Specter on the TV, I want to jump up there and choke him because he's yeah. the one that put that before us. And uh, that is the most ridiculous thing in any conspiracy book that I've ever read. Yeah. Magic bullet theory. Come on now. Yeah. Seriously. Uh -huh. yeah. One bullet, right, yeah. Yeah, and then and, and then it came out pristine laying on the uh on the stretcher and nobody spotted it. Yeah. yeah. Until after Jack Ruby walked by. And it didn't have any blood on it or any trace of No, no, tissue. it was pristine. It didn't yeah. even have plier marks where it was pulled out of the damn uh, cartridge, you know. 
Which well, that's, that's because it was a new bullet out of the box that somebody had been <laughs> trying to reload. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right. Uh, you're a oh, well, uh, Mr. Oz. We don't have enough time on this show to solve all the problems. Uh, uh, you know, I, I just was, uh, today I, I was doing some research and I happened to run across Bobby Kennedy, me and y'all brought him up, and Chip and Seems that he really liked to tell jokes about, he, he used to ask people, you got any new Chippendale jokes? And he'd save them up and tell them at parties. And of course, he <laughs> named his car Splash, you know. So this guy had a hell of a sense of humor. I thought that was Teddy Kennedy named his car Teddy Splash. Teddy Kennedy, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Teddy, Teddy Kennedy, he also was the one that liked to tell those, those type of jokes. Yeah. It's amazing how different uh, America would have been if uh, you know if President Kennedy would not have been killed, and I uh, would have you know completed. We would have had a dynasty. We, we would have had a, we would have had a dynasty. That we would have had a good. dynasty yeah. of all three brothers, and and that's what that, somewhere along the line that was part of why they were stopped. I believe. You think really? Instead, yeah. instead wow. we got instead we got the bankers' friends. Yeah, yeah. And they don't get me started on the Kennedy assassination because that goes a whole different direction than UFOs. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh, really? I don't. But, but well, what you got? Let's get you started got, on the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> yeah, let, what you okay. got? What you? Hey, what you've got to realize with with us on all of our shows, no matter what the subject matter, we certainly can find other subject matter to take to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Be, because number one. That. Because number one. Something I've been saying for thirty years. It's all connected. So, yeah. you know, you can't talk about one without the other. That's exactly right. But uh, to get me started on the Kennedy assassination, I, I I can begin simply by saying anybody that hasn't been to the spot where he was assassinated needs to go and have a look at the obelisk that is on the street corner right beside there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that'll tell you exactly well, you know, who's responsible. It's, 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 you, they rub our nose in the fact that they took him out by putting yes, that on they, they rub their nose in the fact they took our money and everything else. But you know what's interesting yeah. is when Kennedy was assassinated, you know what's interesting is, is when Kennedy was assassinated, I happened to have been in a foreign country. I was down in Panama and uh, in the Army. And so when Kennedy was assassinated, all my feedback came from Panamanians, and they just automatically assumed that our country had had a coup, and that's what happened. But in the yeah, United yeah. States, they were watching 24-hour-7 of what the TV channels were telling them, and they never saw it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and and there's a lot of people that say I'm I'm I might be doing the wrong or saying the wrong thing whenever I bring up the big I word. You know what the big I word is, right? Yeah, the uh, Illuminati. But, uh, Illuminati, oh, yeah. yeah. Immigration. Yeah. Immigration. We can talk about that, too, if you want, Jack. Uh, but um, Yeah, no, I can somehow I'll mix that, that into stuff. UFOs also, believe me. Yeah. Well, actually, the immigration, <laughs> thing, the immigration thing is tied into the Illuminati thing in quite a few different ways. Oh, sure it is. Oh, yeah. But the, uh, yeah. you know, the whole immigration thing is, is about aliens, of course, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's also uh, about, it's also, it's also about the Illuminati and, and the, and the trilateralist plan. Yes, it is. 
We were we were talking. We didn't know how we didn't know how they were doing it. But 20 years ago, in meetings with Bo Grass, we were talking about they were going to have to bring down the American education and economy and bring the Mexican up in order to form their their happy little world. And uh, which one's easier to do to bring the Mexican economy and 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 uh, educational level up or to bring ours down? And that's what it's all about. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You got to bring it's all about. I mean, I've got I've got a book from the Trilaterals Committee from from years ago where they had a meeting about all this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In those words, they don't even hide it. They don't um, hide it. No. And you can go you can go get you can get one copy. Well, I don't know if they still do it, but you can get the current copy of their 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 hand their. Uh, their inside stuff free one time once you're on their list that's all uh, and and all you got to do is read one copy you know you can get the trilateralists and and the uh, and the uh, uh, council on foreign relations you can write to them tell them you want a copy of it to see what they do and they'll send you a copy and it will freak you out I don't care what point in history you get you'll be seeing the future and here's a question for you guys, and, I, and I've never really asked you guys this. Uh, you know, I, I keep hearing a lot of uh, people, you know, speak negatively of the Illuminati and the New World Order for many, many years now. I've heard a lot of negative stuff about these folks, but let me ask you a question. What would be really the downside to a one-world government? I mean, in all honesty. Well, there is no local well, rule. Major loss of freedom that we have in this country that there's been millions of lives lost to get. Yeah, you know, let me explain. Let me explain something. Let's look at it from the point of view that the, the type of government that it looks like they're trying to build is a worldwide American-style government. No, like no, no, it's, it's a socialist not. government. It's a socialist the, government. You know, let me, let me just say one thing. Let me, first of all, first of all, they let don't me. have a constitution for this so-called government. They don't have oh, yes, a constitution. They do. They do. No, they, they, have do. they got a UN. They got a UN constitution. That's a scary piece of shit. That yes, is. It is. It's scary. And that's saying it really nice. You know let me I mean? just let me just let me let me throw something in here. It just happens that my neighbor behind me, and if he could speak plainer English, I would love to get him on the show. He uh, he escaped from uh, uh, he escaped from Russia over the wall. He didn't wait till he could come. He escaped from Russia over the wall. And then he worked for 10 or 12 years to, to become a legal, you know, come into the United States legally and then become a citizen and all that. Well, he had a flat, uh, I mean, a, uh, his battery went out yesterday, and I drove him over to the to pick it up. And I said, uh, well, what do you think about everything that's going on? And he says, you know what? He said, I fought and worked my head off to get out of that country to become a legal citizen of this country. And he said, and now... Their system is following me here. He said, everything I'm watching. I said, yeah. I said, well, you know, if they get into medical, I said, if they get into medical, we'll have long lines. He said, long lines ain't the problem. He says, what happens is the government ends up controlling what doctors are paid, and a meat market butcher can make more, so they get a lower-class doctor, and it ends up that when you go to the doctor, he doesn't know whether you have a cold or cancer. Well, so that's I, the thing right there. The question that the question that Jack will ask, all you got to do is ask somebody that is legally legally in this country. 
especially yeah, like that story where yeah, they're from really use, They don't explain these. Yeah, but you can't really use a, a third world country as an example. We're talking about, you know, in the future here. If, uh, the, the Russia, we're not talking about That's what we're hold, saying. Hold on. If no, we go on. to a one if world government, we're going to be third world. Hold on. That's right, because they've they they got world to drive. Government, guys, hold on. Hold on, guys. A one world government type of rule has never been used before. So this would be completely brand new. This has never been done. So you can't really compare it. See, I, I, just, see, I disagree with that. <laughs> I disagree with all, that. I think world world one world government has been done before, and that's, I believe, when civilizations end up falling. Yes. And, 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 and many attempts at it. Just look at the to, ones that have tried it in the past. They're the ones, the ones that have thought that there needed to be one world order. You want a few names, I can start with Hitler and Mussolini. Yes. No, but see, Hitler was... Yeah, but that was all, that was all just... That was, all that was test. All that, all that was test. If you look at, if you look at history... Yeah, but Hitler if, was trying. Well, if you look at he, history, he was trying to manipulate. Okay, one at a time. A master race. Hitler was trying to do a master race. That's a completely different story altogether. We're not talking about a master Hitler, race. Hitler, Hitler, about, uh, no, Hitler. No, he wanted a master race to control the population of the world. The master yes. race was going to be the ones that were going to be in charge. But but the well, talk actually it is with a new world order. Okay, yeah, what yeah, you got to do? Is, what you got to exactly do? Exactly that, Jackal. It's exactly you have to track. Because. You have to track. You have to track the money, and if you track the money, you will find out that the uh, the, the communist experiment in Russia, and the the uh, Nazi experiment in Hitler, and the democracy experiment in the United States are all financed by the same people. That's right. Exactly. And who are these people? So they, people they, don't care one way or the other about any of us. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Now, and just and, and just like you said, and just like you said, the bottom one at a time, guys. One at a time. Yeah. My bottom line is it's all about uh, it's all about money. That's really the bottom line. It's all about oh, yes. money. They're gonna, oh, as course. long as they're making money, I, I don't think it's as evil of a scheme as everybody's making it out to be. The, they're going to either but, reinvent but see, this economy. Hold on, let me, let me finish here, guys. No, they're guys. They're either going to reinvent this economy with a new form of dollar, with a new currency, to try to you know fix their mistakes. But at the end of the day, as long as it's, you know they're getting paid and they have money in the bank, that's all I think a lot of these people care about. I think it's mostly uh, a way for them to you know make more money and keep themselves living a nice life. Actually, actually, it's power. They've got the money. It's power that they care about. But you, right. you, you, no. said, you, you, you have actually hit. You have actually hit it on the head, Jacqueline. You're not even realizing it. Like oh, you know said, it. Cuba, Cuba, Cuba is the example of socialism and that is what they plan and then and that is just like they let hitler paid him to do his example of his style and they they gave the russians uh the money to do it their way and this country to do it our way they also set up cuba to show how it would work that way and that's their aim and guess what doesn't work at all worldwide cuba the yeah worldwide you think Hey, Jackal, do you think that there really can be a possibility of the utopia that you're thinking of? Not at all. And that's what you're describing. The, right. the, the one world yeah. order, the one I'm playing, world order I'm playing, that you would like to I'm see. Playing, uh, I'm, I'm playing like a devil's advocate here, guys. I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah, I'm asking you the what yeah. if. Uh, why is yes, he is because a negative thing? And, and here's the thing. I completely agree because I've mentioned before about Cuba being a testing ground 
for this kind of thing. Right. I don't believe really that's what's going on there. But here, at the yeah, end of the day, here's the thing: what is the alternatives? The alternatives is, is or are, uh, you know, reelecting other people NRG, that are not going to go down this route. But who can we trust? That's, that's the right. problem. They're, we can't trust anybody. Doesn't matter who you reelect, and they're all part of the same plan. So really, at the end of the day, we all just sit back and just uh, we have to write it out. There's really nothing no, we can we, possibly we, do. Well, yeah, yeah actually, there's a lot of things you could do. There are a lot of things. The first thing, but the the very first thing and the easiest thing we can do is with the fair tax, and that's get the money that goes to the government under the control of the people and not the control of the government and that's what the fair tax will do and it's setting up there right now with 45 or so sponsors and everybody just has to write their senators and congressmen and say look i only care about one thing right now and that's that you pass the fair tax that's the only way it's going to happen and that well, will make a change a big change it, that will make a change but that's not the first thing that needs to be fixed the first thing that needs to be fixed is this country needs to be put back on the gold standard in some form. Our money yes. needs to be worth well, something again before we that, can that, fix anything. That, that, that goes along yeah. with it, but they've got to get rid of that IRS and the taxation, which, uh, you know, like small business right now, counting all their taxes, are paying 55% taxes. Why are they going to hire more people to pay more Social Security for them? Well, there's, there's the, the IRS thing about the IRS going away. That's easy. We can get rid of them the same way as we can get rid of a bad politician. Power of the people. That's right. And 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 the fair tax would do it because it would take the money out of their hands and put it in the hands of the consumer. And the consumer could make the decision on whether he wanted to spend or save. And 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 they wouldn't. He would. They wouldn't automatically get their money to spend however they wanted. Right. The. Uh Back to the one world government and its aims, you can go through and you can look at the construction of the United Nations. And what you will see is they pass the power around on a timely basis. As an example, at the very time that the U.S. was invading Iraq, the members of the Nuclear Regulatory Committee were in the eyes so I both Iraq and Iran sat on that board right so uh, and it was and it was timed wonderfully for that so who sets that up well that would be the Council for foreign relations That's go right. look it up That's right. <laughs> go look it up I just want to say one thing about the Council on Foreign Relations. Back when I started, of course, like a lot of people know that know me, my grandfather told me about this stuff in 1963, about what was going on in the country and what was going to happen with the Federal Reserve and all that. And back in those days, uh, it, it, you, know, it didn't, it, you, couldn't, you couldn't see it as well as you can see it today. But right now you can just see where we're heading. Totally. Yeah. Oh, and what I was going to say about the Council on Foreign Relations, the Council, I was going to say Council on Foreign Relations, what I was going to say about them is that, is that their plan was the New World Order, and then in 72, I believe it was, of a President, of President Carter uh, 
uh, David Rockefeller, notice how his name always comes up, and Brzezinski, who is, uh, I believe, on Obama's team right now, uh, yep. they all got together and formed the Trilateral Commission, which said that, hey, people are not going to go for a one-world order until we even out the economic and educational levels of the people. So what we need to do first is we need to create three three places. We need to create the 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 European Union, the Asian Union, and the Nor and and the Nor and the, and the American Union, and and form three different hemispherical uh, areas, and then make them all become equally, and then we'll be able to push through our new world order. So the plan is going uh, with those two, and and the, and the Council on Foreign Relations back in the days I started studying was a be quiet, top secret, never be out front. Entity. Now you see them on television as advisors. Yeah, well, there's one big flaw in that plan, okay? There's one huge flaw in that entire plan. They didn't include Africa at all, okay? I know. I know it. I know. <laughs> A half a billion people, some of the greatest natural resources on this planet, and... Uh, Most of the natural resources of this planet. Yes. Almost all of them can be found in Africa. Yes, mm -hmm. and the greatest numbers too, as as well, right. with a few exceptions. But and also top scientists. Yeah, sure. But the uh, that's part of the natural resources, actually. Right, uh, right. But the the biggest thing in Africa now is the same as it's been for four hundred years. People ignore it. Even the Council for Foreign Relations ignore it. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. We got some genocide going on. We got to do something to look good. Um, well, that, that might be their downfall. I'm hoping. <laughs> I am hoping. Now, my, my question is, how did a man like David Rockefeller get so powerful in this whole situation? Because he was he was born it's, incredibly rich. For one it started yeah. with his you know, with his it started with his, his uh, uh, father and grandfather wow. with Standard Oil, and the way Standard Oil was built was at gunpoint. Standard Oil wanted your, if Standard Oil wanted your oil field and you wouldn't sell out at their price, they just sent thugs over who took it away from you. And, and then they built up control in the government to, to help them with that. And, uh, you know, they, the Rockefellers are nothing but the, uh, the, the, what do we call them, the, uh, the, money, the money men for the Rothschilds. So their connections to Rothschild gave them... That, you know, worldwide money they're, supply. They're, they're, their connection to the Rothschild means that their their connection to the Rothschilds means that their first or their last name really starts with an I. Yeah, hold on just a minute. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I've been looking up of, of David Rockefeller information, and he's 95 years old, so he's not going to be around for much longer. And he has a few kids: David Jr., Abby, Lee, Neva, and I'm sure they has. You know, grandchildren, but he says his net worth is $2.9 billion. Now, surely uh, there's guys that have more money than David Rockefeller. Well, listen oh, yeah. to this. So listen, listen to this. Why listen to this. So listen to this. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you, okay? Uh, this is from a very well researched book called Final Warning by David Ivan Riviera, who he died Great recently, book. unfortunately. But uh, listen to this. 
Altogether, the Rockefeller family have been joined in marriage to the Stillman, Dodge, McAlphin, McCormick, Carnegie, and Aldridge family fortunes, and its wealth has been estimated to be well over $2 billion. Some estimates even claim it to be as high as $20 billion. To compare, John Paul Getty, Howard Hughes, and H.L. Hunt had fortunes between $2.4 billion, and the DuPonts and Mellons had fortunes between $3.5. Part of the Rockefeller's financial holdings consist of real estate, foremost being the 4,120-acre family estate at Pocantico Hills, north of New York City, which has 70 miles of private roads, 75 buildings, an underground archive, and, and close to 500 servants, guards, gardeners, and chauffeurs. They also mained over 100 residences in all parts of the world. Besides investments held in personal trust, the family held stock in numerous countries. Some of the major holdings, Chase Manhattan Bank, American Telephone and Telegraph, Eastman Kodak, IBM, General Electric, Texas Instruments, Xerox, Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, Monsanto Chemical, Aluminum Company of America, Alcoa, Armor, Bethlehem Steel, Chrysler, DuPont, General Motors, International Paper, Polaroid, Sears and Roebuck, Standard Oil of California, Standard Oil of New York, Standard Oil of Indiana, U.S. Steel International, Basic Economic Corporation, International Harvester, Quaker Oats, Wheeling, Pennsylvania Steel, ITEC, Federal Department Stores, Walgreen Stores, Transcontinental Gas Pipeline, Consolidated Edison, Anaconda Copper Company, General Foods, Pan American World Airways, Colgate Palmolive, E.L. DuPont, Denors, uh, W.R. Grace Incorporated, Corning Glass Works, Owens Corning, Fiberglass, Cummings Engine, Hewitt Packard, R.R. Downey & Son, Dow Chemical, Teledyne Incorporated, Warner Lampert, Westinghouse, International Telephone and Telegraph, IT&T, Motorola, SS Craig, Texaco, National Cash Rester, Avon, American Home Products, Dell, uh, Delta Airlines, Braniff Airlines, Northwest Airlines, United Airlines, and Bur Burlington Industries. The financial core of the family, one, one more little thing, the financial core of the family fortune includes the Chase Manhattan Bank, Citicorp, which grew out of the Rockefeller-controlled First National City Bank, the Chemical Bank of New York, First National Bank of Chicago, Metropolitan Equitable, New York Mutual Life Insurance. So then you want to know why they got any power? <laughs> yeah, and then you think that there are government? So it doesn't answer the question, why would the government rely so much on information, uh, you know, with, the, with these folks? I mean, I'm sure there are other... Tycoons who you know are also well, well, well. You know, uh, okay. Well, why why does the, the Rockefellers get all like the the, the okay. press? Is what I'm saying. Let why, me say. Let me show you about them? They're not the me, only okay. billionaire. They're not the only billionaire but, tycoons but, in the oil industry who I'm sure have their their you know hands in the pockets of the you know the government people. Now, why are they the ones that get right. all the press? Why do everybody? Okay. okay. Well, let I me have, say. Quit, quit asking, and I'll tell you. Quit asking, I'll show you an example. Okay. Every president. Every president since the know. Kennedy assassination, every president since the Kennedy assassination has gotten the okay from David Rockefeller. Nixon, Nixon lived in the Rockefeller apartment in New York while he went to college. Uh, Carter, yep. 
uh, went before J Rockefeller before they gave the nod that he could uh, join and he's involved with the Trilateral Commission with David Rockefeller. Uh, 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 each one of them, right, each one Dennis, of them, the only Dennis, one that had no me, connection. You're telling, me, you're telling me stuff that they've done and given okays to, but you're still not telling me why do these two Okay, I'll tell you why. Up? I'll tell you. I'm actually trying to get to something. Okay. I'm trying to see how long it's going to take. If you'll be quiet, <laughs> if you'll be quiet, it won't take but just a second. Let's see if you let's see if you're with this. It's not because they have the money. It's because they control the money. They own the money. They own That's the right. money of the whole world. The Illuminati owns the money and controls everybody on this planet, including all of the governments now, of every nation. Right. That's what I'm talking and about. Now, this is where I'm going with the Illuminati. The Rockefeller's names have been German. mentioned. Check it out. The Illuminati was a name used by a German sect that was existed <laughs> in the 15th century, as you guys know. They practiced the occult yep. and professed and, po yep. and, possessed, uh, and, and tried to possess the light, as it was called, which was, of course, what Lucifer had. Uh, retained when he became Satan. No, now, no, 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 well, no, 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 not accurate at now. all. What oh, you're reading now is a bluff. Hold on. Let me it's not accurate at all. No, okay, it isn't accurate. It isn't accurate. Hold on. Well, the, the whole connection here is they're connecting the Illuminati, the Rothschilds, and the Rockefellers through the worshipping of Lucifer. <laughs> That's <laughs> bullshit. That's what everybody says. That's what everybody says that the Illuminati is. Wait a minute. They're devil worshippers. Wait a minute. It, no, goes, no, it goes no, deeper than it goes a lot deeper than the devil. It goes as far deep as the Freemason. <laughs> you want okay, to? You want to find out? The Look, the Freemasons are a bunch of Boy Scouts, idiots. They're nothing. Uh, I'm tired of people talking about the Freemasons. Yeah, like under the thirty-third degree. They're, under the thirty-third degree, they're Boy Scouts. Under the thirty-third degree, they're Boy Scouts. But Including nobody is aware of any degree, degree above thirty-three. There are a number of degrees in that position. Okay, let's let's look at this in realistic terms. First of all, the Masons did not exist in the 15th century. All right, the Illuminati no, were a bunch of did. Illuminati. What they came then did. The Illuminati in the 15th century were scientists. They were labeled as Luciferians by the Church because right. they weren't sticking to church doctrine. Exactly. They were scientists. They had no so, faith. They wanted to see it to believe it. Exactly. They they were basing everything on science, and they were also very much against monarchies being handed out by the church, and that got them killed, literally. That's so what they came back. But they came back in the 1700s under Wilhelm in Germany, which is where the sons of the American colonists that were for British rule uh, went to study under him, un under his Illuminati belief that the state is more important than people, and they each one came back and started each one of the colleges like Yale, and they, they, the uh, Illuminati uh, the men that came back from the Illuminati also started Skull and Bones. So there's one of your connections right there. Well, you want the number one connection. It's one we haven't mentioned yet. I'm kind of, I'm actually kind of surprised. I thought maybe somebody would bring it up. 
And the number one thing, if you want to Google something, Google IMF. Because those are the, the ones that control yeah. oh, yeah. the International, International Monetary Fund. But that's 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 recent. That isn't as far back as, you know, uh, but, skull and bones and all that stuff. Yeah, but see, that's but, the thing. It's a, it's a mutation of it's everything you're talking about is a mutation from what came before. Yeah. It the, is. 1500s, oh, yeah. the 1500s is a mutation of what came before it. That's you got to study back right. farther than the 1500s. You're going to find that any as long as there's been... A way to buy and sell goods there has been somebody in control and owned the what has been used to buy right, and right, sell right. Goods. there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing wrong with that it's always going to be somebody in control of everything that's just the way right. things are I mean and, even and if even, if, even saying, if we even if we changed society today the way it is we changed our government into whatever the people wanted eventually somebody's gonna have to be in control well, you know yeah, why? Yeah, you know why? Hey, Rockefeller, I mean, you, uh, Rothschild said it all, you know? He says, I don't care who's in charge of the company, and, and I'm paraphrasing, who's in charge of the country, give me control of the money, and I'll control the whole country in a matter of short time. And that's exactly, that's exactly what's what happened. You know when he exactly. quoted that? You know when he was heard, when he was quoted to saying that? I, I right don't remember before, that was a long right? Right in, in it was the early 1900s, and he was it was right before right. This, this little deal called the Federal Reserve became that's came right. to be. That, that's exactly that's right. right. And Wilson and Wilson, when he got out of the presidency, said the the worst thing he ever did was was get involved with the Federal Reserve. Yep. Hey, can I put a plug in here for a buddy of mine in his book? But it's on, on subject of what we're talking about. Sure. Edward uh, G. Edward Griffin. G. Edward Griffin, The Creature from Jekyll Island. I think every oh, yeah. American oh, citizen yeah. should yes. read that book. And I, I second that. that. I second that. that. I've always wanted my yes. own island. Jekyll Island. Like <laughs> <laughs> Actually, oh, by, by the way, when I, was telling, when I was telling y'all about the Rockefellers and the 100 houses, I was an insu insulation uh, uh, contractor years ago when I lived in Yulee and the Rockefellers owned a piece of land on uh, Cumberland Island and they selected me to do their insulation so I insulated one of their hundred houses Wow! well I've always heard that the Rockefellers and uh, the Rothschilds and the Illuminati and all that stuff started from an occult to practice Satan worshipping and that's kind of scary in itself. That's the that's 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 what they stuck into it. You know, they talk about Bohemian Grove and, and all of that. Now that might who knows what goes on over there, but they they try to put that in there. But I think it was it's more of a meeting of the top people deciding what they're going to do than it is worshiping any devil. Right. That's exactly. Well, yeah, it. They're well, using they're the not, devil they're not, they're not worship. To cover. Yeah, but they're not going to worship the devil the entire meeting. I mean, they'll probably do a little worshiping first, then they'll break for tea, <laughs> yeah. and then they'll go get some crumpets, then the they'll only, come back and the they'll only discuss they the worship. future of the country, then they'll go back for some more tea, because tea is popular overseas, uh, with tea with lime, then they'll go and they'll, they'll, they'll do a little more devil worshiping, and then they'll come back and they'll discuss some more topics <laughs> of how they can help society well, get screwed over, and how they can destroy the, only, the world. The, <laughs> The only thing, the only thing, the only thing wrong with that is, in my research, what I'm finding is that, that that they are, they have no faith in anything but power and money here on this earth, and they wouldn't waste no time uh, worshiping the devil if he couldn't do something for them. So if he's real, and they are in touch with him that way, I believe they worship him. But just to believe they're devil worshippers, nah. 
Why not? Yeah, I got a question for all of you. I got a question for you guys, my new friends. Do you do any of you believe that if we were able to restore this country to the government type of government and that we're supposed to have, which is called a republic, do you think it would make any difference? If you no, could I restore think we'd go right back. I think we'd head right back in the same direction. Yeah. Well, it's like this. The, the problem second is the system, the system is a the system is set up to fail from you know the monetary standpoint. So no matter how you fix it, it's going to fail right again. Right. That goes so back. That goes back. That, that goes back to the experiments. That goes back to the uh, the the uh, the the communist experiment in Russia and the Nazi experiment in. Uh, way I heard it now, you know, I've never researched it, but I heard a story a long time ago from somebody that, that knew a lot. And what he told me was uh, they decided to try all these different types of government that some of the, uh, the higher-ups wanted uh, each one of these type of governments and the other ones wanted a one-world government. And so they set out to prove that these other ones wouldn't work. Yeah, but Dennis, I've I mean, heard that too. I, actually, I read that. Yeah, I read it too, but I don't remember later, where. Is, is that still would that still be relevant today? I mean, you're talking about hundreds of years later. I mean, well, see, the problem is the problem is what people don't realize is all great movements are planned for time. You know, if you remember, I've told you before, I joined the Libertarian movement, uh, the party, uh, Libertarian Party. The first year it was uh, it was conceived. And I, I joined then, and when we had meetings, what was explained to us is that this is just like the Republicans. It's a 200-year plan. The Republicans took 200 years to form a party. So the Libertarians are doing the same thing. If you notice, they will not publicize us at all. But if you notice, every year we grow more and more, just more, few thousand more, few thousand more. And, we get, you know, we've always got people on the ballot. So... Uh, that's that's the answer to that. It's a long-term plan. the the reason The reason because I'm 60 and I can remember back when I was a little kid when they served a warrant on you. They knocked on your door and waited politely for you to come to the door. When they stopped your car on the highway, your car was considered your home, and they couldn't search it without you being arrested or a warrant. And yet now, Americans stand by where black-clad troops with, with masks on kick in people's doors, stop them on the highway, bring Nazi-looking German dogs up to sniff their cars, and then say they smelled something and throw all their stuff on the street, don't find yeah, anything, and leave them and say goodbye. Dennis, you know what, Dennis, but you know what the great thing about that, about all that is? That those same soldiers and those same, you know, officers that are out there now, they're still regular people who joined the force and, you know become cops well i agree i agree with that i agree with that but what I i'm mean, showing what i'm showing look society at the end of the day look society has evolved to a point now where we need stricter uh you know well, rules and yeah but i'm not i'm not even i'm not into that in some aspects i'm, I'm not and, into you know, that law enforcement you're, has evolved the way it has but you're you're on the you're on you're not on, you're not seeing what i'm saying i'm showing the difference in the change in the laws in 40 years well, for, yeah, but Whoops. some change has been good. Yeah, Forty years. Answer. Once, once my gener once once my generation dies off, there's nobody that will remember there was a time when they couldn't search your house without a real real warrant and without asking you to come in, and they couldn't search your car on the highway. There'll be nobody left to remember that. So they'll take it a step further. Roadblocks on the road, whatever. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Is it? It. It's a slow process to what they're doing.
It's happening faster well, hell, now. If it's just, hell, well, hell, if it's that slow, then I have nothing to worry about. I won't get to see uh, any really bad stuff. Damn. I think you will. I don't think I really bad. I don't think I really bad. bad. It really yeah. is not Jackal, that bad. Look, oh yeah. Tell forty million people that are out of work. Tell forty million people that are out of work that it isn't that bad. Yeah. yeah. Not only that. But I mean, look, I understand unemployment's bad. I understand that a lot of the stuff that is going on, it's, you know, bad. But, you know, a lot of that stuff. But it's all contrived. Uh, it's all contrived to drive our that, economy down to the Mexicans. That, that's that's absurd. I don't, I don't know about that. I think it, I think at the end of the day, they're trying to unify. <laughs> tell me that. Tell me that in 10 years. Tell me that. And tell I, me it's I absurd think, in think, 10 years. Yeah, well, I, I don't think they're, they have that much to drive down to get near the Mexicans at this point. So it doesn't really matter if they're trying or they're going to get there anyway. <coughs> but look, at the end of the day, the point is not to get it down to the Mexican level. <laughs> at the end of the day, is the point is yes, to is. destroy... No, it's to destroy the American government economy to start that's a right. different economy. That's the point. Uh, the economy that's going to be based, and uh, you guys have already heard it, the Amero, the, you know, the um, uh, what you, whatever, oh, yeah. Amero, I guess is the name of it. You've heard you the, know the what? already, it the North American Union. It, whether that is what it happens It doesn't or not, I, make that's a bit of difference what they call it. It makes absolutely it no difference None. what they call it. Hey, let the me ask you The point is they're trying to ruin the system that we have now. The system is yeah, pretty damn system, resilient if they leave it. It's very yeah, resilient. Here's a double-edged double double sword, sword, guys. A lot of people complain about the system now and want change of the system. And yet when we talk about <laughs> changing the system, the people are like, well, we don't want that change because that's a new world order change. So wh which one is it? What do you guys want? Do you want some change or do you want things to be status quo? Do you want the government to get involved? Want, because if the government doesn't get involved, I want then people complain about the government not getting involved. Government. But when they get involved and they're like, well, the government's getting involved, it's a big yin-yang, you know, effect that happens, and it's it's sad. But right. it's like the the oil spill thing that happened, for example, the BP oil spill. People are coming out saying, well, why isn't the government involved? Why didn't the government jump in from the beginning? Why this and why that? Yeah, but if the government did that from the very beginning, they'll be like, well, it's a new world order, and the government is trying to take over things, and the government, big brother, and... This, you know what I mean? It's it's a double-edged sword that we're that we're kind of living on here. But but, but the idea, idea but the idea but the idea that people would but the idea that people would immediately think the government has to take care of the situation is what makes it sick. It's like Katrina. You know? Oh my God! The government's not coming. What are we gonna do? It's not the government's place. Well, you ask what I want. I want to go back to the Constitution of the United States. And I want to get rid of the Federal Reserve, go back on the gold standard, and let the people decide what they do with their own money, and maybe uh, educate the people some on what's going on. Until we get a viable third party, nothing is going to change. The problem is, Dennis, that's all fine and dandy, but the problem is, if the government doesn't step in a lot of times, then the people are going to see the opposite of what you just said. They're going to be like, exactly, they're going to be like, well, why isn't the government stepping in? Why didn't the government jump in when Katrina happened? Why isn't the government doing this? Or is the government doing that? You know, that's the well, problem. All, all I can say to that, all I can say to that is that up until the last 10 years, it was a joke when somebody heard the phrase, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. It was yeah. a joke. Still is. Kind of is, yeah. Let me add the government, guys. the government can't help. All they can do is make it worse. Let me ask you this. You talk about the government. 
and and we know how the media is all connected into this, right? It's called the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. Right. Oh, Let me give you a little example of that. Oh, how many of you have seen the new 2010 Penny? Yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you the next question. Wait a minute. Let me ask you the next question. How much media coverage did you hear about the 2010 Penny? Zero. Zero. And that was on purpose. It was a test to see how much attention we're paying. Nobody's paying attention okay, to that it's, part. It's, that little it's a, deal it's a because of penny. things... Yeah, uh, yeah, right. But oh, right. oh, it was, was changed what, without What's the big deal about a penny? It was changed without the media's notice. Was that on purpose or by accident? It doesn't matter. It's a penny. Oh, it was, People throw well, away pennies. Well, out loud. I think okay, it, I think why? I think it was a test. I think it was a test. I think they realized they screwed up with the ear uh, with the uh, 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 uh because they let it get out and it got on YouTube and all that. So they backed off. So they said, "Well, let's see what we can if we can slip a simple penny out there without let's it getting out." Let's see how many are paying attention. Right. Let's yeah, see how many right. are paying attention. Yeah, but here like at the end of the day, guys, the penny is still a penny. It's just a new design. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They That's came out right. with new designs for twenty dollars. They, they can look. They, they've announced when they've come out with different designs before, and a penny is not that right. important as a twenty dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill or five. Okay, but how many have so they, they not? They might have just put it out every few years. Don't they? Don't they like print pennies every year? Don't they print currency every year? No, yeah. no, 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 uh, uh, no. Or uh, every few yeah. years. I mean, when, do, when does currency they, get? Printed? They don't change the design. The design. No, they don't change, change it every design. once in a while. But eventually they do All change the design. That doesn't tell me anything. But okay, okay, the last time the paper penny. money, the last time that the penny was changed was 1956. Okay. Oh, damn it! It was about time. The week, so it was about back. time that it had an update. I'm glad they gave it a make. What is, what is that? Back, back up, back up, back up. My question wasn't whether or not it was time for an update. My question was why didn't they tell anybody? Exactly. Well, it's been, it's on the internet. I'm pretty sure people knew about it. It's just it didn't become a it's widespread news. There's a lot of news. All of a sudden, Odo, yeah, but Odo, there's a lot of news that goes on the internet that doesn't get a lot of media coverage. But it's news. Yeah, but his point there, is, his know, point is, his point is, his point My is, point is who, who is the money supposed to belong to? It's supposed to belong to us, the people. When they make now, changes, know, it's to the money. No, it's not. Then it's, it's not. Money does not belong oh, to us. I know us, it's not. People. It's supposed to. It never does. No, we're loaned that money. When we work and we're given that not money, change. that's a loan. Not change. That's, not that's, change. that's a payment that not we're going to eventually give not back. Change. That's wait not a bill. Let's go back to the basics. Not change. Change is not. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Change does not belong to the Federal Reserve. Change belongs to the people. It's the bills that belong to the Federal Reserve. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. All money printed and stamped belongs to the Federal Reserve. No. They make the money. No. No, no it no. does not. No, no it no. does not. All That's why they have so to leave who, so much precious metal so inside prints, the So, so who, who is uh, responsible for printing pennies, quarters, and dimes? And, the, treasury. And, the Treasury. The Treasury. The Treasury. The okay. Mint. The Treasury. Right. The, yeah. Mint. the Mint. Mint. And they're not connected to the but Federal Reserve. Here's the deal. No, they are not. No. Okay, that's correct. See the way the federal, the way no the way federal reserve works. The way, listen, listen, Jack. That's correct. The way they the are not. That's correct. The way the federal reserve works with our bills is in the old days, back in the gold standard days, Congress would say 
at the end of the year, Congress would go to the Treasury and they would say, hey, we got a million dollars in debt. And the Treasury would say, okay, and they would turn around and look at how much gold reserve we have, and they would value the money accordingly so that we could pay off that debt with no interest. The Federal Reserve was voted in by a group of bankers in 1913 at Jekyll Island, where the Federal Reserve's where the Federal Reserve stands is the Federal Reserve now the Federal Reserve now goes to uh, the Congress and they say how much money does the United States owe and Congress says we owe a million dollars so then they turn to the Treasury and they say print up a million dollars and the Treasury prints up a million dollars sells it to the Federal Reserve sells it to the Federal Reserve I understand all that, and then they that's lend it to us. That's a sad. But the coins, the coins, but the coins, but the coins are not in that. The coins are not in that. We don't pay interest on the coins. That's why we have to have so much But it's still printed by the same people. That's what I'm saying. It's still printed by the same people. They're still working with the same people. But the treasury, but the treasury, the system, the way it's set up, the federal, they're set up to work with each other, Dennis. That's the point. The Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve never gets its hands on the change. Change will never come. They can be tied any way they want to, but there's no interest paid on change. The Federal Reserve. I've never, I've never. Dennis, I've never talked about interest being paid on on, on cents or pennies or, or any change. Well, the Federal Reserve only exists. That's the not Federal what I'm Reserve about. only not, exists. Well, you're missing the, the point. Federal I'm Reserve, not even talking about that. The Federal Reserve. I'm not talking about that. The Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve only exists. The Federal the Federal Reserve only exists to make interest. That's the only reason they exist to make interest. That. They create money I out of nothing. That. Okay. There's no interest on coins, so the Federal Reserve no, has nothing Dennis, to do with coins. Yeah, but you're arguing there a point that I'm not even arguing. Nobody's okay. arguing here that, that, that they don't collect interest uh, on change. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that it's still printed and made by the same manufacturers and no. still put into circulation. No, and no, work. no. The yes. Federal Reserve, the Federal yes. Reserve does when, not. The uh, Federal Reserve does not print money. The Federal Reserve does I'm not, not talking about the money. Federal Reserve. The Treasury Dennis. does. Oh, my God. Oh, you're I, about I, the I Treasury the Federal... Yes. Listen to what I'm saying okay. before you overtalk me, Dennis. The I'm not Bureau, talking about the Federal Reserve the here. Bureau I'm saying of, that the Treasury the prints. I give up. That's it. I'm done for the night. I can't get a word in tonight, guys. The I'm Bureau done. of Printing is not the same as the U.S. Mint. It's not the same entity. The U.S. Mint makes coins. The Bureau of Printing prints reserve notes, Federal Reserve notes. It's two separate entities. Yes, that's like saying the Paranormal Super Network has a TV and a radio channel. Two separate entities. I understand that, but at the end, the fundamental core of what binds those two entities together are the same. That's what I'm talking about. And that is what, you know, if we're ever going to get away from this monetary system, we got to remove both entities. And maybe, like, no, we just need to. We could be a sovereign entities or something like that. Uh, the only thing we need to remove is the Federal Reserve. The Bureau of yes. Printing and the Mint function. Remove them all. They function well. They're broken. No, we no. need to remove the Federal no, Reserve. You still have to have money. You still have, have to have to, money. 
That's the whole point. You still have to have money. At the end of the day, you still I need money right are going to have to have money. I need money, money right See, now. <laughs> that is exactly the point I was trying to make early on. That at the end of the day, you still are going to need money. You're still going to need currency yeah. of some kind. And you're still going to need to have it in circulation. And again, the money does not belong to us. The money is paid to us for services that we work. It's still a monetary system. It's paid slavery. It's what's happening. That's all it is. Hey, That's what the job is. Jackal. Okay, Jackal, I got a question for you. Make it How many off the air. out of there's, there's 30, 38 country or yeah, thirty eight countries on this planet that their number one resource is banking. All right? Yeah. Thirty eight countries. Out of those thirty eight countries, how many of them do you think recognize the American dollar as money? Very few. Two. Four. Four is the number. Yeah. Uh, and you might want to check number, that again. <laughs> well, might, yeah, you're right. It might have gone down since I checked. It's been a while since I've been into this information. But that's my point. Our yeah, money, well, that's, what we're... That's what, going back to my right, point. You're that perfectly they're, they're right. You're destroy. exactly right as far as we need money. You, you're right. We do need money. What we need to fix is what's backing that money. Yes. I understand. And the only way to do that is to eliminate the Federal nothing. Reserve and, like he said, bring back the gold standard. We have to figure out a way to bring back the gold standard without... Yeah. But what makes gold such an important commodity that that's the reason that, that, we'll, that should be the standard? We'll do, we'll do two hours on that one next week. Yes. I, can, I, have I have to answer, answer to that, yeah, but we'll have to address it next week. It's because that's there's only so much of it on the planet is the reason. That's right. That, 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 and it's hard yeah, to get, believe me, because yeah, I owned the gold mine one time. Yeah, but guys, the Anunnaki want the gold. You know, we can't have the gold. Yeah. Gold, no, gold, has been, gold has been used. Gold has been used for trade since gold has been discovered. Hey, Jackal, yes. I want to, I want to thank you for bringing me on, man. This has been a blast, and I'm really looking forward to hanging out with you guys as much as possible and uh, and getting information out here for the folks because uh, I'm I'm really into this internet radio thing, and I and now I'm over here where it sounds like we might have some TV goings on or something. Paula and I yeah. are really fired up about this whole thing and uh, looking forward to it. So I'm going to jump on off here for tonight. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity, and uh, I really uh, it's it's a it's a great pleasure to get to know you guys and to join in with you. It's, it's been a blast. Well, well don't get the wrong sure. impression. We're, we're, we're all friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah well, no, we, we, we butt heads on air, but it's just, you know, it's good radio. But listen, we're almost yeah. off air here. We only have a few seconds left, guys. I want to urge everybody to please check out the ParanormalSoupNetwork.com. Join up to the membership area and please, uh, you know, start posting on there and let's get that place active and moving. There's, par you know, there's forums and all kinds of stuff in there. And yes, there's going to be a TV show section. So look out for that, guys. Yeah, boy. Yeah. So, guys, uh, Watch us we're grow. almost off the air, so Sky Watchers out. There's this wonderful uh, quote from the book Sheltering Sky where he says, because we do not know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. And yet everything happens only a certain number of times and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood? An afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it. Perhaps four or five times more. Perhaps not even that. 
How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20. And yet it all seems limitless.
crypto news to get to so i want to jump right into the show coast to coast am with ian punnett two guests tonight but before we go any further let me just give a special shout out to all those people who are dealing with the wildfires again in uh, southern california and i and i know the los angeles area is uh seeing a degradation of air quality from the smoke that's coming over from the mountains and it looks like it's going to get worse before it gets better uh and and i'm just i'm just checking to make sure that uh, that uh, governor schwarzenegger didn't sell all the fire hoses earlier this week well, he was having a fire sale i know for the state of california so i, I saw that in the news but they kept the hoses right so he's, they're going to be they're going to be okay uh but there are going to be uh some changes coming up in the uh in the air quality too in the days ahead not just because of the smoke but also because of the heat and maybe some of that heat is coming all the way up from uh, chula vista where the uh, where the Little League World Series team made it into the finals for tomorrow is awesome. That team is great, and they're going to have to be to beat Chinese Taipei, uh, which uh, which was also looking awesome. Those kids can play ball seriously. So uh, USA USA got to be on your best game for tomorrow. I know I'll be watching. Uh, although I'll be staying up tonight, I don't want to miss this show. Uh, Richard Phillips coming up next hour. He's our main guest tonight. He's going to be talking about his experience uh, both inside as uh, somebody who was in the military and then later as a physicist with the government. The things that he has seen, the technologies to which he's been exposed, the files that have been opened to him. Uh, he was born in Roswell, New Mexico, and that connection to alien technologies seems to be a theme in his life. We'll talk about it with him and how it relates to his book, The Second Ship, coming up later on tonight. First hour, though, Carl Zimmer, a past Coast to Coast guest, returns. His book was Microcosm, and I couldn't help but think about that this week. Uh, earlier, I was in uh, New York, and I saw this story about bed bugs out of control. Uh, the bed bug invasion, how it's happening up and down the East Coast, how if it hasn't happened in your city yet, be aware. You've got to know about that and some of the other bugs that are coming our way a little bit later on this hour. After we do crypto news, who owns what and how does it all happen? These questions answered next on Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett. Coast to Coast AM, this is Ian Punnett on last night for both the guest, Dr. Peter Fennick who's uh, studying the death experience both the the things that lead up to the acceptance of death and then and then often the near death experiences that happen from patients and some of the things experienced by doctors and nurses around the dying he's a very interesting guy he's a neuropsychiatrist out of london and he uh, i hope got a, a great email response from people who could share with him stories that we got on the air last night on coast to coast People who knew those that had made premonitions of their death, uh, who had come to accept um, some sort of upcoming event. It could have been the discovery of cancer. It could have been an accident. But somehow they knew. And in many cases, it's a visitation that happens. And Dr. Peter Fennick and his research team, very interested 
in the number of stories that we had on the air last night from people who, who related that, where somebody in their family had said, I've got about two weeks, or today's the day. Uh, whatever the case is, uh, and then, uh, then of course, later on ended up dying or ended up having some sort of experience that they were able to have been saved from. And one or two people called up and talked about the things that happened to them very close to that. So if you missed it, go back and catch it on Streamlink. If, if you don't have Streamlink, you can still contribute. If you look for the uh, email link to Dr. Peter Fennick, last night on Coast to Coast. But in the weeks ahead, we've got some great shows. I, I want to brag on this one in advance because it's such a great book. It's called The Third Man Factor. John Geiger has written a book, uh, which we'll get to on September 13th. It's the second Sunday in September. I'll be doing the show. It's a biography of an extraordinary idea that people at the very edge of death, often uh, adventurers or explorers, people who are pushing themselves to their limits, experience a sense of an incorporeal being beside them who encourages them to make one final effort to survive. Uh, As John Geiger says, if only a handful of people had ever experienced the third man, as it's called, uh, it might be dismissed as an unusual delusion shared by a few overstressed minds. But the amazing thing is this. Over the years, the experience has occurred again and again. 9-11 survivors, mountaineers, divers, polar explorers, prisoners of war, solo sailors, aviators, astronauts, all have escaped traumatic events, only to tell strikingly similar stories of having experienced the close presence of a helper or guardian. Sometime before that, too, perhaps the only book that can adequately describe the brain dysfunction of people like this couple in California that kidnapped that poor girl 18 years ago and kept her in the backyard like a dog, allegedly. The Anatomy of Evil, uh, Dr. Michael Stone. We don't have a date for that yet. But speaking of evil, authorities stepped up patrols Friday near an area of Jefferson National Forest where a Virginia tech couple described by their minister as... Godly young people were found slain. A man walking his dog found the bodies of David Lee Metzler, 19 of Lynchburg, and Heidi Lee Childs, 18 of Forest, in the parking lot of a day-use area and a campground, and we'll find out more about that. And, um, oh yeah, about that axis of evil. Have you heard about the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, has seized a ship carrying North Korean manufactured munitions detonators, explosives, and rocket-propelled grenades bound for Iran in violations of United Nations sanctions. You know, we got that one. Makes you wonder about the ones we haven't caught. Meanwhile, the axis of our international economy may be smaller than you think, or as small as you fear. A recent analysis of the 2007 financial markets of 48 countries has revealed that the world's finances are in the hands of just a few mutual funds, banks, and corporations. This is the first clear picture of the global concentration of financial power, done by physicists. They point out the worldwide financial system's vulnerability as it stood on the brink of of the current economic crisis. What did they find? Well, a pair of physicists at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich, did a physics-based analysis of the world economy as it looked in early 2007 and found that 24,000 stocks, 
and roughly 100,000 shareholding entities in 48 countries uh, represented the owners of about 80% of the country's market capital. So, relatively small group of people owning 80% of every country's market capital, controlled by a remarkably few shareholders. If that's true, and I have no doubt that it isn't, aren't all these financial shows wasting a lot of time broadcasting to millions of people when they could just be texting to a powerful few in some back room somewhere? I'll mention that to Mad Money's Jim Cramer. I saw him last week when I was in New York by accident. He was right next to me at breakfast in my hotel having a meeting. He's not as crazy in person as he is on TV. Good thing, too. If he had been waving his arms around as much as he does on TV, we were sitting so close he would have hit me with his toast. Back in July, President Obama met a lot of famous people on his world tour. As Jeff Israeli reported in Time magazine, Quote, there was a poignant footnote to President Obama's historic July 10th meeting with Pope Benedict XVI at the Vatican. Behind closed doors in the papal library, Obama handed Benedict a letter that Senator Edward Kennedy had asked him to personally deliver to the pontiff. White House spokesman Robert Gibbs later told reporters that nobody, not even the president, knew the contents of the sealed envelope. Obama himself asked Benedict to pray for Kennedy and called the ailing Senator afterward to talk about their conversation. But the letter, most likely already resealed and tucked away in the Vatican archives somewhere, was probably just a dying Catholic's request for a papal blessing. In the eyes of the traditionalist wing of the church, however, Kennedy should have been asking the Pope for forgiveness, they're saying. The Vatican's official newspaper reported Kennedy's death, praising his work on civil rights and fighting poverty, but noted that his record was, quote, marred by his stance on abortion. As of yet, unlike other world leaders, Pope Benedict has not commented or issued an official communique in response to Kennedy's death. Obviously, abortion is a sin in the Catholic Church. We'll see if Pope Benedict ever issues anything official about the death of senator kennedy of course suicide is a sin too according to the church but would jesus forgive these cows have you seen this story at coast to coast am.com in the picturesque swiss village of lauterbrunnen the locals are worried dozens of alpine cows appeared to be committing suicide by throwing themselves off a cliff near a small village in the space of just three days, 28 cows and bulls have mysteriously died. 28 in three days. After they plunged hundreds of meters to rocks below where they were killed instantly. So they, they go off the same place. Quote, we are investigating because, because cows growing up in the mountains normally can estimate dangers and do not plunge down cliffs. Maybe they should call it muicide. According to local reports, there have been violent thunderstorms, though, in the area, which may well have spooked the animals. And spooking of being spooked, uh, Patrick Stewart, the actor, Patrick Stewart, has told fellow actors that he saw a ghost in what is reputed, reputed to be one of Britain's most haunted theaters. He saw the apparition while performing Waiting for Godot with Sir Ian McKellen. Uh, stagehands believe he saw the ghost of John Baldwin Buckstone, 
who was the actor manager of the Theater Royal Haymarket in the mid-19th century and a friend of Charles Dickens. Buckstone had a long association with the Theater Royal, first as a comic actor, then as a playwright, and finally as its actor manager from 1853 to 1877, during which time it put on some 200 productions. The house became the leading comic theater of the day. He did not die in the building, instead passing away peacefully at home after a long illness in 1879. But theater lore professes that he nonetheless haunts the place to this present day. Nigel Everett, a director of the theater, said, quote, Patrick told us all about it. He was stunned. I would not say frightened, but I would say impressed. Impressed, yes. Perhaps not impressed is the way people should be talking about Merck. An interesting story I'll also leave up on my blog at coasttocoastam.com. The pharmaceutical giant Merck uh, is innovative in, in a way which most people don't think of as being important. They were falling behind their rivals in 2002, as the story goes. The research director for Merck laid out his battle plan to restore the firm to preeminence. Key to his strategy was expanding the company's research in the antidepressant market. His plan hinged on the success of an experimental antidepressant codenamed MK869. It was still in clinical trials, but it, it, looked, it looked promising. The drug tested well early on. Behind the scenes, however, things started to unravel for the drug. Uh, some of the early subjects had su success, but so did nearly the same number who took a placebo, a look-alike pill made of milk sugar or another inert substance given to a group of volunteers in clinical trials to gauge how much more effective the real drug is by comparison. The fact that taking a fake drug can powerfully improve somebody's health, the so-called placebo effect, has long been considered an embarrassment to the serious practice of pharmacology, and, and the placebo outperformed the antidepressant drug in every trial. Well, you know, that happens a lot, actually, in the development of drugs. Sounds to me like the, the perfect antidote for our healthcare system, you know? Think of how much money we could save instead of spending all of that money on developing new drugs. We just invest in making better placebos. A lot cheaper. Don't tell anybody. Make mine chocolate. Uh, and uh, and then when I get the blog up here at, at coasttocoastam.com, I want to include a funny link. Last night, I, I put up a great video that so many people went to. It was Hitler, Adolf Hitler, from a movie called uh, The Downfall. But somebody did a clever job with the subtitles. It's all about how Hitler has reacted negatively to the signing of Brett Favre by the Minnesota Vikings. It's very funny. Uh, that's on last night's blog. But there's something just as funny tonight. I'll put it up there if you want to giggle later on. Uh, and it's, um, it's, it's the audio from The Shining. Uh, but it's it's attached to another video, and that's all I'll tell you for now, but I'll get it on the blog coming up. Uh, Carl Zimmer is here. He's the author of the book Microcosm, amongst many books. Uh, but it's Microcosm that was on the bean earlier this week. Good evening, Carl Zimmer. Uh, hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thank you for being an expert in an area that we're very concerned about, this explosion of bed bugs in new york city and up and down the east coast have you been following the story carl 
Uh, I have, and it's not just on the East Coast. It's uh, in a lot of cities in the United States and in other parts of the world. Well, that's uh, just what I'm uh, asking you about, because that's... I was just out last week, and I it, it cut across all economic groups. Nobody seemed to be immune from this bed bug epidemic. Uh, for people who have not been affected by this yet, or people on the West Coast I spoke with earlier today who, who weren't, it wasn't even on their radar. Explain what's happening with bed bugs in the United States. Well, um, in the mid 1900s, the bed bugs were a pretty serious problem in cities like New York. But uh, then over the next couple of decades, uh, they pretty much disappeared. Uh, and so just a few years ago, in 2002, New York didn't have any complaints about bed bugs. Uh, but uh, last year, they had about 10,000 of them. Uh, it's been increasing uh, almost uh, exponentially um, it, from year to year, uh, not just in New York, but in, in other cities as well. Where else are you seeing the uh, this bed bug um, epidemic reach? Oh well, you know, many cities like Cincinnati and and Toronto in North America have been dealing with it. England has been dealing with a growing problem with bed bugs for for years now. Eastern Europe has um, places like South Korea, which never had really seen much in the way of bed bugs at all, are starting to report uh, arrival of bed bugs. So it's uh, it's. Really, a global problem. Well, I know that in microcosm, um, you were studying E. coli, right? And some of these, uh, uh, the 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 expansion of a lot of these microbes uh, that we can't see. Bed bugs, you can see. Do they follow the same pattern of growth, microbes, and and some of these uh, small biting bugs like bed bugs? Well, uh, you know, not. They, they're, they're both uh, like to live in or, or around humans. That's what they got in common. And so we're basically creating a, an ecosystem that certain species really do well in. And so E. coli and other kinds of bacteria are some of them. Uh, bed bugs uh, are definitely uh, really enjoying life with humans these days. And they're very well adapted to us. They, they sniff us out. They are incredibly... Um, good at hiding from us, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll hide all day and all night, and they'll only come out about three in the morning, and uh, then just suck blood for a few minutes, and then go scurry off again, so, you know, once you get a bed bug infestation in your, your apartment or your house, it's, it's a real problem, because they're so good at hiding. Uh, and this was the front pages of the cover article in last Sunday's, I think, New York Times, was about exactly that, the number of apartment buildings or or condo complexes that are besieged by bedbugs. And we're not talking about tenement housing. Um, so much so that they were, in the New York Times, they were going through some pretty famous cases where um, uh, nice, you know, pieces of real estate in New York had been, uh, uh, had, had to be, canceled when they were up for sale uh they they got spiked because they had a bed bug problem in the building so maybe not even the the condo itself was affected by bed bugs but in other parts of the building it, they had been and when that came out in the real estate disclosure uh people were walking away because they already know if they're in the building even if they're not in the condo it's just a matter of time that's right i mean it, it's well known that uh if there are bed bugs in a building not 
in your own apartment, say, but in your apartment building, they probably will show up in your apartment after a while. So if there is a report of, of bed bugs in a building, you really have to try to get rid of all of them um, or everybody's going to be affected. And so it really is becoming a regular part of the New York State uh, New York City real estate market. Uh, all right, so I want to I want to go actually uh, one or two other microbes I want to throw at you that have been in the news lately. I I won't hold you responsible if you haven't been tracking them, but I imagine you would be. Carl Zimmer, the author of Microcosm and other science books, will join us coming up after the break. I'm going to give the phone numbers out too, in case you want to join in on this conversation. Bed bugs uh, coming back strong, and I. I'd like Carl, if he, if he could, to explain. He mentioned they come out about three o'clock in the morning and then bite and then go back and hide again. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to be able to have a better idea for people as to exactly what to look for. So it's not just they're not waking up thinking it's a mosquito or something that they really know they've got bed bugs too. Coming up next on Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett. This won't be open lines or anything, but we've got Carl Zimmer, who well-known science writer. His most recent book was Microcosm. We were on talking about that before. And we've asked him to come back to talk about the bed bug explosion. Uh, we'll go over some of the cities that have been affected the most. But if uh, if you want to weigh in on that subject of either the parasites or the microbes that are on the march, you can jump in and grab a line here. we get a lot more to get to before we get to a few callers, but we will before the top of the hour. Uh, and then it's, uh, it's Richard Phillips coming up next hour. The new book is called The Second Ship. He'll talk about what he found, what he says he saw uh, as he was in service as a government physicist uh, coming up on Coast to Coast. And I'm really looking forward to that. But in the meantime, are you feeling a little, a little itchy, a little scratchy? It might not just be your imagination. Uh, not only are bed bugs back, but also there are some interesting new microbes on the march. We'll tell you about what to look out for there next on Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett. Carl Zimmer is the author of the book Microcosm, which is mostly about uh, microbes, uh, which which are obviously very much in the news too these days. Bed bugs you can actually see if you know what to look for how how many when uh carl do you know what like the reproductive cycle is for bed bugs how fast two can turn into 200 by any chance uh well each female bed bug can lay a few hundred eggs in her lifetime she lives about two years okay do the math there mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah you can they can they can uh, explode pretty fast uh, so uh, that's one of the reasons why we're seeing this kind of outbreak in so many different places once they can get established they can really take off and again we mentioned bed bugs in new york and cincinnati any other city that has declared it as sort of a uh, uh either officially or unofficially an emergency that the, they're asking people to pay attention to uh really there are reports just all over the place in the united states and and abroad um so it's, it's hard to say that one particular place okay. and had particularly had toronto for example has seen a doubling of their complaints about just to pick and, out one example. And I think that's the that's the, the math I keep hearing, a doubling. It's a doubling every couple of years uh, in terms of the number of reported cases of bed bugs. One warning went out recently that I saw around college campuses. Uh, don't pick up the couches. 
Um, when you see the kids who are tossing couches out on, uh, you know, out on the, uh, out on the, you know, in front of the sidewalk, saying, "Come by, free couch." Don't get them. Burn them. Right. Don't, uh, don't, don't pick up couches. Don't, don't pick. Don't get a used mattress. Make sure your mattresses are really clean. That's very important. Uh, they, they really like to, to nestle into those sorts of things, and that's uh, a major way that they spread. And and microbes, if um, I mean, there's a there's a way of understanding microbes. Um, maybe um, if we're going to switch from bed bugs to microbes, microbes. Um, I saw once something like if um, if the smallest of all microbes was the size of a baseball, then the average bacterium would be the size of the pitcher's mound, and just one of the millions of of cells that make up our body would be the size of the stadium that's how small a microbe can be right roughly uh yeah that's a, that's about right yeah they're they're incredibly small and you know uh, they're in some ways incredibly simple if you think about a, a virus for example like the flu virus uh it only has about 10 genes uh we have 20,000 probably more genes than that um, so this is just an incredibly simple thing, and yet um, it's really uh, causing some incredible uh, dangers to to the planet as a whole. And one microbe can grow to be more than to become more than eight million germs in one day. One microbe can multiply into eight million germs. Does that sound right? Well, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean the. the they can just explode. I mean, uh, incredibly. I mean, you, it, because they just feed and divide, and feed and divide, and infect, infect new cells, and so on, and, and keep going. Um, you know, a person infected, say, with HIV, will go through an explosion of billions of new viruses every day. Their immune system, if it's still strong, can beat those all down. But then it just comes right back again. So, uh, yeah. So microbes have strength in numbers. Yeah, uh, and and this new um, version of H1N1, can you talk about that a little bit? Because this, I mean, just when we thought we might be winning the battle with H1N1, uh, this new version of the swine flu that they're predicting for this year, it just sounds um, as though we're going to have to sort of retool all of our defensive weapons. Well, you know, uh, we've been dealing with seasonal flu every year, uh, which is... is an ongoing serious problem. 30,000 people a year die of seasonal flu in the United States, and that just comes in and comes out every year. But uh, scientists have been worried about new strains of flu arising, and they were particularly worried about Southeast Asia generating uh, new kinds of flu from, from that were infecting birds. Uh, and to everyone's surprise, the new flu virus turned out to actually be coming from pigs. Uh, and so it seems to be a uh, uh, one of these viruses, kinds of flu viruses that, that has lived in pigs, uh, it's mixed some genetic material with flu viruses that live in humans and birds, and now all of a sudden it's all over the planet. It probably started, probably started somewhere in the U.S., uh, but it's everywhere now, and now we have to wait and see what happens when it comes back to the United States and elsewhere this fall when flu season starts again. In the mutation, how it's mutated. In the meantime, because that's the fear that 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 when it's coming back, it's already had a if, if you'll pardon it, it's had so already had a taste of us, and now it's sort of it, it may be morphing to become even deadlier. Same thing with MRSA, and there was a story earlier in the week in the Chicago Tribune about how 
uh, MRSA had been exploding at um, some of the correctional facilities, and they weren't reporting it. Uh, that there was a period of time that they that something like fourteen hundred cases or something like that of MRSA had gone unreported in the correctional system, which meant then that the, although the the inmates were mostly the ones affected, then the guards became affected with MRSA, then the visitors were becoming infected by MRSA, and it was all starting from this highly concentrated area of prisons. And we haven't even been, I don't even think anybody's been thinking about prisons as being a place where um, all of these uh, uh, new microbes or uh, parasites could become concentrated and then go out from there, to, to spoke out from there. Yeah, well, I mean, you think about a prison. I mean, it's a place where a lot of people are packed together uh, in very close quarters, uh, and so and people are coming in. Um, they may have diseases they've brought from from other places, and it's basically um, it's it's like any closed place, like a, an airplane. Even it's a there's an opportunity for things to circulate. Prisons, uh, particularly in Russia, uh, have been a big problem for a place where tuberculosis can evolve into resistant form. So a, a lot of the, the strains of tuberculosis that scare doctors so much these days got their start in prisons. So uh, this is just to show that, we, that, you, that there has to be a lot of monitoring and a lot of transparency. I mean, when, so when there's an outbreak, there has to be good, uh, good information so that public health workers can, can get on it right away and not let it uh, turn into something much worse. We'll get to a couple of calls here in just a second for Carl Zimmer, author of Microcosm. We were talking about bed bugs and and uh, microbes, but uh, just to, some good news. It, it, there's a story that says that in England, uh, they have gotten, they believe they've gotten control of MRSA. A specialist there yesterday reported a story that um, the worst rate of MRSA in the country uh, has. Um, has that that they have been able to get a hold of the worst version of MRSA of the superbug MRSA, and they've been able to control it in the last eighteen months. And I love the sound of that, but those are always seems like famous last words. <laughs> you know, we've we've got it beat. We came up with it because it almost seems like MRSA, like the other types of microbes, that's just it it it, it modifies and comes back in a form which makes it even harder to get the next time. Well, there are some some. Uh reasons for hope. I mean, when, um, when hospitals and uh, regions really work at trying to reduce uh, the spread of these resistant strains and uh, are careful about how they use antibiotics and so on, um, they really can uh, make these resistant strains less common. It, it, it can be fought, but it has to be done um, on a large scale. Um, you can't just try to, to knock things out here or there. Uh, and you know, and each person can do something. If you get a pre- prescribed antibiotics for an infection, take them all because you have to kill these these uh, these microbes that are making you sick. You got to get them all because if you let a few uh, survive and evolve resistance, then you're just making the problem worse. Let's get to Ken East of the Rockies in Missouri on Coast to Coast AM for Carl Zimmer, author of Microcosm. Ken, have you gotten bed bugs yet in Missouri? Uh, actually, Ian, first of all, thank you for taking my call. Uh, actually, uh, in my uh, case, at my particular job I work at, I work in a residential care facility here in Independence, and uh, 
to me, it's like a pandemic here because actually I never knew there was even such thing as a bed bug other than the old bedtime story, don't let the bed bugs bite. Right. But, uh, just to give you an idea, Ian, uh, we have a 15-bed facility here. It's a small place, but there's 30 uh, residents. The, the, the place that I work at is so riddled with bed bugs right now that when I go into the residents' room, uh, they're literally crawling on their pillows. I mean, oh. it's very Yes. Uh, uh. So what are you doing about it, Ken? Well, that's why I was calling Mr. Zimmer. Uh, my boss had spent $1,800 on a high-priced exterminator, and uh, he, he might as well have just come into our building and sprayed sugar water because he yeah. basically said there was nothing on the market as of right now that would kill them other than isopropic uh, alcohol uh, and uh, putting uh, linens and other things in the dryer and spinning it for 20 minutes. Mr. Zimmer, I'm kind yeah. of scared to bring these things home my two questions are a is there something on the market that we can use to kill these bed bugs and two should i be fearful of bringing these home to my house uh just on my clothing alone because uh, yeah. again yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no is, no we got it. we got it yeah i think you i think you sold it uh, go ahead carl um well yes unfortunately there aren't a whole lot of good ways to, to treat bed bugs um that you can't just sort of wave a magic wand and, and have them go away. And a lot of times what people have to do is literally um, bag up clothes, throw out furniture, basically get rid of the bugs. Um, there are, are some there are some sort of uh, fumigation techniques that can be used, but they're pretty they're pretty extreme, and, and a lot right. of people are re reluctant to, to use them. Um, you know, and it is an issue. You know, if, if there are bed bugs in a place where you work. Um, they may get on your clothes, and you may bring them home. So you you have to be on the lookout for bed, you know, bed signs of uh, bed bugs in your clothes or at your home. You know, if, if your kids start having these little red bites, you may have bed bugs. If you start well, seeing their droppings on the floor, you may have them. Well, okay, but super heat—that's what we know. I mean, that's the good news: is that bed bugs can be destroyed with heat, that they are like any other type of insect in one sense. So he wasn't wrong when he said that, you know, that you get it with um, by by putting everything in a dryer, leaving it in a dryer for a very long time, bagging things up and leaving them outside in the sun uh, is what uh, people, a lot of people are doing sort of an inexpensive um, uh, response to that in um, uh, on the East Coast. Let's get to, uh, but I mean, it's got to be bright sun. It can't just be outside because they, they'll thrive otherwise. But uh, it, there's there is information on the net on that, and and Ken, you you should be worried, and and it's something you have to be very proactive about. Richard is in Las Vegas. Richard, are you getting bed bugs there? No, Ian, and that's why I'm calling. You are terrific, and I thank you for taking my call. God bless you. Uh, uh, Dr. and Mr. Zimmer, uh, what are the chances of them coming down this far into the Nevada area? And uh, I have somebody who has a cockatiel, and should they take extra precautions because of that animal? Well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about them being spread by birds or anything, Carl. Um, well, bedbugs really actually uh, prefer to live on humans most of all. They really are actually very well adapted to us. They do sometimes live on other animals, but that's less of a concern. Um, yeah, you know, that's exactly where they will end up. There's so many factors that play into that. Even humidity, for example, it may be too dry in Nevada where you where you are. That that might 
be some sort of protection. Yeah, uh, but, I don't, but in Las Vegas, there's too many hotel rooms, too right. many travelers from New York that could go, that could pack a bag in New York mm-hmm. and go to Las Vegas and bring bed bugs with them and not even know it. Right, and, and hotels are, are really grappling with this problem because it, they are dealing more and more with, 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 with these outbreaks, and it's really bad for their business. And, yes, you can have lots of little microclimates, even in a place like Nevada where bed bugs might thrive. Sonia is in Arkansas on Coast to Coast AM. Sonia, are you seeing any evidence of bed bugs there? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I think there is a whole section vector that's being missed here. Um, I, I'm a, I, I came across bed bugs and, um, by accident. Um, I discovered okay. a product that was able to kill a very voracious insect in the poultry industry. And it's a tri-vector. Um, have you heard of the, the poultry industry and bed bugs and the, and the interaction with the beetle called the darkling beetle and how this is helping the avian flu along to get into, to mutate within the birds themselves? You're saying that the bed bugs are connected to the growth of the avian flu? Yes, uh, actually, there is a vector there. Um, I, 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 I talked to every major poultry industry. I've been working with entomologists, right? Right. And what happened is, is there, the poultry industry has they call it the red mite, but it's actually the bed bug, and hmm. it attacks the birds. And uh, well, that's good to keep a that's yeah. that's good to find out about Carl. What do you know about that? Anything? Um. The, uh, there, there does there does seem to be uh, some evidence that um, poultry, you know, chicken farms may be kind of a reservoir for bed bugs, but um, it's it, it's still not clear, you know, how important they are in terms of the kind of outbreaks we're seeing. Um, as for bed bugs having anything to do with flu virus, I haven't seen anything about that. And the fact is that you know, there was just a recent report and review in the Journal of American Medical Association looking at whether bed bugs can transmit human diseases. There's no uh, no good evidence that they actually transmit any diseases. However, that doesn't mean that they might in the future. Um, right. they, they may pick up back some kind of bacteria like your ticks can spread Lyme disease. So it's definitely something to be on the lookout about. Uh, Sonia, I appreciate that. I'll look into that, and I'll see if we can't get that more on that coming up in, on Coast to Coast. Jackie is in Texas uh, for Carl Zimmer. The book is Microcosm. Hey, Jackie. Hello. I, get- thank you for taking my call. We have just a minute for you, but are you getting bed bugs there? Uh, no, not that I know of. I just want to tell you... Uh, Back when I was a little girl, I'm in my 70s, and uh, and I a community, the bed bugs, people had bed bugs. My grandmother would take her mattresses out in the sun and go around the seams of the mattresses with kerosene, and we never had bed bugs. Interesting. Well, that, believe me, right now, a homeopathic or, you know, response like that, uh sounds like a plan <laughs> because it is getting a little crazy. I would check on the kerosene in the mattresses before you do it. You might don't want to start talk. a fire. You don't want to start a fire. You don't want to talk to a doctor. I don't know how uh, that would work, but uh, I'll take Jackie's uh, good old-fashioned advice on that. Well, thank you, Carl Zimmer. Will you keep an eye on this for us? Will do. Okay, so I'll, I'll ask you again to continue to track
the growth of certain microbes. We, we didn't even talk about some of the other things that may be coming up from uh, Mexico, but um, that'll have to wait for a future Coast to Coast show. Thank you for doing such a great job with this topic, and we'll get back to you, sadly, I'm afraid. Uh, and we'll get back to this topic, I'm sure, in the weeks ahead uh, until we get bed bugs under control. In the meantime, don't let the bed bugs bite. Be proactive about it. And Richard Phillips coming up next. The book is called The Second Ship, but it's more about what happened to him personally, which we'll talk about coming up on Coast to Coast AM. This it's is uh, Ian Punnett on Coast to Coast AM. And uh, sorry, I just got so focused on the whole bed bug discussion last hour, uh, in, including a couple of responses uh, off the air that were amazing. People who are battling bed bugs right now. Some people who don't even know that they're bed bugs. They thought it was just skeeters until recently, and then they started hearing about bed bugs, and now they're able to properly address the problem and hopefully be able to get on top of it. Uh, but I got so focused on that that I forgot to put the blog up, so it's now there at coasttocoastam.com. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a collection of thoughts about uh, some of the news items from Crypto News last hour. If you missed that, it's right there for you on the website. Also... If you click onto it, you can read yesterday's blog. I, I kind of blogged about uh, Inglorious Bastards, the new movie from Quentin Tarantino. Uh, and uh, and then there's a couple of fun links I put on there, too, just, you know, maybe just to shake off the whole bed bug discussion. <laughs> Want to see something kind of cool? At the end of, of the blog at coasttocoastam.com, there's a link. And I put it up there to a uh, website that took the audio from the movie The Shining, uh, and and they they put it to a different video, and it it was actually video that they they I guess you I don't know they pixelated it, but they now that wouldn't be the right word, but they they manipulated a children's coloring book, and they colored along like frame by frame with a children's coloring book, and they changed it to 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 add to the audio from The Shining. You kind of have to see it to believe it, but if you like Stephen King or if you like Jack Nicholson or if you just like The Shining, uh, interesting to see what somebody did to reinterpret The Shining. Uh, and that just I put it up there on the end of the blog just for giggles, so you can take a look at coasttocoastam.com, along with all of the other crypto news items for the day. Uh, Richard Phillips, what a career, what an interesting guy, uh, and what unique experiences he shares them in novel form in the book, The Second Ship. We'll make him tell us the whole story for real. What happened and what did he see when he was working as a government physicist next on Coast to Coast AM? This is Ian Punnett. Richard Phillips uh, has had an interesting life starting from when he was a teenager and he made the cut to go to West Point. Uh, I have a son who's been looking at the service academies. Richard, so I'm impressed with that, just that you were able to get into West Point. If you did nothing else in your life, you're a West Point graduate, and that's pretty cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, tell, talk a little bit about that. You, you started off, what was your career like in, in the Army? When, when well, it's you... kind of funny, uh, you know, thinking about uh, <laughs> where I came from. Uh, I actually, uh, well, I was born in Roswell in 1956, and I grew up in a little tiny town. Uh, about 60 miles away from there. And, in fact, my high school graduating class out of Capitan, New Mexico, uh, totaled uh, a total of 12 graduating seniors, uh, including me. Uh, uh, so, 
So you can imagine it was quite a culture shock heading off to West Point. I imagine so. And and probably like one of the coolest things that anybody graduating from that little high school had ever done. Yeah, but it was a it really put a lot of pressure on me uh because at that time uh I was the only uh person uh from that school that had ever gone to uh to one of the service academies. Yeah. So so anyway, I trundled off to uh to New York and along the way I linked up with a uh, a couple other guys from New Mexico that that were bound for West Point, um, but to to show you how uh, how small town I was uh, uh, when we got to New York City and we're coming taking the cab from LaGuardia uh, down to our hotel in the city uh, to spend the night. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't even sure, uh, you know, looking at the meter on the cab. Now, are we all going to be splitting this, or is this an individual cost? <laughs> you had a lot to learn being in the big city. <laughs> yeah, I did, but, but, it, but it came at me quick. Uh, so tell me about Roswell, though, growing up, you know, not far from there. What was the, what was the, the kind of the, the, the psyche of the area back then? H- hadn't quite gotten the, the, the big tourist stamp yet had it i mean you had oh no 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 the 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 real excitement about roswell from a tourist perspective didn't happen until the 80s and 90s um and really in the 90s is is when it got big you had television shows and stuff about um the roswell incident and that type of thing but back when i was growing up of course it was about uh 10 years after i was born nine years after the roswell incident and uh um one thing, though, that it did do for me is uh, is it caused me to grow up, and I think a lot of people in that area had a um, a mindset that questioned uh, what uh, people in authority were were saying to you, and I think that came from the fact uh, that a lot of people felt like there was a heavy-handed approach taken uh, to the people that that reported what they believed and what they saw. And that these were, you know, just good local folks and and uh, and not sophisticated at all. Um, and then they were subjected to things that that they just found uh, ridiculous responses to um, to what they felt like was something they had legitimately seen. So, I, so, so was the Roswell incident as you were growing up kind of the stuff of rumors? Were people talking about it like it was part of the local folklore, or was it were people saying? Did people that you knew or people who, that you had grown up with, with, were they connected to the Roswell story as we know? Um, well, you know, I didn't uh, have a personal, uh, you know, friend that, that had been in the, uh, in the incident. But, but around the area, although it wasn't a common topic of conversation, um, the, the gist of it when the topic did come up was that, uh, well, well, it was along the lines of a suspicion that something happened, and I think a lot of people that would not have believed that something happened uh, tended to uh, be more sympathetic to the idea that, that something really did occur because of the uh, the way the government treated um, the people that reported what they had seen, including, you know, Mac Brazel was a uh, was a cowboy, uh, sure. a, a simple cowboy out there. And, and, of course, you know, I'm not a, a super Roswell expert uh, from a historical standpoint. It's guys like Stan Friedman and stuff that you've had on before. Sure. Um, uh, but just just from growing up in that area, 
Um, the general consensus I, I always felt like was that they, the government must have something to hide because um, uh, the way you know their response continues to change and 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 their story is is often ridiculous. Well, I, I, I'm asking this question for a purpose, and, and so it's kind of leading to where you are today, but bear with me for a second on this. You, you speak about how there was a sensitivity that you had as a, as a Roswell area resident and somebody that was sort of uh, at the, near the epicenter of this famous UFO story, and that the people who had been affected by it, whether you knew them or not, there was a general sympathy for them for having been on the blunt end of the government um, uh, information club that they that they were they were kind of beaten down a little bit that they weren't allowed to sort of have their voice without um, this the sort of the jackboot of the of the the military controlling the story of Roswell and you had sympathy for that so odd to me in a way but maybe perhaps in a way sort of foreshadowing your future conflicts that you should end up going into the very same military that was controlling the story of Roswell. Yeah, well, it is interesting. I think that uh, by the time I got to high school, um, you know, I I didn't really relate the the two things direct directly in causality. I, I tended to think more of the government uh mandating a response to that situation as opposed to uh it being you know a military specific thing right um so so when i got when i first got interested in west point it was actually more about uh <laughs> you know the adventure of the place and that sure. sort of thing uh so, and it's nice to get paid to go to college. That doesn't hurt. Well, going, that was great. Uh, but what what got me excited about it was uh, actually at Boys State, my junior year. Um, you know, they had you had the academy guys coming in, and a bunch of other colleges making their pitches uh, for you you to attend. Um, and but most of the colleges were okay. We've got really nice classrooms. We've got good facilities uh, for science and stuff. Uh, and the military academies come in there, and uh, you know, Air Force Academy. You can fly an F-14. Uh, West right. Point was <laughs> repelling out of helicopters, jumping out of airplanes. Right. right. Uh, yeah. So it looked like an exciting place to go. Uh, yeah, believe me, that uh, is the similar attraction to one of my sons, who right now spends a lot of his time shooting Nazi zombies in video games. And <laughs> well, you very, know, uh, the funny he's trying to find that, a way to do that for a living is what well, he's trying. Well, right. To. The, uh, the a lot of those games are. Uh, are very much uh, uh, preparatory uh, for military service, and not just the shooting ones. Uh, you know, the right. flight simulator games, right? And type of things. Right. Uh, he just he loves the the adventure of all that. He's not particularly interested in shooting people. He just he loves the idea that there's a greater mission, you know, <laughs> that, to be done. But okay, so then you graduate from West Point, and we're talking with uh, Richard Phillips, the author of The Second Ship, which is a novel based on some things that had happened to him in life, and, and we will, we'll get to that. The, you graduate, you serve in the military. Uh, you, uh, w while you are doing your hitch, are you exposed to anything else that becomes informative of your later end of your career? Well, um, uh, well right after I got out of the academy, um, I, I went ahead and qualified as an Army Ranger, and then I served uh, several tours uh, with the uh, 
First Infantry Division, both in the United States and overseas. Uh, and then, you know, when the Army said, decided to send me back to the Naval Postgraduate School for my Master's in Nuclear Physics, um, I, I found that fascinating. We, well, I've always had an interest in science and, uh, and science fiction, for that matter. Uh, but uh, getting an opportunity uh, to get my degree in that, I actually uh, chose to do my thesis work at uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory, which was another place I was fascinated with. So um, you, were, you were in the military as you were doing your service at Los Alamos. Right, right. And actually, okay. uh, at Los Alamos, I, I spent several months there working on my thesis, which was not, in a, that particular thing was not a classified area. It was a, a region of science called uh, Cherenkov ra radiation, um, which is used in, in neutrino detection and large uh, gamma ray detection telescopes type of thing. Uh, and then uh, on to, uh, was it uh, right away on to Lawrence Livermore? Yeah, as soon as I graduated, um, I, I moved up from Monterey to uh, Livermore, California. is just about 50 miles over the hills from Oakland uh, back to the east. And, uh, and so I moved up there and uh, started working at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Now, it took me a little while to get my clearance because... Um, you know, the military, even though I had a, a top-secret uh, military clearance, the, the national laboratories are run by the Department of Energy. And, uh, and so those clearances don't walk back and forth very easily. Uh, so it took me a while to get my Q clearance, which is uh, uh, a DOE high-level clearance. Uh, and it, so our, the conversation we're going to have tonight and the things that we're going to talk about, how can you with um, the covenant of, of your top secret clearance? Well, you'll probably have me tap dance in a little bit, but the, uh, the bottom line, I have a general rule of thumb, which is uh, uh, don't go to jail. <laughs> right. So, so I had to be very careful when I wrote uh, the second ship and actually the, the whole Row Agenda series. Um, that I, I put in as much real science as I could into the, uh, into the novels, uh, but I dodged around, um, you know, specifics of actual classified programs I've worked on. Uh, so, but you can talk about the types of classified programs you work well, on. Well, and, yeah, and, and for, for one thing, uh, a lot of the stuff that I put into uh, the second ship is, is very much based on reality, and it might be uh, fudged up a little bit. Uh, but some of the things that what I, what I find really funny is some of the things that people uh, regard as the most um, uh, improbable uh, science things that I've got in there are actually the closest to reality, <laughs> and and some of the ones that that seem the most mundane are the uh, are are a stretch. Well, let's use that as a door in then to your um, real life experience then as a uh, as a physicist in service of the government. W what were some of the more amazing things that you saw, uh, and and then how did they? I mean, as you relate them in the novel, anyway, um, that that you think people would find to be almost like science fiction, which is actually science without any fiction at all. Well. Um uh, I guess I'll start out with one um, that I think is uh, you know, it plays heavily into the second ship, but it's but it's a topic 
that's, that a lot of people have seen in the news. And one of the, the underlying things I like to, uh, like to tell people is, uh, you know, one of the themes in the second ship and in the real agenda is this theme of questioning what you're told and using your own, you know, people, I, I, I believe strongly, people have a good inner sense of uh, knowing when something feels right and when it doesn't. Uh, right. And, and that can apply from situations, you know, where you're just in the room with somebody that you just don't feel comfortable with uh, to a more general situation when a, a, an official in authority or somebody that's a scientific authority is telling you something uh, that you just don't, it doesn't feel right to you. And I would urge people to pay some considerable attention to those kind of feelings because oftentimes um, you, your inner voice is trying to tell you something. Now, uh, one of the technologies that I think um, is a lot of people think is outlandish, but which is amazingly uh, close uh, to to fruition is this whole concept of uh, a direct linkage between a human mind and a computer. And in the second ship, of course, uh, these uh, young people stumble onto this this second alien craft, the government has one, and they find this other one in the, uh, in the mountains near Los Alamos. But one of the things they end up doing is, uh, is trying on these headset-looking uh, devices, and it causes a link to be established with the, uh, with the computer systems on board that ship. Right. Um, now, there's been a host of recent stories, even without getting, without approaching Sure, without even, classified. right, uh, the, the, where they've been showing this in the news. Yeah. For, uh, especially for, like, uh, quadriplegics and stuff. Right, uh, things where people can control computer programs uh, by having the right electrodes on their heads or by having a device that allows the brain activity to pick up uh, and the computer to recognize the pattern of what they're thinking about. Now, this right. takes some training. It's a part of a larger, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the big efforts at our national laboratories, and not just ours, uh, involves massively parallel computing. And, and what this is is a really using thousands, uh, even hundreds of thousands of little processors uh, to break big problems into uh, little chunks, and all of them working on it at the same time, okay? Uh, and where this really plays a great deal of importance is, is on um, efforts to recognize patterns and translate those into, uh, into knowledge. You can think of things like face, face recognition, voice recognition, and... More uh, somewhat frightening on the uh, civil liberties side is the work that's being done on recognizing um, uh, your intentions or what you're thinking about or, or whether you're lying or not. Right. Uh, so, so there are huge efforts in this regard, and, it's, uh, and, <laughs> and these things are making uh, some really uh, amazing, uh, amazing progress. Well, I imagine that. I, I'm gonna coming up here, Richard, and I, I I appreciate the sensitivity of the position that you're in, having a top uh, secret clearance and not wanting to violate the this the either the letter or the spirit of that agreement. But I'm gonna try to get you to break 
free of the novel a little bit more here coming up, and I, I want you to talk a little bit more about what you saw and what you were exposed to as a government physicist that led you to write this novel series. We'll get to that next on Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett. Secret Technologies is the theme of the novel series that Richard Phillips has been writing, but he's been writing it based on his real-life experience. Uh, as it says on the website at coasttocoastam.com, we'll share a terrifying glimpse into the technologies that lie just around the corner next on Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett. I just went to my blog just to check how many people have been hitting on the the very funny video of what happens when you combine the shining and a children's animated coloring book. I'm, I'm glad you're looking at that. I, I thought it was really creative. And, and so is the second ship uh, from uh, Richard Phillips. And so we were just talking about his life as a real life government physicist. By the way, what was your job when you were, what, as both somebody who is still in the army, still doing a hitch for the army after graduating West Point and then getting a graduate degree in, in physics, what was it that you were roughly doing? If you, if you can talk about it. Yeah, I can, I can talk about several aspects of it. Um, well, uh, for one thing, I, <laughs> you know, anytime the, the government sends you to school, you owe them, uh, a long time. time. Right, payback time. Exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, and it's usually called an experience tour or something like that. Uh, but, uh, but what I did is, of course, when I was at Los Alamos, I did, uh, I mentioned I, I did research on uh, Cherenkov radiation. And, uh, and what they wanted me to do after I got out of uh, the Naval Postgraduate School at uh, Lawrence Livermore was, in the nature of, of simulations, uh, writing simulations and writing um, control software for some of the instruments that they used um, to do a variety of the experiments that they were working on. So I was writing uh, uh, computer simulations of real events, and then we were running experiments, comparing that the results of those simulations to the uh, you know to the experimental output. Now, uh, the general area I ended up working in. Uh, down there at Lawrence Livermore uh, was in a very interesting place. Uh, at the time, uh, they had a, uh, a fusion laser uh, called uh, the Nova laser, which you may have heard of. Uh, and, the, and the goal of the program, and it's, it's part of a, a bigger program that's still being worked on, um, was to try to find an abundant source of um, of uh, renewable energy uh, without some of the problems associated with, um, you know, uranium and dirty uh, fission bombs and fission reactions right. uh, that leave all of these nuclear waste products. Um, so the idea was to mash, uh, uh, to mash the basic substance uh, that causes fusion, and essentially you're talking tritium, and... Uh, and to produce more energy out of that uh, reaction than what you have to use uh, to produce the reaction. Um, so that was the general area I was working in uh, when I got out of there. And as I said, uh, you know, the, the goal uh, from the military standpoint was to get some use out of uh, all the education they had just paid for for me. Sure. So what? talk about your experience in a laboratory or working around people 
do you ever start to get the feeling that the government knows more than it's even telling the people that it's using in these in these science experiments as you're as you're structuring them that that somehow there are that there are these either files of knowledge or actual other sort of black experiments going on somewhere within the government that you're getting just a glimpse of, but you well, don't actually uh, aren't uh, really exposed to. Well, in, in fact, that's one of the things that drives most of the scientists on the program crazy um, is, uh, you know, when you're talking about classified, uh, there's, there's certainly a lot of reasons to keep something classified, but uh, one of the techniques the government uses that goes above the classification level uh, that you have on various programs, and all of these people have very high levels of, of clearance, um, is they use a technique called compartmentalization. And, and what that's designed to do is exactly what you were talking about. It's designed to break a, a major research project up into smaller parts uh, with small teams working on a specific part of the, uh, of the overall effort, but um, blocked off from what the next team uh, across the across the way uh, is working on, even though they're very closely related. Uh, and the and the goal of that that really came out of, a lot of that came out of uh, the miserable failure of keeping the uh, uh, Manhattan Project uh, secrets from the Russians. Of course, those that that didn't work at all. Um, so this idea of compartmentalization was put into, into place so that you could be working on parts of a program that were seemingly uh, relatively innocuous, uh, but the various parts of that program are put together into something much more um, significant. So you get to work on the elephant's tail without ever knowing that there's an elephant's trunk or that it's even an elephant. Uh, right, and, and the problem with that is, I mean, it, it, it does accomplish the pers- purpose that it's out for, but the, but the big problem is, I think a lot of times that's overused, and, it, and it's overused in a way that hurts, hurts us. Uh, because, um, for example, if I'm working on a, a solution to a problem, it's, it's possible that the guy right across the hall has some information that would let me solve that problem if I just right. knew that he had it. But, but, but I can't but, find it. I don't even know that he's working on it, much less uh, uh, that he might have something that I need and I might have something that he needs. And and so and the feeling here is if they told everybody at that level exactly what they had, then either it would freak everybody out, or that um, they wouldn't be able to keep the genie in the bottle, or or what? Why not just tell everybody what well, they have? I, well, it's because I think it's more of the last one. Uh, the idea is that if if everybody knows the uh, knows too much about the overall project. That there's too many people that are uh, capable, uh, you know, one of one of them going, uh, giving away a secret. Uh, it, it just expands the odds that that somebody's gonna gonna let the uh, genie out of the bottle. All right. So, what do you know the government has that you were exposed to in part, um, or what? And and what do you suspect that the government has that they're not telling us? <laughs> Um, let's see how I can uh, how how I can get around to answering that as safely as possible. Um, the well, let me uh, let me back off just a little from there and and give you uh, a 
a feel for uh, where we can go with that, I, I believe. Um, right. Okay, I'm going to back off to uh, the subject of Cherenkov radiation, uh, which I, I mentioned I worked on at Los Alamos. Right. Now, Cherenkov radiation, uh, m- most of your listeners probably know, is this beautiful blue light that happens when a particle moving very, very close to the speed of light um, in vacuum enters something like water. I would like to think we would all know that, but I can pretty much guarantee you, I believe speaking for the majority of the audience, we don't all know that. So that's good that you're explaining uh, it. Well, I think the, that's reason helpful. I, the reason I, I'm pulling up this subject is there was something that happened very, very recently um, that, uh, that is quite interesting, and it plays into uh, some of the technologies that, uh, that affect um, uh, what we could potentially do in the, in the very near future. Um, in June or July of this year, a, a uh, telescope called MAGIC, uh, and it's not the MAGIC you're probably thinking of, uh, it's the uh, Major Atmospheric Gamma Ray Imaging Cherenkov Telescope. <laughs> well, so, so this is a, a Cherenkov detector, essentially, and what it was doing was looking into deep space, and they look at things like quasars and these high-energy events out in outer space. Right. And... Uh, and it was making uh, measurements on uh, the cycles of these uh, of these high energy gamma photons arriving, and they noticed something uh, that seems to completely violate some of the most basic laws of physics, uh, which is the constancy of the speed of light. Okay, uh, the the way that that uh, they they detected this is that. Uh, some of the lower energy gamma rays were arriving uh, a considerable number of seconds ahead of the high energy gamma rays that happened that were produced in the same event. Okay, so right. some light was going faster than other light was the was the bottom line of this. Now the reason this is important um, and and plays into a number of technologies that 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 uh, that have limitations based on the speed of light is if, if this is verified and, uh, and, and it's been similarly detected in other instruments uh, since then, uh, then it means that uh, the fabric of space-time isn't this nice, smooth stuff uh, that everybody's been thinking uh, from the days of, of Einstein. Uh, it's more of a, uh, uh, you can think of it as a frothy, uh, granular uh, m- mix out there uh, that transmits light light waves at different uh, at different speeds depending on how energetic they are, and the most energetic okay. go the slowest. Um, mm-hmm. Now, now this particular thing is uh, is important uh, because there's a there's a theory that does explain this, and uh, and that theory is uh, a version of string theory, and. And string theory uh, proposes something that a lot of people have suspected for some time is that the number of dimensions um, that make up our universe goes well beyond the four, and you know, the three of space and the one of time uh, that are commonly thought of as, uh, as our four dimensions of space-time. Right. Right. Um, and, and this whole notion of being able to do things that actually... Um, are measurable through multiple dimensions um, is is an area of 
and let's say extreme high interest in the research community. Okay, and I know that that probably sounds maybe more succinct to your ear and maybe a safer answer to the question, but I'm going to probably push you into that unsafe area again because uh, I, I really want to get a better feel for this. What is it that you know the government has versus what do you suspect the government has? And, and so as you're talking about gamma ray research and certain changes in the, in the perception of the ability of light to travel at different speeds, even though they came from the same primary source, um, how does that explain what the government has as opposed to what you think they might have too? Well, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an indicator of something that uh, I think they might have. Uh, in, there's, a, there's a related topic in quantum mechanics, and it's called quantum entanglement. And, uh, and what this is, and, and I'm going to get to the military, well, uh, let's say the uh, government applications of this, in a second, but um, in the in the concept of quantum entanglement, what you have is you have uh, two particles, and they're usually very very tiny particles. Uh, and in certain cases, they acquire exactly the same state. And no matter how far apart they are um, separated, um, if you change if you induce a change on one of those particles, it produces it in the other particle. Okay, it's also known as quantum teleportation. Okay. Um, the reason this is important is if, and there are some significant uh, complexities involved, uh, but if you can uh, produce a, a change that you can measure on the other end with no, uh, there's no light, there's no uh, radio signal that passes back and forth between these things, it just instant instantaneously happens. Um, then you've got a means of, of communication that is completely secure uh, and cannot be intercepted by any means whatsoever. Uh, and, uh, and guess what? It is not bound by the speed of light. It happens instantaneously, um, no matter what the distance. Now, the speed thing is not as important uh, since, you know, there, that's not a, that big a deal. But the... Uh, but the ability to have completely secure inter uh, well completely secure communications that cannot be intercepted by any means um, is of <laughs> extreme interest uh, to anybody uh, that uh, that deals with those kind of uh, secure programs okay i I'm going to say that 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 would be my uh, supposition going in that anytime you can come across um, you know new technologies that nobody else has that are super secure you could have just written that on a cocktail napkin and i would say oh our government would probably want that so the idea that somebody would want that that's really understandable where do you think the source of these new technologies come from based on your experience as a as a, a, a former uh, army physicist essentially somebody within the serv the employee of the government working on at lawrence livermore do you think we have alien technologies that we are pulling from to create these these new developments well i will say this i believe that 
it, there have been numerous points in our history uh, where we have made startling advances that don't seem to correspond to the rate of advance at, uh, at previous times. Um, and one of those times, uh, well, I think we're in the midst of one of those times right now. Um, that we're me... making advances through that that cannot follow cannot a trajectory. Be explained by uh, by the normal uh, chain of advancement. Let's put it that way. Give me an, an example then of of a of a technology which we are developing, which has perhaps uh, which might have come from an external source as opposed to internal research and development. Um, okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's go back to a technology, and, and I'm going to give you an example of where it should have stopped. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you, you may be familiar with a concept known as Moore's Law. It has to do with the rate of advancement in computer science. And right. what, is, what essentially that says, for the people that aren't familiar with that, right. is there was a, a gentleman that uh, hypothesized that Computers would continue to get faster and faster, and the, and the components would continue to get smaller and smaller, and this would continue on at a very, uh, a very high rate indefinitely. Uh, but in the 90s, uh, there was a group of uh, physicists and other computer scientists that projected that Moore's Law was reaching its end. Uh, the reason being the components in the computer systems were getting so small that we were starting to get into the area where very soon you could expect the quantum nature of particles, uh, specifically electrons moving around in the computer, um, to, uh, to cause the computer to behave unstably. And uh, I'll try to say this as easy as possible. The, the, uh, essentially, electrons are not, uh, not little solid particles. They tend to have, they're a wavy kind of a thing. Uh, and at the quantum level, when you've got wires that are very, very close together, the waves of these passing electrons that are moving along these wires kind of tend to bleed over. Uh, so the electron might be on one wire one second and on a totally different wire the next second with no connection in between them just because they were too close. Okay? So there's this kind of quantum leakage that happens between very, very small things. Now, the point of all of this was... This was supposed to stop or slow down the advancement of computer science uh, beginning even in the 90s. Uh, but what we've observed is exactly the opposite. Um, as, uh, as computers have gotten uh, more and more uh, tiny components integrated into them, and as uh, computer memory has grown, et cetera, et cetera, we continue to see Moore's Law operate at full speed and maybe even speeding up. In other words, computer well, technology is growing so fast uh, that these 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 uh, projected problems aren't problems. They're being worked around. Uh, solutions are being found uh, faster than these problems pop up. All right, hang on to that thought. Yeah, we'll just say I think it's a given that Moore's law. I think originally said the the doubling of 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 size of the memory and the having of the actual size of the computer to double that space would happen every five years or something and now it's happening every two years and now it may happen every every one year or six months all right so that's a given um but again 
Does this come back to alien technology? Is Richard Phillips sweating enough yet? Uh, we'll talk to him coming up after the top of the hour. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pin him down as a physicist working at Lawrence Livermore. What are some of the things which he believes comes directly from alien technologies? Next on Coast to Coast it's AM. Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett. We're talking with uh, a guy who has been on the inside, but is still uh, held tightly by his top security clearance to a point. And so we're we're talking about his exposure to technologies while working for the government. The same technologies that he's more able to write freely about in novel form in his book, The Second Ship, which is part of a series of science fiction stories based on what he knows. Well, we're going to try and get Richard Phillips to talk a little bit more specifically about at least what he knows he can tell us. Uh, coming up next, we'll get into that. Plus, if you haven't seen it yet, some great stories on the website tonight at coasttocoastam.com, including that photograph, just to go back to something Richard was talking about before the top of the hour, about uh, about neutrons and molecules. And IBM scientists in Zurich uh, have taken the first ever close-up view of a single molecule using atomic force microscopy. Microscopy. Uh, the uh, stunning image is uh, the first they've been able to come up with, and it's really cool, partly just because how organic the shapes are. And once more, we're faced with kind of like the nature's honeycomb, that this could have been a shape that bees would have made. Uh, little, obviously, teeny, teeny, teeny little bees. But it's very cool. If you haven't seen it yet, go take a look on, on that at the website. Also, the story we talked about last night about how the Dutch got a fake moon rock. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Coast2CoastAM.com. More with Richard Phillips coming up next. This is Ian Punnett. Uh, Richard Phillips, the uh, author of the uh, second ship, the the part of the Roe Agenda series. Um, and so based on his experience as a uh, government physicist, we were just talking about this. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try again on this. So, you say that you imply that we we talk about Moore's law that there's no reason why computer technology should have continued to grow at the rate that it did the accelerated rate um, and that now they're talking that someday in the future some theorists uh, imagine that c computers will become obsolete shortly after they're produced that the the Moore's law will become so accelerated that they will almost they will almost be outdated the moment they're made, that the, the technologies will continue to grow so fast. That seems inconceivable, but it, it does follow along the graph line if you look at how fast technologies are improving now. So is the root of that, Richard, an alien technology? Well, I'll give you two predictions, okay? And, uh, and I think, um, in my judgment, these, uh, these are not logical that we could produce without uh, significant assistance. But I, uh, I predict two things that are going to happen within the next five years. Okay. One is that this general concept of nanotechnology uh, is going to have a startling uh, emergence in, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the medical field. And by that, I'm, I'm saying something well beyond what, uh, what, 
most people are commonly talking about right now. Uh, the, the difficulty is right now uh, with nanotechnology, um, we're at a point analogous to what we were at with the, uh, the discussion we had on Moore's Law in the 90s. And, and the problem is, even though they're able to manipulate little atoms, and you see these little gee whiz experiments where they can make a little uh, rotor-type motion from chemical uh, interactions on the molecular level. See, all of that stuff is basically useless stuff. Um, but what's about to happen is something that's also related to what's going on in the computer industry. And uh, when I mentioned earlier that all of these uh, components are getting uh, smaller and smaller and that uh, they're using these uh, swarms of microprocessors to solve uh, hard problems in simple pieces, well, it all is going to break down to, to that on uh, the nanotech level. And essentially, I'm talking about the ability to engineer simple little cells uh, and, uh, and I'm talking about, take the bloodstream, for example, uh, with a simple computing capability uh, within them. And by that, I mean extremely simple. Uh, but where this gets powerful is um, the, uh, within the concept of swarm computing is you've got little processors that are only capable of doing a very simple thing, but when you put lots and lots of them together, they can do an incredibly complex thing, such as, um, reading DNA and assisting in uh, uh, the uh, repair of the body when mismatches with DNA um, occur. Now, I, I'm making that prediction, and I'm also saying that um, there's no way, uh, in my judgment, uh, we can get to something like that uh, within the normal course of uh, of uh, of research. When you say normal course of research, again, you mean what? Well, I mean, are we talking about? And I, I know I'm like in the 45th minute of of trying to to, <laughs> to ascertain this, but are we talking about external um, retro research where we? Well, have let me say that this. Uh, that this technology would be uh, alien to our normal way of looking at it. Um, okay. the, the normal way that, uh, that science works is using the scientific method. It's very methodical. It's piece by piece. What I'm talking about is a major breakthrough, and those type of major breakthroughs normally happen through reverse engineering. Okay, so we're going to... We have we have alien technologies from which we are reverse engineering. And to go back to an earlier conversation, then uh, as a researcher uh, for the government, you were given a piece of the researcher of the research, but not the whole thing. So you don't know what you were um, what you were reverse investigating. You were rather just doing a piece of it, trying to figure out what we could do with it here on Earth? Well, certainly a, a part of uh, that sort of research involves uh, speculation about what else is going on. Uh, and so I, I certainly would say that in, in the case of putting together the whole puzzle, uh, I am involved in speculation. Okay, so you're involved at this point. You're speculating about what we have. Not you have no firsthand knowledge of of say because you haven't seen say an item, well, but you have you have seen the 
research that went along with something which could only perhaps lead back to an alien technology? Well, I have seen uh, pieces of research, uh, and I certainly have not seen the entire uh, package of research is what I'm trying to say. And, the, uh, and to connect those dots, um, <laughs> to connect those dots um, means I've got I've to use my own intellect applied to those, uh, to those missing pieces. Okay, so as a as a research, as a physicist, you know, taking knowing that you're more comfortable talking about this in novel form, and I appreciate that when you cloak it in fiction. But as a researcher, what was the most amazing thing? What's the most amazing thing that you think we have? Well, there's two categories of that. Um, the you know, my background uh, is heavily into uh, computing systems, so. Uh, so consequently, I'm, <laughs> I have a great deal of interest in that. And uh, to me, the efforts ongoing in, and, it, and it, uh, it sounds a bit boring, but believe me, it is not, is the ongoing effort for, uh, for pat- what is called pattern recognition. Um, because that is the basis that lies at the heart of, of AI research, artificial intelligence research. Um, and... You know, back in the uh, in the '80s, there was a great deal of excitement about uh, artificially intelligent computers coming on the horizon, and that was something that was a complete disappointment. I mean, that research essentially almost died out uh, because of complete lack of success. But in the meantime, a very alien way of thinking about that uh, took form uh, in our computing industry, uh, which was to allow computers to think their own way and to recognize patterns in their own way, not in a human way at all, uh, and, in, and in fact, oftentimes in ways that we don't, we don't even understand. Um, and, and that work is making very uh, major progress on a, on a whole host of fronts, um, and, it's, and it's both exciting and, uh, and considerably <laughs> dangerous as well uh, from, our, from a variety of perspectives. What about uh, what about weapons? Um, what about the type of weapons you mentioned earlier about the, the that laser beam you were talking about last hour? Wasn't it a, a type of laser? Well, yeah that that was not a partic- that particular type of weapon is not a laser weapon. Now there are uh, a variety of laser weapons being worked on, including on the uh, missile defense program. But uh, but without getting into those. I'm, you know, and more generally in weapons technology, you know, all technologies, the government is interested in applying any technology it can uh, to weapons uh, just because that gives us an advantage. Uh, now, the, of course, the first big, huge break in weapons technology was the Manhattan Project. Um, and uh, many people have speculated uh, that, you know, we, you know that, was a, that was a breakthrough that, that, that broke out of this pattern of scientific development that I was talking about and have, have essentially suggested that that came from uh, alien sources. Now, on that one, I certainly wasn't involved in that project, so I can't right. tell you. Um, well, what about, uh, if, is, if, if you can then, just you can, you're welcome to speculate in this sense and not draw necessarily on anything that you are exposed to as a government physicist, but uh, Richard Phillips, of the... Of the other things that we have right now, 
in our um, in our arsenal, in our military arsenal, uh, do any of them, in your opinion, come directly from an alien technology? Uh, well, <laughs> directly is a uh, okay. Well, Indirectly, let's you know everything we have is derived uh, from other research of some type or another. Um, now the question really evolves around have we reverse engineered something that uh, that gives us uh, um, a specific military uh, capability um, on that one you know I, I talking about specific military capabilities is not an area I can really um, okay. wander into all right uh, I just but you know in your experience as a military guy plus a, a physicist I, I just wondered whether you had suspicions when you saw something that you think you know that follows a pattern that closely resembles something that you had seen well so, i would I will say that I have seen some amazing things <laughs> well I imagine that, that, you, uh, and and you know you can take amazing things a couple of different ways but uh, but certainly uh, I have seen startling military uh, military breakthroughs and and usually uh those breakthroughs are are very rare uh i you know on the order of uh if you think back through time military breakthroughs happen very rarely um recently um we have had a an abundance of of breakthroughs like what um well you know take robotics uh okay. uh the Robotics influence on the battlefield is uh, is growing by leaps and bounds, and uh, and I'm not just talking about the predator drones and and stuff like this that are remote control things. The 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 real work is being done uh, behind the scenes on the next generation of robots, and and we're rapidly approaching a time when uh, certainly uh, soldiers direct uh, combat. Uh, is going to be heavily weighted to usage of robotics. Okay, and we're talking about um, some of the things I've heard about. Of course, are these uh, these sort of exoskeletons, uh, these protective uh, armors for well, that's soldiers. A, that's a different, slightly different category than what I'm talking about. It's, it's an important breakthrough. That's uh, that's kind of enhancement of your own physical uh, mechanical self. Right, but it's through robotics. It's very it, Iron Man. Well, yeah, it, it is definitely robotics. But what I'm talking about more, again, plays back to uh, to a particular interest of mine, is these kind of uh, um, self-aware, well, I won't say self-aware, but uh, self-controlling uh, robots. And you can think even on a very small scale, um, that are uh, that will have capabilities from intelligence gathering to uh, to actual combat capabilities in a way that doesn't require somebody to be on a joystick uh, right. back at Langley uh, controlling their use. These are autonomous robots um, that they've been talking about. For example, that might sense uh, an injury that might be able to detect just like a human being would, that somebody's been injured and come and deliver uh, either protection or aid on the battlefield. Well, that's, uh, that's one simplified version of what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, what are the complex versions? What would be the capability of the, the complex version? Well, um, if you can envision, uh, especially as things go small, 
you know, one of the problems with uh, putting, well, putting putting a camera on a street light to measure uh, your your speed. Okay, if you have a a, a small robotic uh, thing, let's say it's rather insect looking, uh, and it can be released or dropped from the air, and it knows enough to find a hide location where it can observe, and I mean transmit, record, observe uh, events, then you've got essentially wandering mobile cameras and microphones sure. on the okay. battlefield. And the, the fly on the wall, as it were. Yeah, not, not, I'm not quite uh, convinced we'll go that small, but... But but it would be but I'm saying that's what the expression we would use. It's like a fly on the wall. So you would have you could have something that would be there that is in a static place that would observe whatever came through that area. And if you had enough of them and you dispersed them over a large enough area, you could have almost a, a three dimensional image of every place where the enemy is and what they're doing at any given time. A little bit like what they did in the Dark Knight in the Batman movie using cell phone technology. Uh, yeah, something like that. Right. Um, I, I, I've been reading about that. I think it's fascinating. So, but you're saying is that you don't think that there's an accountable technological arc that brings us to those technologies? Well, there is, but, but uh, you, you, there's this confluence of, of breakthroughs happening all at once in the last, uh, in the last few years, and it's accelerating. Uh, and traditionally, I mean, to... It's it. The reason this is difficult to uh, to articulate is, you know, it, it's subtle. It, it's something that's that building up momentum and is, is accelerating doesn't seem as much like a breakthrough as uh, you know a guy wandering around uh, uh, in the Stone Age and suddenly he invents the wheel. Um, right. You know, but these things are breakthroughs, and and amazing things about these breakthroughs is they're largely um, breakthroughs produced by computers. And, and those breakthroughs are happening in large part in ways uh, oftentimes we don't even understand because, um, because the way computers are working with, the, uh, with their learning, uh, um, I, I'm not, and I'm not saying they've achieved artificial intelligence by a long shot, but, but the way they're able to learn now, that makes them able to participate as an active participant in the, uh, the design process for new computers, better computers. So essentially, they're self-evolving. Right, uh, I like the self-evolving is always good. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to ask Richard Phillips about, without giving away his top secret covenant again, I have some questions, some specific questions about some of the technologies that have that might get tied all the way back to uh, his birthplace in the town of, coincidental or not, uh, Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, and we'll get to that coming up. Also, if you want to, you can link up to Richard and take a look at his novel series just by clicking on to coasttocoastam.com. This is Ian Punnett. Hope you'll enjoy Art Bell coming up on Sunday night on Coast to Coast. That's his night, and Art will be here tomorrow night on Coast to Coast. We get to your calls coming up for Richard Phillips, who was both in the military and a government physicist working at Lawrence Livermore, and uh, 
he is more comfortable talking about what he's experienced in fiction form. But I, 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 I got a question along the way that came up uh, just in the last hour or so about light. And that brings us back to Roswell and what Richard Phillips might think alien technology allows others to do that we might have access to now as a result of, well, some event. So what is that event that gives us access to this alien technology? Does it all go back to Roswell? Uh, and or are there other places and other times when we've been given this alien technology? Coming up next on Coast to Coast AM, this is Ian Punnett. So, Richard Phillips, um, again, trying to be sensitive to your top secret clearance, let me just ask you, do you is if there are alien technologies that we have access to that we have reverse engineered in order to come up with these breakthroughs, as you imply, uh, then was is it just the Roswell event or are there other times, are there other crashes, are there other um, interactions that gives us this technology? Well, you know, one thing that always comes up uh, when you're thinking about Roswell or or other potential crash sites, and not just crash sites, uh, say visitation uh, sites, is um, this whole notion of uh, it seems like, uh, you know, the the aliens must have a lot of problems in their maintenance uh, with their fleet if they're coming here like that and crashing all over the place. Um, and and that gets to the bottom line of why would they come if they, if they are here. And, uh, you know, I... I I think that there's something that that everybody needs to at least think about when they're when they're thinking about the possibilities of visitation and why would uh, why would they go through that trouble, and that is that uh, we have an asset here that is um, one of the most valuable assets in this universe, and that's a, a planet conducive to life. And if you think back about our own history uh, during our uh, colonization days, um, you know we weren't coming exploring just solely out of uh, curiosity. Um, the explorers came to the New World, sponsored by governments, uh, but essentially bent upon extracting resources and, and land, etc. And I don't think it's outrageous to assume that at least some of the, um, uh, let's say, intelligent species that are likely to be out there uh, would not have a similar, uh, similar agenda. Um, so there's plenty of reason for, other than benevolence or, or curiosity, for someone to, uh, to go through the effort, effort to, to get here. Now, as far as getting to the specific question of do I think everything stems from Roswell, I don't. Um, I think that, uh, I think that uh, uh, there are many instances throughout history uh, where it strains uh, belief uh, to see how uh, the people with the technologies of the time uh, could accomplish uh, particular feats. And, I mean, whether you're looking at the Great Pyramids or some of the fantastic designs only visible from 30,000 feet, right. uh, et cetera. I'll go, along, I'll go along with that, but, I mean, in terms of, like, what we have now as a government or what you might have experienced, is there, are there rumors out on how we ended up getting this stuff? I think that everything uh, we have gotten uh, recently has begun from a seed that was uh, <laughs> that came about in the 40s. 
Okay, so again, back to Roswell. Um, I'll, uh, I won't contest that. Okay, so so then we're talking about hard craft as opposed to, say, an interdimensional concept. You were talking about how many dimensions we might have, right? And and so is it? Some people have speculated that these are uh, these are light based crafts these are these are almost holographic images um exploratory but not um not of a of a type like a, a typical metal skin like we might have on our aircraft well, where are you with that um i don't rule out the possibility of the other one uh i have no experience uh uh with uh such a an interdimensional shifting uh uh type of Basis. I don't have any knowledge about uh, uh, that specifically, uh, but um, in my mind, uh, this would be more hard craft oriented. Okay. In your experience as a as a physicist, uh, who do you think knows everything? Well, who? well uh, you, who in the government knows everything? Yeah. How far up do you have to go before somebody has the the meta story, well, as opposed to just the little bits, the little well, things. Well, I mean, that there's going to be a group of people that know everything. Uh, uh, you know, you, at the at the highest levels of classification, and of course, one would certainly hope that the president is involved in this loop because uh, the president is the highest level of classification in our in our country. But uh, you know, there are bureaucracies <laughs> within every government, and ours is no exception. In the, and within um, the most uh, secret uh, parts of the government, there are certainly uh, bureaucracies, and the leaders of those bureaucracies, and by that I mean the entire team at the top, would certainly know everything. At the top of what? The, the, the at the private? top of the pyramid. Well, you know, take, take, take the, uh, the work that's being done at the national laboratories. Okay. Uh, everything that that's the national laboratories are working on is known about by the the leadership of those at the uh, Department of Energy. Okay, so at at the top, the the those at the the top of the informational pyramid would include uh, people at the DOE, people who are at the um, at the nuclear energy. Um, sure, and it, and let's take the military. I mean, without getting into anything outlandish. Uh, Certainly, generals at the top of the military don't know everything. I mean, I mean, you've got to be in the right place to know about your particular uh, compartment. Let's say. I mean, it's still compartmentalized that way. If you if you're the commander of forces in Europe, you have no need uh, to to know about uh, stuff that's going on at NORAD. So, so there's, there's certainly compartments within uh, something like the military and, and most of these agencies. So I'm, I'm just talking about the, the compartmented uh, segment that eventually ends up as, as somebody's chair that's in, in charge of that department um, that sits in each of these agencies. Um, that person knows. And also probably his uh, immediate staff also knows. Um, and some of the top scientists, uh, you know, you get a mixture of political leaders and scientists at that point, and and the scientists um, that are up at that level would know all the all of the pieces as well. 
although they might not know every single little detail. Um, but essentially, they know the big picture. Okay, so it, when you were writing your novel series, in which you use your experience as a, as a government physicist to help inform the, the characters and the plot um, of these breakthroughs, did you have to get that approved by anybody? Did you have to uh, run that by somebody well, at the top? I would have if I still worked at the National Laboratory. Uh, but since I've been out of the National Laboratory for a few years now, I'm still working uh, other areas of research, uh, but that are not touched uh, by this particular series of novels. I didn't have to have what's called a vetting process go on. Uh, okay. But I was quite careful uh, in... Uh, <laughs> You know, not touching programs uh, specifically that I had uh, I had had a a direct knowledge of. You mentioned earlier that of the technologies that you use in in your novel series, some people see some of the most outrageous ones, and they don't understand that those are the ones that are actually most plausible. You gave one example. Can you give another? Well, of, let me uh, give you an example of one that's actually very plausible, but is not. Uh, as plausible as it seems, um, and that is uh, this uh, this cold fusion uh, research. Okay, and and you probably remember when that all came about in the the late '80s. Actually, I was at Los Alamos at the time when the uh, cold fusion furor broke out, um, and uh, and the scientists from Utah that uh, that broke that. Well, well, the problem with that is that, and actually, uh, that's something that that really bothers me uh, to this day is. Uh, when they could not re- reproduce the results, when the, the, the teams at the national laboratories couldn't reproduce the results, well, that entire area of research, uh, which has now been renamed because of the negative stigma on cold fusion to, I think it's low-energy uh, nuclear interaction or nuclear research, uh, LENR. Uh, but anyway, that anybody that works in that area right now is, is completely stigmatized and ostracized. They can't get any papers reviewed or anything like that. So it's like that entire area of research has been repressed uh, by, by the science community and by the government. And there's still a large number of uh, scientists that, uh, that believe that nuclear action, interactions are happening at those low energies there. So that's one that's kind of the reverse. I mean, there's less happening than meets the eye in that one, although it plays a minor role in, in uh, the second ship. Now, one, uh, uh, you know, the, the one I mentioned before, of course, was the direct uh, human interaction, but the, but the other one that plays heavily in, uh, in the Roe Agenda series is uh, nanotechnology, and I'm talking about uh, heavy-duty nanotechnology uh, that, that has a specific... Uh, Ability to um, to essentially read uh, human DNA and uh, initiate corrections. Uh, let's call them when when there are mismatches uh, to what should be happening. Okay, uh, coming up. I, I know we're going to take some phone calls, and I I'm not exactly sure how it's going to go. Is <laughs> I'm not saying that in any reflection on you, but do you want to lay out some ground rules? No, um, they can ask me anything. I mean, if I can't answer, I'll I'll say I can't answer. But but I'll try to answer, and I'll try, even if I can't answer as directly as some people would like, um, I'll do my best. Uh, All right, so then count me in on on that category for this question, because I I know this one's going to be tricky. Uh, But, so, what is the... 
what is the most alien technology? How about that for a phrasing? What's the most alien technology that you have personally seen? Well, I'll tell you one thing, um, and I, and in a way, it's creepy. Um, uh, again, I, I mentioned I'm a I'm a heavy duty computer guy, but uh, but the way the way computers think, uh, and I use that um, uh, kind of loosely. Uh, it, I want to go back to uh, to a computer called Big Blue uh, that that was the famous big, IBM computer, big IBM computer that finally beat Kasparov, and. Uh, uh, and that was a big breakthrough. But that started, it actually started before then, but, there, but that essentially started this changeover from the way, way we thought of uh, artificial intelligence before that didn't work and the way artificial intelligence is coming about now. And essentially computers, uh, well, one, I mean, there's numerous ways of doing things, but the, one of the most successful uh, ways of advancing in computer science is these massive parallel uh, algorithms that essentially assign um, good and bad grades to other computer little computer nodes that are running. So when computers are working these type of problems, you can think back to uh, to Deep Blue. The the uh, uh, what they do is they they try everything, whether it makes a mistake, whether it's wrong or whatever. And if it turns out not good, they get a bad score from the other. Uh, parts of the program that are watching them, uh, and what this what this results in is all of a sudden there's no progress. I mean, lots of bad things happening, uh, but then all at once it discovers a way that works that gets a good score. It starts amplifying and replicating that, and a whole bunch of good scores show up, and then all at once you've got a path uh, to success. And and the reason this is kind of creepy uh, uh, in a bigger picture is because computers start learning this way and and it gives you know when a when a human thinks about a problem uh, it's like our standard physics model they want to understand how things work and they want everything to be uh, to match up to understand the whole thing to use one model to describe everything uh, computers don't care at all about that they want to find a path a single little piece that that works hey that gets me from here to there pretty good and then they, they start sticking these pieces together in a completely weird way, uh, and it ends up solving the problem. Uh, it going, it's kind of like if you threw matchsticks down and kind of randomly lined them up to, until there was a, there was a path through. Um, that's what they're doing on a very, uh, a very microscopic uh, level. And, and they're forming these solutions in ways we, we don't completely understand, and then the solutions keep evolving as they find better and better paths. And it's just done through pure brute force. Um, and I think, uh, I think it's got a, an opportunity or a, or a challenge that, uh, that it poses to. We probably won't recognize when computers become uh, uh, what we would call artificially intelligent. Okay, uh, or at least symbiotic, which I think is is the that's the next development that I'm really interested in in the idea that uh, that computer technology. Uh, I mean, I, I guess you could say in a lot of ways, at a very low level, you have computers that are artificially intelligent now. In one sense, what's more interesting to me is to think that 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 we, with the human 
computer interface, that that might be the um, the big leap forward for computer technology is linking essentially their com- their computer technology to our computer like brains and being able to 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 draw on those two things together. I think that may give us the next level of advance. What do well, you think? Well, that's so close. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's right. It's already here. It's it's partially well, a already here. Of it is already here, but but uh, when. It's like this Moore's Law thing. It's accelerating, and, and when it really comes about, it's going to be a huge acceleration, and, uh, <laughs> and, and it's not far away. What do you, based on your experience, what do you think we will see in our lifetime? Oh, I don't know about our lifetime. I'm, I have a hard time with 10 years, but, uh, but I think within the next five years, um, we are going to see... Uh, well, uh, amazing breakthroughs in, in, in the two areas I, I already talked about, which was nanotechnology. I mean, I'm talking about uh, ability to, to physically make our health, uh, impact our health in ways uh, that's, that's not even thought possible right now. To I mean, send in a nano, these nanorobots to eat cancer, for example. Well, yeah, I mean, essentially, I don't think it's going to work quite like that. I, you know, they're... They, I don't believe it'll be little machines in there. I think it'll be a not a DNA uh, uh, modification, but a, a essentially a cellular modification. I think these will be um, cellular type machines uh, that will do this. Organic, that, right? That they'll take um, they will they will work with our existing cells to to create something different. Right. That they'll they will re- be, reconfigure our cells. They, they will be assisting uh, in a way that you were talking about, a symbiotic-type uh, relationship. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to ask you again, though, because, I mean, if, if it's within five years, it's within our lifetime. If you had to imagine, um, do you think we will have a closer encounter, a sort of national revelation in well, our lifetime? I, I honestly don't know quite why it hasn't happened already, but um, but I believe that uh, the only answer to that is that um, that the process of technological evolution is expected to reach a certain point before that happens. Um, and now we are accelerating rapidly in technology at the moment, uh, but I believe uh, the the real link lies once we achieve a certain technological capability uh than what you're talking about will happen and not okay. before then but not before then all right well let's just uh put that on hold then we'll give the numbers coming up after the top of the hour uh and uh, it's your chance to join in the conversation with richard phillips uh former uh, army ranger former government physicist uh somebody who had been on the inside as it were who's seen things that he can't tell us completely about uh, or it would violate his top secret clearance. It would get him arrested. Well, get him in jail. Full. Well, he's doing the best and he I can to talk about that. We're all what full. he's We're seen. Just giving the numbers out up now. So coast to coast. Wait a minute. I'll try and get you aligned to talk with Richard Phillips, a former government physicist who's been on the inside. He's seen. Well, he can't tell us exactly what he's seen, but by implication, he's seen the files. He's. He's talked to people who have seen what there is to see anyway. He has knowledge and he has speculation about what the government has, and both of that has ended up in his novel, The Second Ship. You can 
Link on to that through coasttocoastam.com. While you're there, take a look at all the great news stories for today. Also, crypto news for the first hour. It's on my blog in a, a funny video at the end. It's called The Coloring, in which they take the video, uh, they take the audio from The Shining, and they link it to a video from a children's coloring book. But it makes such a bizarre combination. It might be something worth taking a look at at coasttocoastam.com at the tail end of my blog for tonight. And yesterday's video still getting a lot of hits, too. And if you missed last night's show with Peter Fennick, go back and catch it on Streamlink. Uh, it, this is a, a show about people who were experiencing some sort of premonition about their death. And Dr. Fennec is still looking for more contributors on that. So if you know of somebody, link them up to coasttocoastam.com to your calls next. On Coast to Coast, this is Ian Punnett. All right, let's start with the first one who's been holding on the longest, Chris in Houston. First time caller line on Coast to Coast AM for Richard Phillips. Go ahead, Chris. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Chris. <laughs> uh, two questions. Uh, first of all, uh, in history, going back 20 years or more rather than recent history, give us uh, two more examples of when uh, science jumped from uh, possible alien or external sources. Uh, second question, um, hypothetically speaking, if we were trading technology from alien sources, what would we be offering or what would the alien source want? Um, okay, <clears throat> let me deal with the second one first. Um, the, as far as trading technologies, I don't know that we've got anything that we would that they would be interested in trading. My my uh, um, theory on that is that uh, it's not about us trading them technologies. It's about uh, I believe that would be about uh, them assisting us in getting to a required, uh, let's say, a required point in our own technology um, uh, before uh, true contact is established. Now, why that would be, I've got some ideas on that, uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, that gets into wild speculation. I'm sure that would that'd probably be left uh, best to you. Now, uh, one thing that stands out in my mind technologically, uh, you know, moving forward, of course, you've got to start with the atomic bomb. Uh, but uh, uh, but immediately after that, there, that was when we started to get into the whole transistor phase, and uh, you know the the ability to go from room sized com- the first room sized computing uh, down to uh, much, much smaller computing, and that laid the uh, foundation uh, for this whole ability to switch, uh, essentially to, to, to perform a switch based on an p- application of a little tiny current at a transistor um, was a huge uh, technological breakthrough that we continue to get uh, spinoffs out of. Um, and then after that, um, oh, let's see, I... I uh, I really think, uh, in my mind, it, although it's not exactly in the in the timeline, is uh, is laser technology and uh, laser technology, the ability to use coherent light beams uh, that don't spread uh, and and have a number of attractive properties for things that have that have led us even to um, 
you know, current day communications uh, technologies that that rely upon that. Like fiber optics. Chris, does that satisfy your question? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. And remember, as far as like what we can trade them, remember that famous documentary from the 60s, Mars Needs Women. <laughs> well, uh, I think well, that was a document. Pretty sure that was a documentary. Bo is in Reno, Nevada on Coast to Coast AM. Bo? Yeah, hey, man. How's it going? That's good. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Um, I guess I'm, I'm trying to bring a, a slightly spiritual angle into this whole thing about uh, the evolution of computing. Um, I've studied a little bit about memetics, and I've read a little bit about Ray Kurzweil, and um, hopefully your guest, uh, Richard. Yes. Um, hey, man. Um, can hopefully shed a little light on this. Um, it seems to be going in a kind of a funny direction. And uh, what are you talking about exactly? It. Um, I, I even like uh, you know. It reminds me a lot of like uh, sort of the Matrix. Uh, I even had a uh, sort of profound. Um, lucid kind of dream about this a while back. I was flying around over this beautiful land, which was on Earth, and it was uh, natural and organic. And the skies, um, do you remember seeing, like, the old cartoons and all where uh, yep. where where the screen sort of bubbles up because the projector reel caught on fire? Sure, sure. Well, it's not the project. Yeah, it's just the, the film gets burned. But what is it? So you have a question in terms of what you think, how technology is going? Yes. So, so what I what I kind of seen like through this was the, another reality opened up behind the one I was looking at, and um, and I was looking at this kind of bland future, and it showed like all of these 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 wiring things that social networks and all the people have. It was okay. like a very kind of ugly direction, and uh, you know some of the memetics thing is like uh, what is like the idea of like back in Rome, uh, concrete came about, and. Uh, it sort right. of used Rome as an excuse to as its own evolution, and it had really nothing to do with human consciousness. So I'm kind of wondering: Are we crossing some kind of? Are we are we trying to associate it with something that really has nothing to do with, you know, the beauty of our own consciousness, or uh, can yes. we incorporate it into into uh, useful uh, means? Yeah. Well, I, okay. I think I've got uh, the gist of what you're wanting. Do you, you know? I'm not sure I've got a good answer for you. The, the, you know, it, to me, this relates back to something Ian said earlier uh, when he was talking about computing, that uh, that there's this potential symbiosis. Uh, uh, and In other words, technology amplifying what we are. And, of course, we see this commonly on the battlefield, uh, you know, and but, but is there a larger, um, uh, you know, conscious, consciousness uh, guiding this kind of operation. You know, scientists are notoriously bad ones to ask this kind of a, uh, a question to because, uh, because I think not that, that scientists don't believe. I myself am a, uh, uh, I'm not an atheist, but I'm kind of uh, currently unaffiliated, I guess is the best way to put it, uh, just because we're doubters. And, and it's not that we, that I doubt is a bad word. Um, we want to, uh, we're kind of Missouri guys, so sh show me. Right. <laughs> so so in, in that way, I just think that, uh, that the physical evidence, there hasn't been enough physical evidence, uh, 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 you know, to prove it to me. That doesn't mean it's disproved, uh, but I, 
I don't know the answer to your question on that on All that right. particular line. Let's get Kevin in Canada on Coast to Coast AM. Kevin on the international line. Hello there, Ian. Yeah, long time no talk. Uh, how's it going there, Ian? Good. You're talking with Richard Phillips. Hello there, Richard. Hi, Kevin. Hello, yes. Um, I've always... I've uh, always said, you know, one person doesn't have all the answers, but there are some people that have a heck of a lot of them. And uh, one of those people, I think, was uh, the late, great J. Philip Corso, who uh, was author of the book uh, The Day After Roswell. And he worked with, uh, in the research and development area of the Pentagon, where they worked on, on alleged um, alien technology, which all developed into a lot of the technological wonders that we know of today. Where, like uh, you were talking about the transistor radios, laser technology, light technology, and a whole bunch of others. Um, how do, how much would would you say that your research correlates with that of uh, J. Philip Corso? I wouldn't. I wouldn't compare. Uh, I wouldn't try to compare myself to somebody like that. Uh, obviously, a a person with. Uh, an extensive uh, <laughs> resume. Uh, no, I, I think that I've got a subset, uh, and it's a different subset. You know, mine is mine is based on uh, on technologies I've seen, and I've worked in the laboratories uh, where you get a chance to see some of the very uh, most cutting edge stuff that a lot of people would like to lay their eyes on. Um, and and so my a, a lot of my conclusions aren't even directly drawn from. Uh, you know, having seen a spacecraft and this particular component came off of the spacecraft, it has to do more uh, more directly with um, having seen uh, what I would term some amazing uh, some amazing technologies uh, that that don't seem to flow in a logical sense directly from uh, uh, from our current line of research. So, so I, I can buy a breakthrough. Periodically, uh, but I have a hard time buying a sequence of accelerating breakthroughs at the kind of pace um, that they're happening at right now. Elaine is in Fort Myers, Florida, for a f- former uh, government physicist uh, Richard Phillips. Elaine, yes, good morning. Hi, Elaine. Hi, I I have two questions. Uh, number one, um, when we're talking about these crashes like Roswell and thinking that people are questioning, like, why are they making all these technological mistakes and maintenance, like you said, that maybe they aren't mistakes. Maybe they're maybe they are on purpose, so we can, that's their way of uh, giving us information to study, and they're doing it on purpose. Well, uh, you know, that's an interesting thing you said that, because that was the take in my book, The Second Ship, is... Um, uh, there's a there's a definite reason for certain things to be provided to us. Um, <laughs> so so anyway, that's interesting that you pulled it out since that has not come up. Yeah. Yeah. My my second question is is I really find it very hard to believe that since the 1940s nobody's ever unofficially penetrated Roswell and maybe gotten killed in the process or whatever. I find it hard to believe in all these years that nobody's ever unofficially gotten in there and seen what what it all really is. Well, um, I certainly haven't, but, uh, but I, I, you know, it is an amazing thing that that's been, uh, you know, 62 years now. Um, and I was in Roswell, uh, I, w- I was in Roswell, uh, for this anniversary, by the way, uh, back at the start of July. 
and <laughs> gave a, a talk at the uh, International UFO Museum there. Uh, but uh, but it is it's one of the the great mysteries. Um, would you say that you could confirm for all of us, based on your professional experience, that uh, alien life forms are monitoring us on this planet? Um, I cannot definitely confirm that they are currently monitoring us, but I but I am convinced that uh, uh, that intelligent. Uh, the intelligent life with great, far greater capabilities than ours um, is in the area. Okay. Uh, Brad is in Syracuse area, uh, coast to coast. Brad, you're talking with Richard Phillips. How you doing, Ian? How you doing, Mr. Phillips? Good. Brad? Um, just first, real quick, I, I happened to think of this while I was waiting. If you have a, 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 a son or a daughter that is involved in computers and they're not abusing the fact they're messing up their school grades. I have a son that uh, latched on to computers like maybe a, a kid would latch on to farm machinery back in the 30s. He uh, was a commander of a, a group of young people, and they they did the uh, Warcraft games, and uh, he, he was the only person that ever beat the European team. They sent him all, all the way around the world, uh, all the way around the United States, and played these games. And you know, he's a computer guy. He works with a law firm, and you know, don't don't stand in the way of, of our youth because they tend to know a lot more than a lot of okay. the guys heading for sixties. But my, sure. my 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 question to you, sir, is the is the the cattle mutilations, which is always a topic on this show. And I I threw an email to uh, Coast to Coast one time that the reason why there's cattle mutilations is you've never seen a heavy alien. They're all on the Atkins diet. But <laughs> but uh, being a computer person yourself, you don't necessarily have to even look at one but you might want to think and say let's accept the fact that that's happening for sure and then think outside the boxes and then you would go into your type of work and say well why would they be you know they've got four stomachs they produce milk everybody drinks milk on, on the earth uh, pretty much uh, what would be the reason and in your line of work I, I, I would have to think that's what you do is right. you, you uh, go outside just, the box let's find yeah. out well uh, that's, that's, uh, that's an excellent point but that's not one of the areas I've personally uh, looked into. Um, you know, the 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 underlying theme of what your question though was, I'm I, I'm very interested in, and that is that you know sometimes we we lock ourselves in with assumptions, and you just absolutely have to uh, to ask these what if questions. If you start with a different basic assumption, sometimes things make sense uh, that wouldn't have made sense otherwise, but. But I don't know the answer to the particular uh, cattle mutilation issue. And how that would relate to anything. Okay, let's go to uh, Susan in Kingston, New York, on Coast to Coast AM for Richard Phillips. Susan? Hi. I just had a comment about um, the possibility of using nanotechnology in medicine. And uh, although I know it's in vogue to think of, of being very advanced and cutting edge as far as medical uh, medical treatments and, and, and new developments. Um, anybody who's in the medical field and really paying any attention and being honest will tell you that um, we can't even pay attention and keep track of which leg to amputate going into surgery, um, not to leave sharp metal objects in people. Um, <laughs> 
it, it, it's it's nice in theory, but um, <laughs> well, I, I dis- I'm going to disagree with you on that. I I think all it takes is a sharpie, and when when fe- people follow protocol, my wife went in for a surgery, and three different nurses and a doctor wrote on the part that needed to be operated on, and it was a very low tech solution to a problem which has come up a couple of times. But fortunately, when you think of the great volume of surgeries that go on most people don't go in for something and come out missing a limb i mean it's it's a very small it's a very less than one percent group i, that I does work that. in i work in hospitals all day uh for many years and i can tell you the number of uh mistakes that are made are just mind-boggling well the mistakes mean, are one thing i mean i understand that and we're human beings but i don't know that that means that just because humans make mistakes that research isn't going to lead us into nanotechnology. Well, you know, I can I, I can certainly understand her concern on this. Uh, you know, I, it's one of the things I, I sometimes think about also as far as, you know, we we have such a hard time sometimes in the government uh, uh, keeping, uh, getting anything done right, that it's right. sometimes hard to believe that we could keep such big secrets uh, for so long. Well, I understand that, but I, but I think that's why it's the a lot of the private sector work doing the most interesting work when it comes to nanotechnology. Right, and and uh, you know, when, one thing that you said in uh, early on, and it really, I mean, people need to think of it broader context is that that this whole notion of compartmentalization. You can give out pieces of work that are not classified, but the whole thing adds up to a big classified program, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and that's a very common thing that's, uh, you know, the government contracts out all kinds of sophisticated work. Uh, uh, but what it's think, all being used for is classified. I've I got to hurry up because we're going to the bottom of the hour. But if, if, you, if you think about it, in a way, nanotechnology and the types of healing that might go on with that is really just an, a high-tech robotic version of uh, what they used to use it and still do in some cases, um, maggot therapy. You know, it's just isolating one organism that's going to take care of a very specific other organism. And hopefully it'll be just as successful. I have high hopes for nanotechnology in that regard. Uh, regardless of whether we're human and we screw up prescriptions and stuff. Let's get last half hour. Your questions and comments next for Richard Phillips on Coast to Coast AM. Another full boat of calls for Richard Phillips, former government physicist, able to talk about certain things that he experienced and or saw before going back into the private sector and becoming a novelist. You can find out more about his work by linking up to him at coasttocoastam.com and or getting on the air with him next. I'll try and get you an open line before the top of the hour on Coast to Coast. This is Ian Punnett. With the wildfires approaching, Mike is on a wildcard line in Los Angeles on Coast to Coast AM. Mike? Hi, Ian. Uh, I'm talking I just, with Richard Phillips. Uh, Mr. Phillips, uh, I just wondered, you seem really enthused over these technologies, but uh, which is nice, but I just wondered, do you think that uh, the rest of us will really be allowed these technologies as opposed to those in charge using them to uh, uh, benefit themselves and control the rest of us? Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question, Mike. Uh, I am enthused over the technologies, but I'm enthused in the way, uh, you know, scientists were enthused uh, when, you know, scientists are excited by breakthroughs, period. Uh, and, 
And that doesn't mean that these things don't have tremendous danger associated with them. And some of them have horrible uh, uh, ramifications for potential government misuse. Uh, so I, I am every bit as, uh, um, uh, let's say, skeptical that they will be used uh, for everyone's best interest. Uh, I just think they're, they're exciting from a, from a technological perspective. Uh, Rick is in Fresno on Coast to Coast AM on a first-time caller line for Richard Phillips. Rick? Yeah, good morning, Mr. Phillips. How are you tonight? Good, Rick. Uh, you got a real good show going tonight, Ian. Uh, Thank you. Got a first question, or, well, the only question. Uh, now, I know they're doing experimental work with uh, mind control on airplanes, where they can fly the airplane without touching the controls uh, by the mind. Now, here comes the scary part. Now, it doesn't concern the uh, metals and all like this on the people, but uh, how close are we uh, to becoming bored, uh, which was, if you're not sure what that was, was a collective mind of several hundred or several thousand people. Well, you know, this goes back again to the uh, symbiotic enhancement capability of, uh, of certain technologies. Uh, you know, where, where it really gets exciting and scary is if uh, if we can get to the point where not only can you know we're at the point now where we can we can put images and sounds into people's heads we can capture what uh, the pad the brain patterns are and we're starting to be able to get much better at recognizing what those brain patterns uh, mean uh, or in other words what a person's thinking uh, but where it really gets uh, interesting is when uh, computers can give you feedback quick enough that you can think about something, a problem that you're working on, and you start to get uh, your thoughts echoed back to you with a little bit more information, in other words, amplifying what you're thinking about. Uh, and your, your point was that that could be further extended to where you've got entire teams of people working through a uh, central computer system. Uh, like a mass, a mass mind, problem. right, right, um, or, or, or even not necessarily for good. I mean, if he's using the comparison of the Borg, it would be perhaps for evil. Well, yeah, I mean, any any technology can be applied both ways, and the more exciting it is, the more dangerous it is. Uh, let's go to uh, Tom in uh, Santa Rosa on Coast to Coast AM, west of the Rockies, for Richard Phillips. Thank you, Ian. Uh, Richard Phelps, thank you to hear you on the show. It's uh, pretty intriguing. I had two questions for you. One had to do with uh, depleted uranium experiments from Lawrence Livermore where they exploded and released uranium oxide over the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. There was a report from uh, Lauren Moret in Radioactive Times, Volume 6, Number 2, in March of 2008, titled Why Marin County Has the Highest Breast Cancer Rate in the United States. And the second was the skewed epidemiology reports where the Surgeon General Coop came out in the 1990s saying most cancers attributed to tobacco were actually due to the rate on tobacco, the radiation of tobacco. So here we go. The epidemiology reports from like the Hanford Project and others would have been skewed by that because they thought they were comparing data to the rest of the country that had no exposure when everybody did from the tobacco. Um, well, you know, I, I can't dispute that. Uh, I... I wasn't there during those particular times, so I don't really have any direct knowledge of it. Uh, but 
you know, I know that in the past we have, uh, <laughs> the U.S. government has done uh, experiments exposing people to radiation. On that particular one, I just don't happen to have any uh, direct knowledge of it. You mean intentional exposure and then the monitoring of people after they've been exposed? Sure. Well, it was mainly around the time that we were developing the atomic bomb. Uh, and um, and uh, at that point in time, the government took some risks with people, which sure. I think periodically it does. I mean, whether it's inoculating people, soldiers uh, uh, for the first Gulf War or whatever it is, the government right. is willing to take risks with people at certain times. When they when they feel like they have the uh, the protocol for that, and yet we went back, we did a show once about that about the number of people who are exposed to radiation against their will, and hopefully those days are over. But yes, uh, I guess um, Tom brings up a good point. It could actually have happened to the people of Marin County. Judy is in Texas on Coast to Coast AM for Richard Phillips. Judy. Yes, hello. I have two questions. I uh, wonder, do you know anything about why the government, our military banned civilian scientists from looking at satellite information about two or three months ago? And are you a government plant that's letting out little bits and pieces through your fiction <laughs> novels to gauge how the civilians will react to that information? And now, you, know if other you scientists- cannot possibly be serious about that second question, because <laughs> I, I know you're joking about that. Well, do you know if other scientists have written non, uh, fictional novels uh kind of leaking out little bits and pieces of of information that they have worked on. Well, I I do think, uh, now, as far as being a government plant, I think, uh, well, that would be a little far-fetched. But, of course, I would deny it if I was. Right. But the the leaking out a little bit of pieces in novels by scientists is common because scientists uh, a lot of times have certain theories that are not accepted or not generally accepted by the public, or they've got some other reason, like me, of, uh, of trying to put in as much uh, reality and still keep their novel entertaining <laughs> so that it sells. Uh, um, but, you know, I, th- I think that's a very common thing that, that a variety of scientists uh, try to put in some of their work into, um, uh, into let's say, their play. Okay. Todd is in Iowa on Coast to Coast AM on the wild card line. For Richard Phillips. Todd? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good, Todd. Okay, I have a two-part question. I was just curious if you could verify whether or not Mr. Bob Lazar worked at Los Alamos, and how would you rate his credibility? <clears throat> well, from one to ten. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know directly whether Bob Lazar worked at Los Alamos. Um, he, he didn't work there when you were there anyway. He certainly did not. Okay. Um, what although, about his credibility? Although I, his... I say certainly. I certainly didn't know everybody that worked at Los Alamos by a long shot. Okay. Uh, but what uh, about his credibility? Because he makes some very bold claims about reverse engineering from alien technology. Um, I, I don't really want to evaluate his credibility because, um, because I didn't work in any of the areas that, that he specifically uh, claimed to have worked in. So uh, so I, I guess I have to answer that with an I don't know. Okay. Uh, uh, Gil is in Kansas City on Coast to Coast and a wild card line for Richard Phillips, author of The Second Ship, which is a novelization of much of the information he's gained as a uh, government physicist. Gil? Uh, yes. Good morning, uh, Ian and Richard. Uh, just a fascinating um 
topic tonight. Um, I was going to ask a question in the medical field um, about vision. Um, what do you know about, you know, uh, the new technologies coming out uh, as far as bionic eyes and stuff like that? I had a terrible thing that happened to me in 2003, um, and um, I've got vision, like, uh, looking through wax paper right now, and they can't so. do anything for me. But I've been told by my um, my retina specialist, she, uh she told me that uh, just wait, and uh, you're going to be able to see again. Do you know, right. you know, anything about you know that kind of field? Yes, I do. Uh, and uh, how old are you? Oh, wait, I put him back on uh, hold again. Hold a second, oh, Gil. Okay. Well, that's uh, all right. Uh, he sounds like a relatively young man. Uh, I'm 46. Well, you're you younger go. than me by uh, several years, then. <laughs> so, uh, so I think you. you you will see it. Uh, I mean, they're already doing, uh, uh, you know, they're coming up with less invasive ways of doing it, but they've already done uh, experiments where they actually hooked in, a, you can think of it as an array of wires uh, into um, uh, a number of subjects' uh, brains, and it allows them to see a camera view, in, in it's pixelated because of the number of wires they put in. But depending on the number of pixels, they can already produce an image in someone's brain completely bypassing the eyes altogether. And, and there are new technologies coming out that are going to be far better than that. So um, I can't give you a, a, a timeline on that, but I think uh, it, is not, uh, uh, it is not that far away. I, you know, I would say within five years. Uh, Steve is in Toronto on the international line on Coast to Coast AM for Richard Phillips. Steve? Yes, hello. Hi, Steve. Um, my question tonight would be uh, if we ignore what we think we know about um, the Earth's like, civilization's chronology, what he thinks about the possibility that viruses themselves could be nanotechnology, uh, especially given that viruses are, I think anyway, the only so-called natural thing that aren't technically alive? Uh, well, uh, a virus uh, is certainly a possibility for uh, nanotechnology, and in fact, I think a number of uh, uh, studies are looking at viruses for um, uh, inserting a whole bunch of, you can think of it as uh, uh, genetic code insertion into uh, well, it's largely being done on animals now, but, uh, but essentially that is a form of nanotechnology, although not what people traditionally think of. But, I, but in my way of thinking, you know, uh, nanotechnology is largely going to be focused at this, uh, at this kind of organic nanotechnology when you, uh, when you apply it to, uh, uh, to the medical field. So I don't see that as far-fetched at all. I, I, it, you, you, all that we need to do, it really is hijack the microbe, and then if it has as few as, say, like, you know, um, 10 genes in it, to be able to flip the switches up, down, left, right, whatever, to make that microbe do what we want it to do as opposed to what it was naturally engineered to do, and then you've got it. You've achieved it. Well, and they've done, uh, and now this uh, seems not connected, but it's but it is similar, right? The ability to control insects' movements by uh, inserting uh, electrodes into their uh, neuromuscular systems um, 
Uh, that type of thing it, done at smaller and smaller scales is exactly what you're talking about. Let's go to uh, Chris, who's been hanging on the longest from upstate New York on Coast to Coast AM. Chris? Mr. Phillips and Ian, it's an honor to speak with you guys tonight. Thanks, Chris. My, my question is, um, um, recently we, we get home computers, we get a high um, broadband client, YouTube, so these aliens, BEs, and Chris, you're coming in and out. We're losing your cell. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, that, I'm, we're losing your cell, Chris. Oh, all right. You got me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yes, so you might want to just go right to the question before we lose you. Uh, my question is, um, you know, since we've had the Internet and Flash Player for, uh, you know, the Internet, and we can go and research everything instantly now, I've done a lot of research on aliens and whatnot. Um, you think this is some sort of infusion to kind of let us in on that they're here for real? Because there's some stuff that I found on YouTube that is just, it, it keeps me up at night. That's yeah, well, I, I, don't com I don't know the complete answer to that, but it relates back to my earlier answer that I believe, uh, you know, there's a reason for delay, and it seems to be associated with the rapid advance in technologies. And I think when those technologies reach a certain point, uh, then all delay will come to an end. How do you imagine that will happen? I mean, do you see the big, the big hovering spaceship like District 9 or, you know, the uh, Independence Day or something like that? Or, or is, there a, is there another way that you think it will happen? Um, I honestly think it would be a gateway. And somebody will be allowed to go through the gateway from Earth, and somebody. Um, will... I would suspect it would be the other way. Okay, Very good. so not like a student exchange program. Just well, you know, you you can picture the Stargate. That's the simplified version of that. But but essentially, uh, that model of uh, if you're manipulating huge, uh, essentially wormhole type type uh, gravitational fields, uh, the problem is surviving the trip. And if it's not firmly stabilized at both ends, I, I don't envision how it could be done uh, to survive the transport. Uh, Richard is in Santee, California, on uh, Coast to Coast. Richard? For Richard. Hey, yeah, good morning there, Ian. Uh, nice show. Uh, uh, yeah, Mr. Phillips, uh, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, George Norrie's report about uh, he went to a convention, was up on the building using uh, night goggle you know, night vision goggles to see some kind of phenomena going on in the sky. Um, I'm just kind of curious, since you say you've seen, a, you know, a lot of fascinating things and amazing things, and, and you kind of deal with the outer space technology. I was just wondering if, uh, do you, are you familiar with uh, any activities out there or any of that kind of stuff, people seeing things? Uh, are you, well, you know, I, was, uh, I was very anything? disappointed, actually, because, it seems, as far as personally, I've always missed that kind of thing. My, you know, when I came out to Phoenix, I had, I came out and I moved to Phoenix just after the Phoenix Lights, so I didn't get to see it. And and but I've talked to a lot of people around that had that had seen it and had pictures, et cetera, which which also caused me to to. Um, laugh at the uh, notion that it was uh, military flares dropped over town. but Right, or with balloons holding flares up simultaneously around Well, town. the whole notion of flares over a city, military right. flares over a city, doesn't make sense. Right. Um, 
And especially to get those flares to move in a coordinated fashion. Well, in one of the pictures I saw, it uh, was the, you know, in Phoenix, we've got a common phenomenon, which is uh, there'll be a, a kind of a high cloud layer, but the lights of the city reflect, you know, reflect back down, so they light the lower part of the clouds. Uh, so you look up and you see the, the clouds kind of lit up on the bottom. Well, this was below a layer like that, but people could not see the backlit clouds uh, between these supposed flares. Uh, right. But let's get one other quick question, if we can, from William in Mississippi. He's the only one hanging on that we didn't get to. William? Uh, yes, sir. Quick question for Richard Phillips. Uh, just more of a comment. Uh, you've made several statements that... Um, we would have to reach a certain point in technology before we made true contact. I mean, these are, um, you know, not from any personal knowledge or anything, but just assumptions. These are extremely high, highly evolved beings, and I would uh, just think that it may be not just technology, but that uh, maybe we'd actually have to reach a higher level of consciousness and responsibility. Wouldn't it be uh, nice if those things went hand in hand and we could do them all at the same time? Who knows? I, I like your idea. Yeah, I don't think anybody's objecting to that. Well, uh, link up to Richard Phillips through coasttocoastam.com. Thank you so much for bearing under the intensity of my questions and and being as specific as you can be, Richard. I enjoyed it very much. Well, thanks, Ian. You had me sweating for a while there. <laughs> uh, that's I, I, if, it, if it's any consolation, that's, I think, what all our guests say <laughs> oh, on Coast to Coast. Thank you so much, William. Art Bell coming up tomorrow it's night. It's me again. Deus Jamie FloridaUFORadio.com. If you haven't done so already, please come on over to FloridaUFORadio.com and sign up with us. You can become a member, post blogs, post videos, and post in our forum. Best of all, you can interact with other members and be a part of Florida UFO Radio every week. It's a great and growing site, and I would like for you to be a part of it. FloridaUFORadio.com is your place. Come on over. We have 24-hour live UFO talk radio. Hope to see you there, folks. This is Jamie Havikin, and I'm out of here. This is Terrell Copeland, and now I am a voice in the Jackal Cage. I'm Sean B., author of the 2012 The Paranormal Cookbook, and now I'm inside the Jackal's head. My name is Steve Eunice from SupermanHomePage.com. And now I'm a voice inside the Jackal's head. This is Cyanide, and I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. This is Jamie Havikin, and I cannot escape the Jackal's head. This is Heavenly Angel, and I'm trapped in the Jackal's head. Now, I'm a voice from the Jackal's head. Finish great job. This is the Oz Man, one of the voices in the Jackal's head. <laughs> I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. And that was Void Pie. <laughs> I'm Nick Pope, and now I'm a voice inside the Jackal's head. This is Stephen Bassett, and uh, I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. Stephen Jacobson. And I'm now the voice of the Jackal's head. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the, the new king of radio.
Tenacity Radio and the Paranormal Soup Network. Welcome everybody to the Jackal's Head, brought to you by myself, the Jackal, and my news informant slash co-host slash good friend slash gentleman on the line, Mr. Jamie Havican. Here on the Jackal's Head, we're going to investigate tonight Mr. Staten Friedman's new book, Science Was Wrong. And yes. I know a lot of folks have heard St- you know, Stanton Friedman speak, and you guys have heard him do interviews in the past, but I plan to do something special here tonight for Mr. Stanton Friedman, and just stick around for that, because that alone is going to be something really cool, and he is going to be, I believe, touched by what I have to say to the man. I'm a big, big fan of, as you know, Jamie, I'm a big fan of Mr. Friedman, and it's an honor to have him back on the show here tonight. But welcome to the Jackal's Head, everybody who's listening in, both on Tenacity Radio and on the Paranormal Soup Network on this beautiful Saturday night. It is a beautiful Saturday night, is it? Isn't it not, Jamie? Yeah, it is. So Clear far, skies so over far. here. Well, we were going to do a Skywatch tonight, but, uh, you know, we got the Jackal's Head. Maybe tomorrow night yes, it'll be clear. You know, we, we've we had storms lately in Florida, and I think it's the first clear night we've had. I can't wait. Yeah. You know, I, I can't wait till October. You know, in October, when that first cool front comes down, you get the crisp air. I just can't wait. 
yeah, that's the best time of year. I think October, November, that time period. It's but we still have Florida guys. Yeah, uh, we still have August to uh, pretend with, and that's the brutalest month. I mean, July and August are just terrible. Yes, and luckily for us here in Florida, we haven't been hit hard so far this season with any hurricanes. We had Bonnie, who just uh, was a tropical storm recently, and that came and went and did absolutely no damage, thank God. Of course, we have the you know the BP oil crisis, uh, which they seem to be you know finally getting some kind of resolution out of that. But there's a lot of stuff in the news, and Jamie, you brought some uh, stuff to the table today that you said were was actually going to blow my mind. Yes. Well, that knocking you might have heard was me knocking on wood when you said we haven't had much hurricane news or whatever. Yes. Hold on. So you might have heard this. That was me knocking on wood, and I think you should do the same. Okay. Knocking on wood. Yeah, it's been a clear year, and, you know, I've been in Florida for over two decades, actually three decades almost now. Um close to it anyway and uh let me tell you something i've been through hurricane andrew and a bunch of the different yep. hurricanes in fact when we first got to florida uh was when hurricane andrew first hit yep we were both you know, in andrew like a couple it was a couple you were, years you, before, so i've been through with some of the big ones yep you you were more towards the eye of andrew but i was also in andrew i was in the eye of yep. charlie a category four but yeah let's get into the news we got one very controversial story to get to, but this first story is really excited, and I'm happy for my buddy Roger Marsh of the UFO Examiner. He's seen a UFO when he was a kid, and, uh, you know, he does sky watches and stuff like that, but it's been 37 years since I've seen a UFO, and finally this evening, Thursday, July 29th at 10.59 p.m., I was blessed with watching something odd in the late evening sky. Keep in mind a UFO is not necessarily an alien craft from a faraway galaxy or an interdimensional right. travelers. It's just something flying through the air you cannot immediate identify, immediately identify. My 17-year-old right. son Joey and myself had stepped out back uh, out the back door onto our deck on our Scottsdale, Pennsylvania home, we have a wooden ramp that moves off this for my wife's wheelchair. Uh, Joey was going off to a friend's house that night, and I was just seeing him out. As he uh, stomped down the ramp uh, into the backyard, I looked up into the northeast sky. A giant green fireball suddenly caught my attention, and I immediately shouted to Joey to look up. We both watched this object silently, moving in a downward motion and lost sight of it only behind our neighbor's Debbie's two-story frame house one block away. Joey and I both agree it was huge, about the size of a nickel at arm's length. I have no idea how far the object was, but it was definitely green and seemed to be on fire. Joey recalls it was spewing fire from behind it. So that's cool when you get, you know... When a guy admits he hasn't seen a UFO in 37 years and it's somebody, you know, with the credibility of Roger Marsh's status, then, um, yep. you know. But uh, let's read this next story, and then we're going to go into the controversial story of the day. This one's coming from Tecronati, which has really been putting out a lot of UFO stories lately. Commercial airline pilot says UFOs are real. With nearly 30,000 flight hours under his belt, Jim Carrant's qualifications as a major passenger airline captain are solid. So is his conviction that the UFO phenomenon is real. I got the proof that I was after. 
Corinth says. That's the part I won't discuss, but obviously something has kept me in this, taking chances I have. The nature of the proof that he found isn't all that Corrent won't discuss. Concerns about professional repercussions. He declines to confirm the name of his airline, nor will he reveal the identities of some high-level officials who he says have confirmed the extraterrestrial presence in conversations with him. So uh, he did drop a few names like Gordon Cooper and Edgar Mitchell. And uh, for right now, he's pretty much keeping it uh, on the wraps until, hmm. you know, maybe it'll come forward. But, uh, Jack, are you ready for, this, ready for this controversial story? I'm, I'm so ready. I think me being so ready almost knocked you off of your chair. Are you okay there? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, I'm ready, man. I'm telling you, this one has uh, had me scratching my head all night since you told me it was going to blow my mind. Okay, you so, ready? Blow, blow my mind. I'm ready. Go for it. The sheriff nephew claims Travis Walton's hoax was well known. Oh, boy. Let's let those without sin cast the first stone. The accusation. Okay, you all alien freaks, I hate to ruin your dreams. But the truth about Travis Walton, well, I am from Scottsdale, Arizona, which is where Travis Walton is from. And I graduated with his oldest kid, whose name is Clifton, and his cousin Donovan graduated in the same class. Just trying to prove my point that I did, and it was the class of 96. My great-uncle, Sank Flake, was the county sheriff at the time of his abduction. Travis Saint Walton... Flake. Yep. That's his name, Saint Flake. Saint Flake. Tra okay. Travis Walton and Mike Rogers worked together for a couple of years in the White Mountains, cutting lumber down for paper mills. It's common knowledge to all residents of Young Arizona, which is where Travis apparently was abducted, uh, that the Air Force did a lot of testing maneuvers through the mountains for training. For us who have been camping in the White Mountains for most of our lives, on rare occasions, the forest ranger will come to campers and say there might be helicopters and other stuff flying around the air tonight. Please do not be alarmed if you get spotlighted. It will only be for a few seconds. Here's my point. Mike and Travis were hiding. Uh, Mike and Travis were way behind on contracts, so they were hired a few extra hands. Uh, which took them over budget. One of them was a well-known acid freak from Contro, Arizona, about five miles outside of Snowflake. <clears throat> His name is Dallas. My uncle arrested Dallas on drug charges. He was on bail when he was hired to work with Mike Rogers. The day that Travis Walton was abducted is the same day the Air Force was doing training in the White Mountains. Yes, Travis got out of the truck and looked up in the sky at weird lights, that were above him, and yes, a spotlight came all around him, and Mike Rogers drove off and left him at the spotlight. As the spotlight came on the truck, which scared all the men in the truck, the spotlight was only, let me see, was only on them for a second. Mike drove to the diner, which was 12 miles down the road, called the Red Robin Diner. Mike was the only person who went back to pick up Travis from the spot. Where he, had, where he found Travis, who had passed out from drinking after they got done with work that day. He had consumed quite a bit. They were going to lose all their contracts in a couple of days, which was going to bankrupt Travis and Mike's business. The guys who had stayed at the diner told all the patrons they saw weird lights and it chased them and uh, that Travis got out and what happened. 
All the guys had friends that came to pick... Wait, all the guys had friends come pick them up at the diner except one, Dallas. Dallas started to hitchhike down the road and was picked up by Mike Rogers. Dallas uh, had told Mike the guys at the... Uh, let me see, I keep scrolling down and losing this. That the guys were saying at the inn that the patrons were asking about all the lights around the truck and around Travis. They told the patrons that they were being attacked by UFOs and that Travis was at, or Travis Walton was actually at Dallas's house in Concho, Arizona for the five days getting high off his ass. So, uh, I mean, this story goes on forever. I'm going to post it in wow. both, uh, I'm going to post it in both chat rooms so you guys can uh, check it out. But, uh, yeah, it, it goes on probably three times longer than what I've read already, so. Oh my! Now if has you, Travis uh, come out and talked publicly about this? Uh, no, about this, this report. This just this just hit the airways. Uh, you know, oh, like man. yesterday. Yesterday, it just came out. So, well, you know, that's a, now that's a, another uh, question for Stanton tonight. Uh, what are his thoughts on the Travis Walton case? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's, he's uh, met Travis several times and has run into him and spoken to the man. So that's another good question for uh, Stanton Friedman tonight. That's, uh, that's you know what, it, if you listen to the archive episode of, of when Travis was on the show on Jackal's Head here, uh, he does say, which is very curious and peculiar, that he does say that he believes that what may have happened to him was that a government ship... Yeah abducted him not so much aliens well, but maybe some kind of u.s undercover ops operations you know training going on or something and he just walked into it kind of got knocked out and you know they took him and you know but he, he says that they very well could have been a, you know some government officials or some government well, uh ship and, and not so much and, an alien ship in the article it says that uh, most people know Travis and the people that were with him passed the lie detector test, but questions that were asked were questions like, did you see strange lights around Travis? Did Travis get out of the truck and walk, walk towards this strange light? Did you guys leave Travis there because you were scared? You know, they never asked questions like, you know, were you abducted and seen aliens? So that's why this guy says that the results were... He was telling the truth. Now, he's the nephew of the sheriff that was in the town. Now, you got to remember, there was a huge investigation in the real story, yep. they say, because they thought Travis Walton had been killed by the other guys. So, I don't know. Well, here's yep. the thing. Travis did go missing, though. That is reported. He was missing for several days. Yep. So, that part of the case... It's true. He did go missing. Yep. You know why? If this is the son of the sheriff or the nephew of the sheriff or whatever, why didn't you know they come forward before when they you know supposedly knew that you know the whole thing was a hoax? Well, why because they waited so long. I guess because you know uh, they say that Travis. Uh, at first, they just went along with it because that's what the people at the bar told them, and then you know he made money off of it. They thought maybe they'd get tourism or something, but. I don't know, oh, but they did say that, that Travis was at Travis was at this guy's house for five days getting high off his ass. That's the truth. That's what they say. And in my news show today, I did say, like this stories and many others, I won't tell you what I believe. I'll just read it to you, give you the link, let you read it for yourself, and you can conclude what you think. You know, There's definitely something that happened to Travis. I, I, yeah. I believe that, but uh, you know, 100%. 
do I believe he's abducted? No, because I don't I don't have the evidence, you know. He has yeah, a good well, story. It's 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 very well researched and, you know, that's all you can go by. You have to leave it up to yourself whether you believe the pros overweigh the cons. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always said that his story is one of those that I go into ufology thinking uh, that, that it's just a, an actual case that really happened. Like, I really believe that he was abducted. I don't think it was, you know, maybe aliens, you know. I kind of agree with him a little bit that it could have been some government experiment going on that he just walked in on by accident, you know, and just uh, bad place, bad time, and he just got caught up in it, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of what I believe happened to him, but at the same time, you know, his story has been so consistent over the years that if he was a drug addict, uh, I'm sure that his story would have changed several times. I mean, have oh, yeah, you ever known yeah. a drug addict to keep a straight story for 30 years? No, but he does admit that he did do drugs back then. Um he did admit that. Yeah, but, but it was the seventies. Who didn't do drugs? I know exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah, the, I'm not. I'm not trying to. That. I'm not trying to say that this is the truth. I'm just reading what I have, and I have. No, I got you. Uh, I got you. That, you know more, what? That is a mind. That is a mind blowing story, though. I'll tell you that because, yeah. like I said, I'm a huge fan of the Travis case, and I'm well, gonna have to talk to Travis because, as you know, yeah. I, I am in communications with the man. I'm gonna Get ask him, him about. Bring this, him on. Bring him on the show. Yeah, if he wants to come on and over it. Um, Let's uh, debate this because uh, you yeah. know I, I want to set the record straight on this. It's a very good story, Jamie. Thank you for bringing on. Even the show yeah, Thank even you. try to try to get the the sheriff's nephew to come on too with Travis. That would be a show. Um, that would be. So epic, I got. Yeah. I got one more piece of news, and this is kind of on a personal thing. But uh, last night, I welcomed Yap Van Etten to the show. He's a researcher from. Uh, com, and we talked about crystal skulls we talked about yep. vortexes in the Sedona area and all around the world we talked about metaphysical ecology a term in which he uh, a phrase in which he's termed and about his crystal skull named Sam and other crystal skulls it was a great show we just vibed off of each other uh, very good we went for two hours had him on for the first hour and a half and my silent co-host actually asked two questions last night. Oh, so, my. Yeah, so if you guys missed that show, go to floridaufo.planetparanormal.com, and you can see it right there. Oh, man, so Willie actually opened his mouth? Yes, he did. And, uh, oh, man. It, it was quite, uh, you know, see, quite what, what, surprising. What, uh, what UFO Willie does for you, which is what I'm trying to get my, uh, you know, my booth operator Pete Dickinson here to do, is to just be a silent partner in the booth, yeah. and he does that so beautifully. I haven't heard him actually ask any uh, questions in the past, so that's amazing. He actually asked a question. Well, See, I Pete, have... that's what you got to start doing and just staying quiet, like Dave. But yeah. when you have something important to ask, then you ask it. Well, if you ever you hear my piece. shows. If you ever hear my shows on Florida UFOs, uh, you know, my, my producer's actually behind a, a, a quarter-inch thick plexiglass, and we, I'm not, yep. I can't afford the mic to go back and forth, so she actually reads my lips, so sometimes in my shows, if you go to the archives, you'll hear me saying, push number two. Yeah, but that's bullshit. You're not going to let the person in the booth talk? But, uh, uh Pete, Betty, Pete, Pete, no, no cursing, please. No cursing on yep. the show. Pete, slow down no, there, buddy. Good, yeah. I'm producing the yeah, show well, tonight. Yeah, I apologize, guys. I'm sorry. Did you take uh, your that, meds, good, Pete? Pete? All right. 
you know, Pete, he's a, he's a short fella. He's about five foot one. You know, he's uh, he tries. You know, he's a good guy. Isn't that five foot one? Yes, you are, Pete. You're five two, maybe tops, tops. But uh, I just wanted to uh, also say there's a lot more UFO news that I posted today. Uh, if you're the type of person that likes to keep up on UFO news, I post the latest stories uh, every day but Sunday at floridaufonews.blogspot.com, and that is one yeah. sweet-looking website, if I could say so myself. Yes, it is. I'm it proud is of myself. And let's talk a little bit before we uh, go on break here and get Stan on the line. Uh, you, of course, have now Inception Radio. Yeah, yeah, we're kicking it off. Uh, tell the people it's, about it's, that a little bit before. Yeah, it, it's weird here. because a lot of people are going to think that uh, I am calling it that because of the movie. But what's weird is, you know, probably three or four months ago before anybody really heard about the movie besides those that produced it, maybe a few insiders. Uh, you know, I started Florida UFOs to talk about our sky watching stuff. I didn't start it to think that I'd be doing the show for a year and doing interviews. I wanted to open up my, my guest base and be able to bring on any kind of guest I wanted or cover any kind of topics I wanted. So I actually posted some things on Yahoo Answers, give me some good names. I wanted something that actually meant something, like veritas means truth in Latin, and nobody could come up with anything. So I was thinking of different words. I thought of inception. I knew it was a word. I searched it. It means the commencement of something new or grand, a commencement of a big event. So I went with it, and uh, I've had it on the back burner now for a while. And then about a month ago, I see this movie trailer, Inception, the movie coming. You know, I was like, oh, boy. And you're Everybody's like, oh, crap. Yep, and people are going to say, well, you know, you know, he's biting off the movie. It's been in production for three years. He must have heard about it somewhere. But honest to God, I didn't. And, you know, I'm sticking to it. It's going to be Inception. It's going to be buried because all the links are going to be Inception, the movie. But we'll get it there. And, and basically what I'm going to do is... Uh, until August 13th, we're going to be Florida UFOs, and then August 13th, we're kicking it off with a huge show. We're having Nigel Kerner on, who wrote the book, Very Gray, nice. Grays and the Harvesting of Souls, and we're having two other PhD researchers on. We're going to be talking about his book and the Shroud of Torin. It's going to be a big show, our kickoff show, maybe the biggest show I've ever done on Inception Radio. Florida UFO Radio will continue to live on as my news show every day at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Paranormal Soup Network. Yep. So it's not going away, folks. I know you have a big fan base of Florida UFOs, so don't get scared. Don't get worried. Don't start crying and emo cutting. He's not going anywhere. It's still no. going to be every day at 4 p.m. on the Paranormal Soup Network. Guys, we're going to take a little break here. Stick around. We got Stanton Friedman. The man himself, Stan the Man, is going to be on the show here in about six minutes with us on the Jackal's Head, only on Tenacity Radio and the Paranormal Soup Network. So stick around, guys. We're going to be right back in about, uh, what do you say, five, six minutes around there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. into a new dimension Listening to 
there's one secret question you can't ask. If they know the answer to this question, then they're definitely aliens. They have to tell you in detail what these ingredients are for the secret sauce in the Gordita Crunch Taco yeah. Bell. Yeah. Only the aliens and the folks at Taco Bell know the secret ingredients for the secret sauce on the Gordita Crunch. The Jackal and his co-host. There is a way to test if these are real aliens. Next time it happens, Ask them to give you something to prove that they know something that's not out yet. Like Stan Romanek, they gave him uh, mathematical equations and elements that weren't discovered for a couple of years. Ask them to tell you something that's going to be developed next year. And uh, if it comes true, then they really are aliens. If not, then you're probably having sleep paralysis. If you wake up and you're in bed, then you're probably sleep paralysis. Taking risks while keeping cheap chicks from getting 
and owner, life in the hood is all good for nobody. Remember gaming on dumb hotties at show party. Me and you know true or two. While scheming on hits and getting tricks that maybe we can slide into. But now you worry, rest niggas cause I ain't worried. Eyes blurry saying goodbye at the cemetery. So memories fade. I got your name tatted on my arm so we both wrong to my dying days. Before I say goodbye. Caden went mental, rest in peace, thug till I die How many brothers fell victim to the streets? Rest in peace, young nigga, as I have been forced to I'd be alive if I told you that I never thought of that My nigga, we the last ones left And life goes to how many brothers fell victim to the streets? Rest in peace, young nigga, as I have been forced to I'd be alive if I told you that I never thought of that My nigga, we the last ones left with G's in my pocket, have a party at my funeral, let every rapper rock it Let the hoes that I used to know from way before kiss me from my head to my toe Give me a paper a pen so I can write about my life of sin A couple of bottles of gin in case I don't get in Tell all my people I'm a rider, nobody cries when we die We outlaws, let me ride until I get free I live my life in the fast lane, got police chasing me To my niggas from old blocks, from old crews Niggas they got me through, back in the old school Pour out some liquor, have a toast for the homies See we both gotta die, but you chose to go before me And brothers miss you while you gone You left your nigga on his own, how long we moan Life goes on, how many brothers fell victim to the streets Life Rest in peace, on. young nigga, has ever been forced to be Welcome back, everybody, to the Jackal's Head. Here with you is myself, of course, you know, the one and only Jackal, the infamous Jackal. And with me tonight, like I said earlier, we have none other than nuclear physicist, lecturer, and living legend, Mr. Stanton Friedman, who received his uh, BS on, uh, actually his degrees as a physicist in the University of Chicago in 1955 and 1956. He was employed for 14 years as a nuclear physicist by such companies as GE, GM, Westinghouse, TRW Systems, Aerojet General, uh, Nucleotics, uh, McDonnell Douglas, you know, working in such highly advanced classified uh, areas, eventually canceled programs as nuclear aircraft fusion and fusion rockets and various compact nuclear power plants uh, but for the last few decades he's been writing about UFOs especially the Roswell case which he's become legendary 
in his information and the books he's written. He has written five books with the latest one recently out with Miss Kathleen Martin, which was called Science was wrong. And I want to welcome now a living legend, really, Mr. Stan Friedman. Welcome to the show, Jackal's Head, sir. I'm glad to be here again. It's an honor to have you back on the show. I mean, we had you here a few months ago, and let me tell you something, Stan, before we, we continue here tonight, uh, I just wanted to say this. Uh, you are, sir, without a doubt, my favorite guest to have on, and I've only had you once before, but to have you on and you know to listen to you talk in other shows, and I'm going to give you the reason why now. You could have as many crazy conspiracy people that you want on your show, you know, to get big ratings or get a lot of people to follow your show, and you could promote the heck out of their agendas, and it could be the Guardians of the Federation of Light, the Key Masters, Gatekeepers, Billy Myers, Michael Horn, whoever you want to get that is going to give you big ratings. But to be honest with you, when I speak to you, sir, I think I'm always getting something that I don't get with any other of these folks, and that's credibility. And that is something that, I, you know, you're also an excellent judge of character because I've heard you talk about not only the debunkers, but also about the people that you consider to be frauds. And I appreciate the fact that you have an open mind, but at the same time, like me, you like to go for the facts. And, you know, in case nobody's ever said it before, Stanton, I wanted to say to you, thank you for everything you've brought to ufology in your, in your time with us and for this book that you just, you know, laid on here on us, which is an amazing book, Science Was Wrong. Thank you so much for, for everything you've done, sir. I really wanted to say that off the bat here. You're very welcome. I hope I can keep doing it. <laughs> I think you, you're going to outlive a lot of us, believe me. And let me ask you, you know, this book, this is the second book you write with Kathleen, you know, Martin, and she is a fascinating lady, and I tell you, I've, re I've read the last book, Captured, and now I'm reading this book. Um, you two make an amazing duo when it comes to writing about the UFOs and about uh, science in general, or anything that has to do with UFOs. Uh, how well is it to work with her, and how, you know, how did you uh, two start working together? Well, we've known each other for many years. She's Betty Hill's niece, and... Uh, mm -hmm. I met Betty and Barney Hill way back in 1968, uh, and she was active with MUFON, too. For 10 years, she was in charge, that's the Mutual UFO Network, she was in charge of certifying investigators, doing their tests and so forth. We'd see each other at uh, symposium, uh, symposia. We were just at the one in Denver, as a matter of fact, last week. Uh, and so over the years, we've had a chance to talk a lot, and then... Uh, <laughs> We started working together on Captured because some crazy outfit in England, Montour, um, called me and wondered if I knew anybody who uh, was still alive connected with the Betty and Barney Hill case. I said, I do. Let me check with them to see if it's okay to uh, pass on uh, her name to you. And I did, and it was, and I did. And so they brought me into New Hampshire. They brought her into, she lived in New Hampshire at that time. Now she doesn't. She's gone south. Uh, long <laughs> way for me. Um, anyway, um, we did the show. We were interviewed by them, and it was broadcast only in Canada for some strange reason. An English outfit doing something for the Discover Channel in Canada, not in the U.S., which is a good thing as it happens, because they didn't seem to be interested in evidence particularly. And uh, when I read the paper, I had sex with an alien, Stanton Friedman, it said in the listing. <laughs> and I hit the ceiling. Uh, Kathy didn't see that show because it wasn't broadcast in the U.S., but 
This was the craziest darn thing you ever saw. They had a woman who claimed she had ten alien lovers and a guy who oh said, my. oh, he's got alien <laughs> females all over the place. And, of course, Betty and Barney didn't have sex with aliens. I have never met an alien, uh, sexual or not. Uh, and so we talked at some length about this and decided maybe, uh, maybe we ought to do the story right. And I visited Kathy, uh, it was 400 miles then, and looked at all the materials she had. She'd been working on a, a serious study of the case for many years. And I was very impressed, and she asked if I wanted to be part of it, and I said yes. I was the first to publish about the star map work that's in the book, and right. I'm also the heavy in dealing with the nasty, noisy negativists. <laughs> Since uh, I, I don't mind, I don't have to worry about what my boss says. I'm my own boss, so I can be rather blunt about the uh, debunkers and so forth. Yes. And then we talked about uh, after that. We had some other thoughts. Kept running into these situations where some smart guy would say something stupid, saying something was impossible. The original title of the new book. Uh, the publisher had the right to change the title. It was originally, It's Impossible, Isn't It? But it got changed to Science Was Wrong. <laughs> hey, you don't win these battles. They have the right. No, you don't. You can't win, win them the all. Contract. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I think, uh, frankly, uh, our publisher was also publishing Eric Von Daniken's latest book, uh, the American version of History is wrong, so I think they changed the title to sort of have a franchise, if you will, about wrongness. <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, so we each wrote seven chapters, and we'd see each other, you know, not very often, uh, conferences mainly, to go over stuff, and, you know, thank God for the Internet, as you said, uh, so we're thinking that now we're promoting, but we're, we're thinking about a possible, uh, other book, uh, you know, maybe it's more wrong science. I don't know. We never, we didn't run out of, we didn't run out of stupid things being said by smart people. Uh, those are going yes. on all the time, as I'm sure you're aware. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> so you know, it's, but, but it's, it's go on. No, no, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that. Uh, yeah, there's no shortage of such things. There's arrogance and egotism all over the place. And, you know, you read back old comments that uh, people said, as, as we do in the, in the book, uh, you know, space travel is utter bilge, says the British yeah. Astronomer Royal, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it's easy to laugh at these things, but th this nasty, noisy negativism has consequences. A lot of people died because... Doctors wouldn't try new treatments or kept uh, new stuff from being used. And there were delays. You know, it's like the attitude toward the jet engine in England. The English guy, Frank Whittle, had a patent in 1930. But nobody paid him any attention. And yep. uh, because obviously jet engines would be too heavy. They're gas turbines and they're heavy. Uh, yeah. Well, the Germans, uh, they came up with one in the uh, patent in 1936, but they built the first aircraft powered by jet engines. And what if England had had jet-powered aircraft to defend it during the uh, mm. Second World War? How much sooner would the war have ended, you know? Oh, yeah. So yeah. Th th these things are, are have consequences. 
And so it's important today, uh, anytime, that we all recognize that be very wary of the expert who is speaking out about stuff which mm-hmm. is about which he knows nothing, but thinks that because he has that piled higher and deeper degree, he can uh, <laughs> speak out about, you know. And I, I don't have much tolerance for these guys, to tell you the truth. And uh, it, it's kind of funny. People think I must get a hard time when I lecture. My usual lectures, flying saucers, are real. Or lately, science, uh, flying saucers and science. I have a, my 19, uh, 2008 book, rather, is Flying Saucers and Science. And I come on very strong. But the fact of the matter is I've only had 11 hecklers in over 700 lectures. And two of them were drunk. So uh, <laughs> people are quite ready to listen to facts and data and solid information and are encouraged by the fact that I am willing to stand up and be counted, you know, tell it like it is. And uh, it's been very, I'm not a masochist is what I'm saying. Nobody throws things at me, uh, eggs or tomatoes or anything else, (laughs) not even money. That's what that's what the thing we love about you, Stan. You know the fact that you know you're straight up, you're honest about what you believe to be a fact. Uh, you know you don't you don't cookie cut. You know the answer, and you know in fact I've heard you talk about the Billy Meyer case and of, of other cases in ufology, and you're on point with what you're saying. Even uh, you know cases like the Bill Cooper case. Uh, last time we I'm talked, you, know, you gave me your opinion on Bill Cooper, and you know the fact that you just said it bluntly like that, and you said what is factual about the man. You didn't, you know, you didn't attack him as you know some people would attack. Uh, you just you were factual about who he was, and you know this is the person who he was. But you know that's the great thing about you. And you know I've recently read some reviews, uh, especially one by John Harney on the on the new book, and he, oh, yeah. he talks about how how you launched your familiar attacks on the debunkers in the book. But you know let's speak on that for a minute here because of the simple fact, like I said, you don't only attack the debunkers, but you you also do attack the folks who are you know frauds. Well, that's right. I call them as I see them. And, yeah. Uh, I intentionally posted a, a link to his review on <laughs> yeah. UFO updates and with Kathleen and in, on my website, www.stantonfriedman.com, with Kathy and I responding to it because he really gave a totally deceptive picture about what we said in the book. And, exactly. you know, you got something to argue about, fine, put the facts on the table, but don't avoid giving the facts or the basis for your view. I mean, uh, John and the Magonia uh, gang uh, from England have been anti-UFO for years. And, you know, a, a typical example of that is funny, really. There was a review of my Flying Saucers in Science, uh, Peter Brooksmith. And I've met Peter. I won a debate against him, me and uh, a lawyer in England at the Oxford University Debating Society, mind you. And to his credit, a month after the debate, he ordered copies of the uh, scientific literature, which I had referenced. A little late, you might say. (laughs) But anyway, in his review of Flying Saucers in Science, he said, Uh, Friedman neglects the fact that as you get close to the speed of light, uh, the crew wouldn't barely be able to lift their arms. They'd be so heavy. He doesn't understand the physics here. Yes, you get close to the speed of light. From an outsider's viewpoint, uh, the mass increases and time slows down, but not as far as the people are concerned. You know, you'd think he would have asked somebody to look at it who knew something about physics, but... 
And so that's typical, the English uh, gang against UFOs, if you will. And they made it sound as if uh, the paranormal stuff that Kathy talked about, uh, you know, were opinions and feelings and stuff like that. And she cited chapter and verse of published literature, uh, to which she does not respond at all. So, you know, if you're going to criticize us, do it on the basis of facts and data, darn it. Exactly. If you're not going yeah. to dig out the facts and data, why say anything? Just because you can? I mean, yeah, freedom of speech, isn't it great? But it <laughs> seems to me that people have an obligation. If they're pretending to be objective, careful, unbiased, to do their homework. Check on the facts and the data. And that, that's what bothers me. Uh, you know, it's the scientists coming out. Uh, and I think uh, more of us need to be scientific about these things, mm -hmm. not just flail away as if everybody's viewpoints isn't significant as anybody else's because there is no absolute truth. Well, there are a lot of absolute truths. Two and two are four, darn it. Yes. Not three and a half, <laughs> not 5.2, you know. Some and facts so, are facts, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, you know, I, I can say that chocolate tastes better than vanilla, and you recognize that that's an opinion, not right. based on fact. Or, you know, Marilyn Monroe is prettier than Betty Grable or something like that. Uh, I don't know if she was or not, but uh, <laughs> what, th there is a difference between facts and opinions. And especially if the opinions aren't based on facts, you might as well do... I like to call it dartboard physics for some of the stuff that uh, the academics say about, especially about star travel, which they really get screwed up. Uh, it, it amazes me. I mean, you know, there's certain data that's pretty straightforward, and yet I consistently find that uh, in college physics classes or seminars, I often get asked to speak uh, before my evening lecture on a campus, and I find out from the students sometimes that, hey, the professor claims he's going to make you look like an idiot, you know, so I make sure that I say things that I know they don't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky. But then I do something a little trickier. Uh, I ask, what's the numerical value of 1G? Because they don't like the idea that you know, you can get here from someplace else, and it would take too long, and all, uh, you know, and you can't stand a lot of Gs. So they'll immediately all say, all the students and the props, 9.8 meters per second squared, which to most people means absolutely nothing, because there's nothing else we measure in units like that. So I then say, uh, yeah, okay, uh, how do you relate that to a Corvette? And they look at me like I'm speaking Swahili or something. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, there's a real world. Uh, how much acceleration? Yes. A Corvette, it's a hot car, more or less. Uh, probably not the hottest around. But uh, anyway, and I say it's 21 miles per hour per second. And for listeners who like cars, that means if you pull 1G in three seconds, you're going uh, 63 miles an hour. And that's a pretty hot car. Uh, you know, most cars take five or six seconds to get to uh, 63 miles an hour. And then I ask them, what's uh, the speed of light? And they all immediately say 300,000 kilometers per second. I say, okay, put that in units that means something to most people. 
they look at me. I said, well, try 670 million miles an hour. And that covers distances in the solar system, so it's a meaningful kind of thing. But then the key question, so how long does it take at 1G to get to the speed of light? And it's a multiple-choice question, I'll tell them. You can put away your pencils. Is it 1,000 years, 100 years, 10 years, or 1? And you'd be amazed at how many people think it's 1,000 or 100 or 10 when it's 1. Uh, and that makes a big difference. If you think it takes 1,000 years to get someplace at 1G, uh, to the close to the speed of light, uh, it's going to take a long time to get anywhere out there. But if it's only 1, then it's not so bad, <laughs> yeah. is it? You know? So I try to make sure that we deal in the real world. And this has come up, uh, I just gave a paper last week at the Mutual UFO Network Symposium. Stephen Hawking, SETI, and science. Uh, Pointing out that uh, this year the press has been sort of nice to people talking about aliens as long as they have the Ph.D. degree. And there are people like Stephen Hawking and uh, astrophysicists, even though they don't know what they're talking about. but you don't hear anybody talking about, okay, so how many stars are there around us? Uh, Frank Drake, the father of SETI, if you, grandfather of SETI, he's even older than I am. Uh, Frank is saying, and he said this at a fancy conference in England, that uh, there ought to be 10,000 civilizations in our galaxy hmm. capable of sending signals to us. That sounds like a big number. Then you realize, wait a minute, no, that means one in ten million. There's over 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Mm -hmm. So there's only 10,000 able to send signals. Uh, Now, why in the world they would send signals using technology appropriate to us primitives? I have no Mm -hmm. idea. You know, but one in ten million means within a thousand light years there might be two, us and somebody else. That's very rare indeed. Uh, And I look and I try to tell people, do you realize how many stars there are within, say, 55 light years of here? There's almost 2,000. That's a lot. Hmm. And you say 100 light years, you know, then it's eight times as many because it goes the cube of the distance. So when you say, uh, and several of the astrophysicists have said, uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, if aliens had been coming here, uh, we we would know about it because they would have sent a signal first. And I sit back and say, why? Columbus did not send smoke signals to the Indians, as far as I know, anyway. You know, Stephen said something about uh, we shouldn't let aliens know we're here, neglecting the fact that the aliens have been coming here for a long time, uh, because we might, look what happened to the natives when Columbus came. And, uh, you know, think about that for a while. The natives... Uh, didn't have weapons of mass destruction. They didn't have intercontinental mm-hmm. ballistic missiles. They didn't have all kinds of means for detecting intruders, you know, radar and spy satellites and stuff like that. Uh, and Columbus wasn't such a big shot either, so he had iron weapons and big sailing ship. Uh, that doesn't <laughs> yeah. compare to the aliens, you know. And so, uh, but the notion that if they were coming here, they would have sent us signals. I keep saying, why? They're here for their purposes, not ours. And why would anybody think our technology 
is the ultimate. We're as good as anybody else in the neighborhood. You know, we've had radio for a little, I hate to say this on radio, I guess, but (laughs) for 110 years or so, you know, uh, that's not a big fraction of the time that there has been life in the neighborhood. I mean, unless you think that the world was created in 4004 B.C., as Bishop Usher said, (laughs) you know, I I think it was October 23rd of 4004 B.C. At 6 o'clock in the evening. You know, if you say hey, that should have been 4 billion 4 B.C., you know, that changes the picture considerably. So what I'm saying is that, yes, it's nice to have the media talk about aliens without ha-ha, but, you know, there's Larry King. No, I like Larry. I've been on his show a total of four yes. times. I guess I won't be on again because he's sort of semi-retiring, <laughs> but... But he had a big show with Seth Shostak, King of the City mm-hmm. People, and my uh, Stephen Hawking was on, and uh, Dr. Brin, I think his name was, another astronomer. Yep. And, and who was the man for uh, the scientific side? It was Dan Aykroyd. Now, I like Dan, <laughs> and he knows a lot about UFOs, and he gave the book Captured a nice plug on there. Yes. But why didn't he have a scientist on there? Like me. You know, I'd have been happy to take on these guys. Uh, <laughs> no, they get an actor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like sense. I say, I've met Dan. I've had dinner with him. Great I guy, like yeah. him. You know, and he's sharp, and he's a yeah. MUFON benefactor and things like that. Uh, but it doesn't show a lot of respect for the subject, uh, as far as I can see. And, you know, it's interesting to list the basic assumptions by the SETI cultists, I call them. Uh, They assume there's aliens out there. Okay, I'm not going to argue with that. I have evidence Mm -hmm. because they're coming here. But they assume they're sending signals here using techniques appropriate to our technology. I can't find find the slightest basis for that. They assume that if they were coming here, they would talk to the SETI guys. Why? Do these guys speak for planet Earth? Not the last time I checked. You know. And not only that, who's, who's to say that the signal that the other beings are communicating with is anything like the ones we're using? They're well, aliens. Um, yeah, <laughs> it almost certainly is not. I mean, I got a, a come up, and so I, I was speaking at the University of Detroit, and uh, in the afternoon, I, there were a couple of classes there. And, and I was talking about how much our technology has changed in my lifespan. I mean, I was born in 1934 in the middle of the Depression. And, you know, look where we are now. And I said something to the effect that, you know, when I started working in industry, I was using a slide rule. And I looked around the class, didn't see any reaction. Any of you know what a slide rule is? Not one! <laughs> made me feel ancient but it gives you an idea how fast things change yep you know if i had talked about uh, a computer and i don't have a great one but the new ones you can get what terabyte hard disk hard drives mm-hmm. <laughs> that's extraordinary stan can you imagine albert einstein if he was alive today 
if he was like somehow teleported into you know today from yeah. you know back then, and he was just uh, woke up in the year 2010, and how amazed he would be with the technology the way it is today. And imagine a mind like his, what we could do with a mind like that with the technology and the way it's moving. It's really amazing oh, yeah. how rapid technology is moving. We're going to quad PCs and and eight processors, and soon the quantum computers are going to come into play. I mean, it is amazing the technologies that are, are advancing so fast in the computer world. But let me ask you: Do you really believe that some of this technology is from you know the Roswell crash or from other alien I, you know crashes? I have no particular reason to believe that, other than they may okay. have inspired some people here to mm. think uh, think differently. Uh, my mantra is that technological progress comes from doing things differently. Right. In a in an unpredictable way, and another thought that's come up recently, and that bears on this question, one of those English guys again was saying that, look, if Roswell had happened, half the scientists at universities would have had to be rushed out of the universities to work on Roswell, and yeah. I protested very loudly. I said, look. You don't seem to understand that in the United States, where we weren't being bombed or attacked, unlike in England and Russia and so forth, that we spent an enormous amount of money setting up really incredibly sharp, good labs. I visited many of them, uh, primarily for the uh, Manhattan Project to develop nuclear weapons, but we're talking about major facilities. This wasn't done at universities. There are some good researchers at universities. I'm not saying there aren't. But the great majority was done in national labs or in industrial labs, like GE and Bell Labs both had really world-class facilities during World War II. And a few years ago, I checked. And the three nuclear weapons labs, uh, Lawrence Livermore, uh, Los Alamos National Lab and Sandia Corporation each employed 8,000 plus people and each had an annual budget over a billion dollars. The three together total budget was greater than that of the National Science Foundation for all its research projects. And people don't seem to understand that. They think you've got to go to a university to find some. The finest labs, the finest instrumentation. I've been to Los Alamos. I've been to Lawrence Livermore and Sandia and to Oak Ridge and Hanford. Uh, and there's a whole bunch more. But, I mean, if you want a stealth fighter, you don't call up your local university and say, hey, can a few right. of your guys help me on this? You go to Lockheed and you spend $10 billion. And remember, the motto of the uh, academic is publish or perish. When you work on classified projects, you better not publish. You know, your satisfaction comes from a job well done, not from theoretical paper pushing. And so there's this crazy notion that uh, Roswell couldn't have happened because there wasn't this enormous migration. That's balderdash. Uh, when I, the same notion came up when I was interviewed for the Peter... Jennings' mockumentary that was broadcast February 24th, 2005. We finished the program, the, uh, the interview, 
I mean, I was lucky. 20 cents, uh, twenty seconds of my hour-long interview made it on the air. There were 100 people who got interviewed, including Dr. <laughs> John Mack and others, none of which made it on the air. Wow. Uh, but when we finished the interview, the guy says, Stan, don't you think if these things were real that half the uh, academic scientists would be working on UFO stuff? It was kind of a shocking question because he'd been pretty reasonable up to then. And I said, no, those who can do, those who can't teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you go to Lockheed or Boeing or General Electric or people like that. You don't go to universities for this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not saying that no university profits contributed anything you know, to research and development on classified activities. Of course, MIT did loads of work during the war, for example, on electronics. Mm -hmm. Well, you worked at uh, at GE yourself. I mean, you you worked at GE back in the day, and, I mean, you would say if there was any alien technology they were working on. No, I would say (laughs) I have no reason to think there was. Well, remember, we had a major effort. We we spent $100 million in 1958. Yep. That's a lot of money in $58, and we employed 3,500 people, of whom 1,100 were engineers and scientists. Mm-hmm. This wasn't eight professors and 22 grad students. We're talking about this massive effort. And uh, people seem to be blissfully ignorant of where the work gets done. So what I'm trying to say, one reason for the rapid change in our technology is that we've spent a tremendous amount of money equipping very fine labs. And, you know, when it comes to Roswell, you didn't have to go far. Los Alamos is within the state. And I've been there, and boy, do they have good labs, good equipment, good people. And the rule, incidentally, would be, and I say this for my own work on classified programs, is Something like Roswell happens. Okay, you want a quick answer as to what the heck is going on here? Are these guys going to invade us? You know, what's what's happening? <laughs> you need to go to yeah. people who are extremely talented, very bright, who have an existing high-level security clearance, who have fine laboratories with really good equipment, and who would be ready to give you an answer, you know, as soon as possible. You get it to them. You don't say, I'll come back to you in six months and get your clearance in or anything <laughs> like that, you know. So yeah. those are the requirements, and you didn't have to go far. Uh, these people uh, were all uh, involved, you might say, in the Manhattan Project. And it's it, it's kind of incredible uh, I'll give another example. The NRO, National Reconnaissance Office, announced about three years ago that they had canceled a program with Boeing developing new satellite architecture, how you arrange your components. And some of their satellites can run half a billion dollars. That's a lot of money for a piece of hardware up there, you know. <laughs> they admitted oh, yeah. that they they were canceling this program. They'd only spent four. Billion dollars and didn't get what they wanted. $14 billion represents <laughs> a massive effort. Forget about yes. aliens, you know. Uh, so I, I want to correct that crazy impression. I am not saying, even though I'm the first, the original civilian investigator of the Roswell incident, that we've learned all kinds of new technology. We may have some, but 
don't give the aliens credit for work that's been done by good, hard-working guys, not at universities, who mm-hmm. work on classified programs. There's no secret to that. The work is yeah, secret. You know, it- <laughs> It's amazing, you know. Some people don't want to give credit uh, to human beings. We're a very creative bunch of people. I mean, we create amazing new things. Our, you know, our minds are always constantly creating, and you know, you always have those individuals that come throughout history who create amazing technologies. Uh, in, in fact, I don't believe me. I have no reservations whatsoever believing that a lot of the UFOs that are cited by folks are none other than, you know, top secret crafts that we've been, you know, working on for years that have nothing to do with aliens. In fact, Michael uh, Sherratt uh, you know, has gone on, on several uh, different shows talking about some of the top secret government aircrafts uh, that, you know, he's, you know, witnessed and he's worked on and it's it's amazing the amount of stuff that the government does have that they are not telling anybody about but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're alien crafts do you think right. Stan, do you think that a lot of the reported ufo sightings could be just that reported sightings of some top secret craft that we'll see in 30 years i don't think a lot of them i think some now the cia would some, have yeah. you believe uh <laughs> yeah. the historian wrote an article Oh, the government was so happy when people claimed to be seeing UFOs when really it was the U-2 and the SR-71 and stuff. You know, I have yet to find somebody who thinks that a U-2 or an SR-71 could make a right-angle turn, could hover, could fly silently, could land out in the middle of nowhere and take off from there from a space not much bigger than itself. That was propaganda, CIA propaganda. And now they're trying to, there are people saying, oh, it's all mythical, this UFO stuff. It, well, well it, maybe it was German, you know. And that's, you know, that's a, a good, that's a good point you just made, because that's actually something that I've been hearing a lot about, that the Roswell crash could have been a German saucer, you know, because the Germans apparently had UFOs. Well, let's get that straight. The Germans had made drawings talked about the possibility of building round vehicles that would be able to go up, down, back, forth. Ideal shape, obviously. No front, no back, you know. You try right. backing up an airplane with engines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't work what we're talking about. <laughs> but uh, I, I've looked at the German. I did a review of uh, Joseph Farrell's book about the Reich and Roswell. And I was not impressed. Yes, when I worked in industry, we our artists were as good as anybody else's. And they drew up slick-looking stuff, whether it was nuclear-powered airplanes and other things that I worked on. That doesn't mean we built them. Did the Germans right. actually build any of these things? If they had, why didn't they use them during the war? Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, you know, they went off to Argentina, supposedly. And this whole industry... <clears throat> You know, suddenly blossom, building sophisticated aircraft takes metal, it takes people, it does it takes all kinds of technology. And uh, I've seen no signs of that. Uh, when you build a sophisticated aircraft, the um, oh, the stealth fighter was uh, or was one. We used it in war, plenty of wars around. You know. Oh yeah. No shortage. <coughs> And, you know, one of the reasons we dropped the atom bomb was to justify having spent all the money to develop it. <laughs> here's, here's a question for you, though, and uh, 
you know, this actually might be a little bit logical. Uh, maybe the Germans didn't, you know, create the UFOs. Maybe they only had, like you said, just some drawings or some models. But remember, when the Second World War ended in '45, we did inherit by uh, pure oh, yeah. luck some of the brightest minds that Germany had working for their science uh, team. So, I mean, you know, Werner von Braun and a lot of these scientists, they came over. Oh, yeah. Uh, who's not to say that they didn't, when, once they got here, they didn't create a UFO or, you know, a, a flying saucer or something. Well, of some sort. They were more concerned with rockets. Von Braun, he wanted to get to the moon, let's face it. Yes, and, did, yeah. uh, You remember that we had our rocket project, and boy, did it <laughs> collapse on the pad. <laughs> and so oh, then yeah. they gave... Well, you know, the politics of all this was very, uh, very important. When the Russians put up Sputnik, and we hadn't yet, we looked terrible. They put up the first satellite, then they put up the first animal, then they put the first rocket around the moon. Americans may forget all these things, but they're true. Yep. So we were getting clobbered politically all over the world. Uh, and so the decision to go to the moon by Kennedy was a political decision. You know, we've got to get a man to the moon and back safely by the end of the decade. This is in, like, 61. Um, and we did. But it was a political thing because the Russians were beating our tail everywhere you looked when it came to space. The, the old argument was that their Germans are better than our Germans <laughs> because they grabbed a bunch <laughs> of German stuff, too. The Germans, actually, if, when they had a chance, they preferred to come to the United States. Figuring oh, life would be a heck of a lot easier than it was yeah. in Russia. <laughs> you know, Russia lost 20 million people during World War II. We tend to forget that. Uh, but 20 million is a lot of people. Uh, you know, how did they hold out at uh, Leningrad for, uh, what, almost two years? Lost over a million people. Uh, we should be grateful, frankly, because... Mm -hmm. It kept Hitler from having his troops ready to clobber us when we landed at Normandy. But um, So uh, there's no doubt that we picked up under paperclip uh, and violated some rules. There were rules that nobody could be brought over who was a Nazi, and uh, it's turned out that that was not adhered to. There were plenty who were Nazis <laughs> that, using slave labor and so forth. But... Uh, these were smart guys, and now they had the full power of the state behind them, and I won't say unlimited, but big budgets. Anyway, the you know, Apollo program cost $20 billion, you know, Manhattan Project only $2 billion. Of course, the dollar had appreciated in between, but still, we're talking massive effort uh, without Roswell in there. And, yes, Von Braun was working at White Sands along with his crew, not far from Roswell. And uh, there's no question about that. Um, so it's easy to try to link the two. And it would surprise me not at all if the powers that be, the MJ-12 group, uh, and I think at least four MJ-12 documents are legitimate. There's well over 100 that aren't. <laughs> it's the ones that are that matter. I wouldn't surprise me at all if Von Braun might not have been asked his opinion I mean, you got the world's finest rocket scientist, and you've got them under your thumb. They, they wanted and to it's, And it's amazing that, that the Roswell crash happened exactly two years after the war ended, though. I mean, that in itself is an amazing coincidence. Well, yeah. Uh, 
I don't know that it's a coincidence. I, I go through the following scenario. I say I make one assumption about every advanced civilization. It's concerned about its own survival and security. Everybody we know is. That doesn't mean they're always good at it, but uh, that's a major concern. So that being the case, you have to keep tabs on the primitives in the neighborhood. But only close tabs on the primitives will show signs of being able to bother you. At the end of World War II, it's perfectly clear to any visiting aliens that soon these idiot earthlings who had just killed 50 million of their own kind in World War II and destroyed 1,700 cities, it was perfectly obvious that within 100 years they'd be able to take their brand of friendship, everybody else calls it hostility, out there. Three signs. Uh, One, rockets at White Sands Missile Range. Two, nuclear weapons. First one was exploded at Trinity Site at White Sands Missile Range. Three was radar, the beginning of the electronics age, if you will. People may not realize that there was no radar before World War II. (laughs) Uh, And you, you needed your best radar at White Sands to track the missiles, which sometimes went south instead of north, which is very embarrassing. <laughs> fortunately, Especially there were no warheads. Costing. <laughs> uh, you know, for, fortunately, there were no live warheads on those things. Yeah. Or the Mexicans really would have been upset. You know, what are you guys doing? But anyway, <laughs> the, the only place in the world in July 1947 where you could check on those three advanced technologies, which would indicate that soon Earthlings would be moving out was southeastern New Mexico. Now, I know, I was on a program in England, a television program, and an English astronomer said, well, they could have gone to the Soviet Union. Sorry, the Russians didn't test their first A-bomb until 1949, August. So, uh, what I'm saying is it makes sense that aliens would be checking things out. Look, Look what we spend every year, we Earthlings, on what I would call reconnaissance activities, making sure there's no surprise attacks. You know, one Pearl Harbor is enough. But all those spy satellites up there, the ground radar, the radar on the ocean, uh, you know, we're trying to make sure that nobody attacks us. Uh, There are instructions for what you do if you see an unidentified surface ship, unidentified submarine, unidentified airplane, or unidentified flying object. You report it, and quickly. So what I'm Mm -hmm. saying is, why would anybody be surprised that aliens wouldn't be paying attention to this primitive society whose major activity is tribal warfare, and it very recently demonstrated two things. We figured out how the stars work. Our first Mm -hmm. H-bomb proved that. And we demonstrated we were willing to kill people with advanced weapons. Uh, you know, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and 200,000 yep. people between those, and then umpteen million others. So uh, aliens don't need to be psychic to determine that this is a warlike society. And we're going to move out. And uh, it you know, that's, that's to keep tabs on us. 
that you know that's amazing that it goes perfectly with something that Dr. Michio Kaku had said in a, in a lecture which fascinated me by the way he said that to the aliens we're nothing but ants in an anthill and if they're going to come and really announce themselves to us publicly it's only going to be when we go to their territory and make a mess out of it basically when we go out outside of our comfort zone in our solar system and we start going into deep space if we're still hostile at that point then we're going to get the brakes put on us and they're going to announce that they're really here and what's going on and that that makes a lot of sense because really at this point technologically compared to aliens that could travel light years in space i mean we really are ants in an anthill compared to them uh stanton we're gonna take a little break here Nasty ants, yes. We're going we're gonna to take a little break here. We're going to take a couple okay. callers on uh, after the break here, just to let you know. We have a caller who's patiently waiting. We're going to get to him as soon as we okay. get back from the break. We're going to have more with Mr. Stanton Friedman, living legend, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Paranormal Soup Network and on Tenacity Radio's The Jackal's Head. Stick around. We're going to be right back with your calls. So get them going, get the uh, the switchboards flooded, and let's get some really good calls from Mr. Friedman. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. This is Cyanide, and I am now a voice inside the Jackal's Head. This is Jamie Havikin, and I cannot escape the Jackal's Head. This is Heavenly Angel, and I'm trapped in the Jackal's Head. Now, I have a voice from the Jackal's Head, Dennis Crenshaw. This is the Oz Man, one of the voices in the Jackal's Head. <laughs> I am now a voice inside the Jackal's Head. And that was Lloyd Pye. <laughs> I'm Nick Pope, and now I'm a voice inside the Jackal's Head. This is Stephen Bassett, and uh, I am now a voice inside the Jackal's Head. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the, the new king of radio.
welcome. Come check out Future Theater Radio, hosted by the wonderful Bill and Nancy Burns. If the name sounds familiar, that's because Bill Burns was the host of UFO Hunters on the History Channel, and Nancy Burns runs UFO Magazine at ufomag.com. They started up a new show produced by Land Lamb Fear called Future Theater. It started about a month and a half ago, and I gotta say, they are doing some amazing shows there. Fantastic interviews and just great information that they are getting out to the people. Their shows air live every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can tune in by going to futuretheater.com. All their past shows are there in the archives, so you got some catching up to do. Future Theater Radio is going to be the next big thing in paranormal and UFO radio. Don't miss out on this great opportunity to be with them from the start. I'm Jamie Havikin for Future Theater Radio. Take care and keep your eyes on the sky. <laughs>